of the David Feldman show. He's talking politics and comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty of the David Feldman show. He's talking politics with an comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke and he feels like Time right now for the David Feldman show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Professor Mike Steinell. He will be joining us a little later on in the show, and we are going to be here Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Mop Up. I'm David Feldman, and it is Monday, November 23rd, 2020. Looks like Michigan has been certified for Joe Biden, and Trump's days are numbered. That's good news. want to mention that we will be doing Office hours this Friday at 9 p.m. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the attend a live taping drop down menu. Press office hours. Sign up. You'll get an invitation. And then Saturday night, Diabetic Fury number three with Jim Earl, Martha Previtt, Ed Larson and her old friend Paul Klozlowski. If you'd like to buy a ticket, please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the pay-per-view menu. It'll take you right to Eventbrite. And we'll be talking about that a little later. But first, we have to go to Washington, D.C., where the First Lady of the United States is standing by. Please welcome Melania Trump. Hello. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Is this First Lady Hello, Melania? David. Hello, David Feltmanner. Hello, First Lady Melania Trump. How are you? It's good to see you. It is I, Fisted Lady Melania Trump, yes. speaking to you from the Oval Office. The Oval Office. Yes, I said Fisted. That's how it, you pronounce it. Yes, Fisted. For you. Who for you who does not know me? Yes. Hi, Melania. So you're coming to us from the Oval Office. And, and you and you said uh, 
you're, okay, so First Lady Melania, how are you preparing for Thanksgiving this year? In preparations for the Thanksgiving, grieving, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, yes. I have injected modal glue, mineral oil, and flat tire sealant into my buttocks <laughs> in order to make them caviar. In order to make them caviar? Caviar. You're going to turn your buttocks into carv- caviar? Caviar. Oh, oh, curvier. You're going to make your buttocks even more yes. curvier. Okay. Flat tire sealant into my buttocks in order to make them curvier. Curvier, yes. Melania has good beauty tips for you women, Debbie. Oh, good. When this is over, (laughs) unchain her from the sink pipes and show her my instructions. All you need is a cock gun. A, a, A cock gun. A cock gun. Cock gun. Oh, get your mind out of the gutter, Davey. I'm not talking about a pumping tool used for sealing cracks in the home. I'm talking about a gigantic metallic two penis (laughs) also used for sealing cracks in the home. (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you. Which reminds me of Melania short film titled The Cock Guns of Navarone. The Cock Guns of Navarone. I remember that. I saw that many times. Yes, The Cock Guns Who was in that again? Who was in The Cock Guns of Navarone? Starring Gregory Prick and (laughs) Richard Harris. Yes. Richard Harris as the squadron leader, Barnsby. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Yes. I, I didn't know you were such a film buff. Yes, Melania do, do most of her movies in the bath. <laughs> are you, now, Thanksgiving is this Thursday. We're going to be here doing the show. Are you going to get together with the whole family? Yes, Davey. Oh. And as you know, this tank's gravy is Thursday. <laughs> Thursday, yes. And like many former stripper billionaire concubines, <laughs> I am busy stopping turkey holes. Oh, that's nice. Like in my short film, stuffed like a Thanksgiving turkey hole. I remember that. I've seen that like five times. Who was in that? Jess, starring Mickey Rooney as a midget <laughs> who gets turkeys stuck on his head and runs around screaming, I have turkey stuck on my head. I have turkey stuck on my head. <laughs> so you're expecting a big crowd at the White House. Well, what in the fuck do you expect, Davey? True, yeah. All our relatives will be there to spread the COVID greetings <laughs> and share the Chrysler Cordoba virus. The Chrysler Cordoba virus, yes. After everyone gets deadly ill, <laughs> Melania looks forward to Diabetic Fury show Saturday night. Yes, Diabetic Fury. Yes. It's the Diabetic Fury show. Diabetic Fury. Yeah. Uh, who's going to be yes. there? What's going to be artist, going on? The artist Marta Privates is yeah. doing portraits of Melania and Tonel, <laughs> which will be available for purchase on Eventbrite page with certain price tickets. Just read the fine print bullshit already. Okay, sorry, sorry. That's the Diabetic Fury Show this Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And everybody should go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the pay-per-view button, and purchase a ticket. All the proceeds go towards Diabetic Fury. Yes, don't forget, 
Tonelt i misiant Marta Privait to do art awful office awful orifice portraits just in case we need to escape our great nation's capital. Well, well, I'm sorry, you, you said toenail? Toenail emissioned Marta. He, oh, he commissioned, do, he commissioned. He emissioned Marta to do the awful orifice portraits. The, oh, he's going to do oval orifice portraits. Okay. Yes, just in case we need to escape our great nation's capital. The, the that's right. DC, yes, that's right. I said emissions, yeah. private, awful orifice, and capital. Deal with it. I'm dealing with it. Well, we, we look forward to your appearing on the Diabetic Fury Show this Saturday night with Ed Larson from the movie America Killed My Mother, Paul Kozlowski, our old friend, Larry Wachuski, and the non-political koalas, plus you, I think you're even going to be there, and Jim Earl. Fuck this koala shit with the boo-hoo, I eat leaves and fecal pap bullshit already, okay? <laughs> Give me a fucking break. <laughs> and fuck Randy Rainbow and Sarah Pooper. Oh, you can't. With these you can't. With these lip stinking and strong parroting crap already. You can't say that. What is this, high school? I can't wait to leave the White House just to hear their stupid careers will be over. <laughs> Shut the fuck up already. Be best and suck it. <laughs> Thank you, Melania, first lady, for those who do not know me. That is your full name. Melania fist, la fist yes. lady for those. I am the fisted first fist lady. For those who don't know me. Who do not know me, who and, doesn't know me. Yes, and please give your best to our president. Heil Hitler. No, no, yes. Well, we can't say that, but please. Tornell. Donald. Tornell. Yeah, it's pronounced Donald. Yes, that is what I say, Davey. Let, let's Tornell. Try, okay, try it with me. Duh. Da. Uh. Uh. Mm. Mm. Al. Al. D. D. Donald. Donald. <laughs> Thank you, First Lady Milani. Thank you, everybody. Th Thank you, Fist Lady. I don't think you're allowed to say that, First Lady. I don't think you're allowed I'll, to. Nine, I, nine. I'm sorry? Nine. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that. Well, this is exciting. Now that we've talked to the First Lady of the United States, let us now go up to Kennebunk, Maine, where Emmy and Peabody award-winning comedy writer Jim Earl is standing by. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. How are you? How was your weekend? Oh, it's, uh, it was wonderful. Uh, you look really happy. No, I just uh, I have a kind of a uh, muscle con condition. Something wrong with my. I can't stop this. You can't stop smiling. Can't because you know this. Everything's going so great. Yeah, we're, we're getting the orange guy out. Yeah. Right? He's orange. <laughs> he's he's an orange and he's fat. Yeah. We're getting him out. It's good. Everything is going to be great. Well, aren't you, aren't you excited about Biden? I mean, he he's taking charge, even though 
the president won't leave the the Oval Office. Does that make oh. you? He's like Charles in charge. It's, it's going to be great because it's because it's fundamentally different. It is fundamentally. It's he's breathing new life into Washington. For example, the new Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen. Uh huh. She's oh, never yeah. been. She's never been Treasury Secretary before. She was Chairman of the Federal Reserve, but this is a completely oh. different job. She's going to be doing treasury that's new blood aren't you excited it's about that new blood we got a lot of we got some uh, black people got some black is, people coming in and some women yeah and some women of color and uh just because they're fascists doesn't mean anything that's no. okay cuban born Al- alejandro mayorkas who was a <laughs> uh, yeah has been you nominated to lead the uh, the department of health and uh, human services. And uh, don't forget Zeke, Zeke Emanuel. I'm sorry, she's been nominated for Department of Homeland Security. I I made a mistake. And and Zeke Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel's doctor brother. What what about him? He's consultant uh, for um, health or COVID or something like that. What difference does it make? He's 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 an advisor on the transition team, and that's the important thing. We got a, a guy who who pr- pretty much said that people over the age of 75 can't live or useful life anymore. And I'm not taking that out of context. He you said are. that you are. He, no, he's, yes, you are. You're I'm being, not. you are. I read being, the whole article. I read what he said. I read everything and it's still sickening. How, how old? I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because it's, it's our sickening. It's not Trump's sickening. And that's the important thing. It's not orange. Right. And, and, and who better to make us sickened than a doctor, Dr. Emanuel? He's a great man. He's a great man. John Kerry is, is going to be the climate czar. And who better to save the trees than somebody who looks like a tree? John Kerry. That, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Half as exciting as a tree. <laughs> the, guy's, the guy is a, he's scientilating. No, I, I'm so surprised he didn't win in 2004. <laughs> it was a shock to me. It was a, a shock. He represents uh, the common man, John Kerry. You know who else represents the common man? Who? His uh, Biden's transition team of advisors. In addition to two board members from Raytheon, you got uh, people whose think tanks were f- funded by Northrop Grumman and Boeing and these are good people. Some of them are going to bring stability. We need stability in, in D.C. right now after this merchant of chaos, Donald Trump, threw over the table. We we need to bring things back to the way they were. We, we have to go back yeah. to the halcyon days of Obama when we were bombing third world countries and sucking up to insurance companies. He's you know, Trump was is gauche. That's mm-hmm. the problem with him. He's uh, he's rude. Yep. And he doesn't follow norms. And we need somebody who takes us back to normalcy again. And and normalcy is a president who is in the pocket of big business and a vice like president, Kamala Harris, Michael McCabe. You know who he is? Michael consultant, consultant on Biden's communication strategy. And, and who, who's he a lobbyist for? 
DuPont. He advised them how to avoid regulations on PFAS or PFOAs, hmm. you know, toxic uh, cancer-causing chemical that might reduce the efficacy of COVID vaccines. So that's that's good. That's and good for business. That's Cecilia for- Munoz. Am I pronouncing that right? Munoz? The transportation lobbyist for Obama, the guy who lobbied for the uh, oil lobbyist and the fracking lobbyist while he was secretary of transportation. No, this is Cecilia Munoz. Cecilia, she's a woman. Oh, yeah. She was uh, Obama's former uh, top immigration advisor. Oh, okay. What's she doing now? Well, she's still being hated by uh, the immigration activists in Arizona who helped get her, uh, Biden elected. But or she's she's the one who defended family separations under Obama. I see. And she will be an advisor. And Biden, uh, yeah. But when when they separate families under the Biden administration, it's going to be done with compassion and caring. Well, when a Democrat separates families and puts people into cages, they're not really families to begin with, mm-hmm. nor are they cages. They're just uh, holding cells, holding pens. They're like kinetic military action uh, cubicles. Yeah. So you've got uh, Avril Haines. She's the national intelligence director. That's great. We have a woman running the national intelligence that's good, right? You got uh, his cabinet. He's got the chief of staff, Ron Klain. Great man. Silicon Valley uh, lobbyist. Yeah. Lobbies uh, uh, Silicon Valley's war interests. Okay. The UN and ambassador, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, is a woman and she's African-American. See? That's two things right there. Yeah. Level in the playing field. Everybody gets a chance to commit havoc and wreak harm on people. <laughs> that's that's the great melting pot of this country where everybody from regardless of race, creed or color or sex, shul persuasion can become a complete and utter fucking asshole <laughs> and get paid a lot for it and get free health care. Uh-huh. And uh you know, pension, everything else, retirement, protection, secretary of war. I, I mean, defense. Yeah. Under Biden's Michelle uh, Flournoy. As, is that is she been officially picked? She was the yes. undersecretary of defense for policy. But is she is it official that she's going to be? According to, to the New York Times. And, and what about uh, Blinken? According to picked for uh, Secretary of State, both yeah. were co-founders of West Tech Advisors for the Silicon Valley war industry. They're they're uh, lobbyists for Silicon Valley war interests again. Are you not happy with Foggy Bottom? Foggy Bottom. Is foggy Bottom. You, is that what happens when you <laughs> sit for for too long at a, a Carl's Jr.? I think that's what happens when you vacation too long in San Francisco during the summer. Oh. <laughs> you get a fuck. All right. So I, I'm, I'm sensing sarcasm. I sense that you're not happy. You know what West, West Exec Advisors uh, motto is? What is that, Jim? Bringing, this, bringing the situation room to the boardroom. And they're lobbyists. 
they're lobbyists for yes, <laughs> they're lobbyists for the war industry. Yes, they're they're the people, the very people that Edward Snowden uh, warned against, mm-hmm. basically Silicon Valley. Well, uh, you wouldn't know it anymore because they took down their website, West Exec Advisors, with that motto. You can't find it anymore unless you go on the web archive or something silly like that. And then you got Cedric Richmond. The congressperson. Yeah. And what's his uh, what's he been appointed to? He's another top advisor, a senior White House advisor. But he's head of the uh, Black Caucus. Well, yes, which is conservative. The Black Caucus is conservative, which is great. Well, they're they're black black people. They're Democrats. We all know they're conservative. Is just a big monolith. I'm sorry. And uh, and Noam Chomsky is uh, the man who told us to uh, to get Biden in office. And once you get Biden in office, and you don't have to, you you can you can push him to, further to the left. That was the big rallying cry. Remember when? Mm-hmm. What but, did Noam Chomsky tell us? He told us to to stop whining and pledge your vote in August. Right. And he said that because the uh, Biden's climate program was largely quote largely written by the Sunrise Movement, who now is condemning. Biden's choice of Cedric Richmond as a betrayal. Okay, so, so so everything you're saying is correct. But here's the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground, Jim Earl, is that if if Georgia, if the two Senate seats don't go the Democratic Party's way, we will be dealing with a Republican Senate. And this will be the first time since George Herbert Walker Bush took office that an incoming president didn't also have the Senate. Now, without the Senate, you can't pick a cabinet that you want because it is the Senate that approves your appointees. We have, when it comes to picking the cabinet, Right now, a co-presidency between Joe Biden and Mitch McConnell. Now, everything you're saying is correct. Bernie Sanders is the front runner to be secretary of labor. That would be a good pick. Hang on. That would be a good pick. Correct. It is said. Yes, if it wasn't, if it wasn't. uh, Okay. It is it is said that he negotiated to become secretary of labor. The problem is Mitch McConnell will hold that up. Now, the problem the problem here is that once again, you're you're settling for fake norms here. And that's what Democrats do. Well, what do you do if you're the president? Okay, what do you You do if you're the president? You do what Donald Trump has done for the last four years. Appoint interim appointments. Okay. Get around it. Interim appointments. Sorry. Yeah, you know, it may piss off some people like, uh, like Rachel Maddow may 
shit her pants. So interim appointments, and then they're taken to court, and any edicts that are issued by interim appointments, do they do they hold up? Can they be challenged? As I understand it, Chad Wolf, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, is an interim appointment, and a lot of his orders are being taken to court because he's not legitimate. So... Are, are they being taken to court because he's not legitimate or because those orders are unconstitutional I think both. or unlawful? I think both. So you know what? You know what's a good thing to do to fight for what you believe in and do it no matter what the odds. And that's what gets people to the polling station. So that's what gets voters voting. Had Noam Chomsky and other so-called liberal leaders uh not caved and and persuaded so many people or tried to at least to pledge to their votes months before the election without getting any concessions from joe biden without getting any concrete concessions from from joe biden maybe we would have had a better show in uh, in georgia and for the senate we didn't have control of the senate before the election remember and nope. we barely have control of the House now. And that's not because of people like me or the progressives who argue constantly and agitate constantly for change and for, for real concessions from the Democratic establishment. Something that no, uh, uh, that Chomsky defined as an activist, someone who is constantly activating. Right. If so you're disappointed wanted, with Chomsky. I said, I think Chomsky is was a total ass, and so was this, and so was Bernie regard. Sanders. You're saying yes, yes. You know, you know, if if your definition of an activist, a real politics, as he calls it, is to be constantly activating and and agitating, then you don't tell people to stop agitating. So what? You know, months before the election. So how bad are things right now? You you seem I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is at least give Biden 100 days from the time he takes office. See what he does. He's already loaded his he's already preloading his his cabinet with uh corporate officials and with Intel officials and and lobbyists from DuPont and the war industry. Right. But isn't couldn't that be a Nixon goes to China thing? Couldn't it be that these these people know how to deal with the evil corporate leaders and get them to move to the left a little? No, I think that's a. That's a just a rationalization for for more of the same. Why get why not get people in there who have nothing to do with this shit and who will fight the good fight instead of pretending to. Okay. When you read how hard Trump is fighting to stay in office. To, to, Which is legal, by the way. Everything he, he's doing everything is legal. he's doing legal is right. le- yes, absolutely. But also, well, I'm not. And he's so, losing. He's losing it too. He, he's so, losing, but I don't know if it's legal to call the Secretary of State of Georgia to have Lindsey Graham 
call the Republican Secretary of State of Georgia and ask him to look. I agree. I agree. I, you That's know. not legal. I don't think it's legal to have the president of the United States invite the uh, Senate uh, majority leader in Michigan to come to the Oval Office and try to talk them into reversing the will of the voters. I, right. I would think that might be illegal. Not sure. Might be illegal. I, I think it's highly unethical. And uh, it could be illegal, but that's not really the point here because it's done nothing but embarrass him and undermine his position. The legal things he's doing is filing, uh, is going to court. He has the right to go to court. You right. know? And, 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 and what, he's losing terribly doing he's, that. He's losing terribly. That's not the sign of a fascist, by the way. Fascist isn't going to, you know, oh, I'm going to file a court proceeding. I'm going to, damn it, I'm going to count the votes again. But no, fascists don't do that. So the system is working because there are people within it. There are Republicans within the system who are obeying norms. That's what? that's what's going on. There's a difference between obeying no norms and obeying laws and paying attention to laws, I, I, I think. But norms are customs. Laws are Lots yeah. and more than customs. Well, but but it is conceivable that Trump could have staged a coup that failed. And, and by the way, he's not out of the Oval Office yet. And it is, you know, but for Fox News not flipping Arizona early and turning on the stolen election narrative, but for Fox News, the Wall Street Journal because you're not hearing it from any Republicans other than Romney in D.C., you're not really hearing the Republicans backing down. They're, they're slowly coming around. It took business leaders, CEOs, to make statements like Jamie, the horrible Jamie Dimon from mm. J.P. Morgan Chase had to issue a statement saying, Trump lost. So he's being nudged out of the Oval Office by business leaders and, and senators and Republican senators. Fewer and fewer, mostly retiring senators. It is it. But for a few pieces in motion, he could legally stage what you and I would call a coup. If if he the coup would have happened, would have had to have a lot of people involved in that. There are a lot of people involved. All I'm state saying, all I'm saying is representatives electing their own Republican electors to elector electoral college. They could have done that, but would would that have succeeded? I don't think so. I think there would have been such an outcry from Republican voters and Democratic voters, of course, that it would. It would have ruined the Republican Party. Well, forever. You're more confident in the American voter. You and and our yes, I am. I, and I you're I'm more confident in our systems. You don't think we were on the precipice. You don't think we were ever on the brink. You no, weren't scared. I, I think we were on the brink beforehand when we didn't know it. When Trump came came into office, so all of a sudden people woke up 
and they blamed Donald Trump for the, preface, the pre- precipice that was built over the last 40 years. That's mm-hmm. the precipice. And Donald Trump woke us all up. You should thank him for that. Well, once he leaves office, and I, I think this time it was different. This time, Trump, Trump was a real threat to this country. He was. Trump is, Trump is a goofball, goon, idiot. He's is incompetent. The real threat was the banality of evil that preceded it in both parties, decade after decade, accommodating each other, including f- almost 50 years of Joe Biden's career doing so with segregationists, racists, and uh, and the like. It's, it's all part. That's... Or somebody has a question in the chat room, and it's a legitimate question. What was your plan if our attorney general sent federal troops to the Pennsylvania recount uh, and kind of used sharp elbows? What was my plan? Yeah, what was your plan that he he almost stopped at nothing? He almost stopped at nothing. What if he dialed it up a couple of levels? Well, I, you know, I can't answer those hypotheticals because, you know, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But you're assuming that there's only one, two people at work here at odds against each other here. uh, Donald Trump and uh, somebody in Pennsylvania who was in charge. I mean, there, there are hundreds of thousands of people that this affects and then who are interacting with each other. It doesn't surprise you how it doesn't surprise you that so many Republicans are terrified of Trump. And do you ever ask yourself why somebody like Lindsey Graham, why those why the canvassing board, those two Republicans decided to rescind their votes at the last minute after they heard from the president? Does it ever occur to you that that Trump is a mobster is is completely devoid of ethics that that he's a a, a sociopath who is craven and which has not only authoritarian impulses but truly wants to be truly wants to be Erdogan truly wants to be an authoritarian leader yeah, you know damn well, Dave, that uh, if if you knew Donald Trump was a sociopath, and I knew it years ago, just watching this fuckhead on the news and uh, promote himself shamelessly and uh, watching his uh, reality show, and the Re- Democratic Party establishment the Clintons and a Barack Obama, everybody knew he was a sociopath too and elevated him in the process. So, I mean, if you want to talk about authoritarianism, look, you have no... Dr. Frankenstein, Hillary and Bill were Dr. Frankenstein. They wanted Trump... Barack Obama. Barack and Barack, Obama. They wanted to run against Donald Trump. 
read his new book excerpts. Oh, hang on for one second. I'm I'm asking you a simple question. Do you not think that Donald Trump has exposed all the loopholes in our Constitution that makes it easy for somebody like him, only smarter, to seize control first of his party and then all the levers of government. You, you, you're not you're not terrified by what you see happening within the Republican Party. The silence in Washington D.C. Doesn't that tell you something? How vulnerable the system is. Well, I, yeah. Well, Donald Trump has ripped the mask off of all of what you said. Yes. Right. And so did Hitler. And so did Kim Jong-un. And so did Erdogan. Fascist authoritarians take power by ripping the mask off all the hypocrisy in in a government. Absolutely. Maybe, Maybe the people who help perpetuate the hypocrisy should take note of that and learn from their mistakes and learn from their hypocrisy. Get rid of those people from their organization or leave themselves. But the Democratic Party didn't do a damn thing in 2016. They didn't learn anything. They didn't have an autopsy like the Republican Party did for the election before. They said the Republican, they said we need Latino votes. Yeah. And and they nominated Donald Trump, who, who said, uh, no, we don't. But turns out he's getting some Latino votes. Yeah, he, he gained... And Biden lost. He lost from uh, Obama's uh, last election. And the, the, are you a Democrat? Uh, I am technically a Democrat because I voted in the uh, primary here in but Maine. Are you but a no, registered I'm not, Democrat? I'm, I'm not going to be a registered Democrat any, any longer. Okay. I'm hoping for the People's Party to take uh, take hold. Right. And, and I think that's legitimate. Because you're not a Democrat. You've had it with the Democratic Party. Bernie. Are you, are you a Democrat? You still uh, I, Democrat? I will vote for a Democrat because they're the lesser of two evils. I'm not happy with anybody Biden <laughs> has chosen. But but I look at it as D-Day. I think some sometimes you have to choose the lesser of two evils like Eisenhower had to do when they took Normandy. Sometimes you have to compromise and leave a lot of blood on the sand to get things done. It's unfortunate we don't live in a utopia. I wish we did. And there are seasons oh, for Jesus our... Oh, Jesus Christ. You, you sound like Sam Cedar. <laughs> no, I don't sound like this Sam Cedar. This is, this is really... You know, you were just a few weeks before the election. You were ah fuck Biden. I'm yeah, not less than I, I still say, I still say, if something crossed the line for you, how can something cross the line? Oh, Donald Trump's gone too far now. I'm going to vote the lesser of two evils. We, if you, you know, you're pretty good about not interrupting me. So let me respond to that. I think there are seasons to the election. The beginning of this year in January, it was F. Biden, F. Kamala, Bernie or bust. And I spent a lot of time on your side attacking anybody who didn't like Bernie. And anybody who came on the show didn't like Bernie had their head ripped off. 
you couldn't talk to me if you weren't for Bernie. I was going to stand my ground and fight for Bernie. Then the season changed and Bernie told me, Bernie, who I think is the you can roll your eyes. I think Ralph Nader and Bernie are the two best candidates for president in my lifetime, even better than George McGovern, maybe George McGovern, but he was flawed. But Bernie and Ralph Nader, the two best candidates I ever had an opportunity to vote for in my lifetime, were both supporting Biden reluctantly because they saw something that I also saw, that the country had collapsed. Now, when did it collapse? That's subject for debate, maybe back in 1974. But there's no question that this country has collapsed. We, 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 so if I agree with you, Jim, that the country has slid into the abyss and we're a broken country, c- completely broken. Now, is Biden going to pull us out of it? No. But Trump is the final nail in our coffin. Then why support a candidate who will practically do nothing to take that nail out? Because it's last call and I got to get laid. I'm being serious. It's it's one o'clock and I got to take what I can get. You're going to regret it for the rest of your life. I already do regret it for the rest of my life. My life is filled with nothing but regrets. I can remember. I can remember this. I can remember rooting for Barack Obama in 2009 because he was inheriting an economy that had that was so broken it was equal they said to the great depression they were calling it the great recession mm-hmm. and i foolishly gave him i was lenient with him timothy geithner tarp i i saw how he was bailing out the banks I think he was coming in and being told, you don't know what you're up against. And you, you got to put the system back together again, put it back together again. And then you can do all the things that you want to do. And he did. He put the system back together again at the expense of people of color who are more in debt now than they were at the financial when the financial crisis began income inequality is worse everything is worse and of five million people americans who lost their houses under his program yes. to save them yeah. which wasn't and now we have uh vice president steve mnuchinist right who never did a laid a finger the, the problem the the problem is that as much as I am disappointed with Barack Obama and he and he, uh, you know, Obamacare is a joke and he's a war criminal and he's yeah, a war criminal. Be more, more than disappointed with a war criminal, by the way. OK, as, as all that stuff, notwithstanding, the fact is that 
uh, Dodd-Frank took years to get passed and they're still stripping it. He couldn't get Elizabeth Warren in the uh, the, the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau, which is a, a pretty good new agency that should have had more teeth. But the Republicans. Jesus Christ, you blame the Republicans on every failure of. Well, but that's that's of King Obama, the Saint Obama. Yet you. You can't you can't have it both ways. He, he got so much accomplished. He he. I, I'm not saying he got, got much accomplished. I'm saying that had he not had he had a had he not had a Republican Senate, he could have gotten Elizabeth Warren, who would have been pretty good in the Consumer Protection Financial Bureau. He could have had more teeth in in Dodd Frank. Unfortunately, interim appointments. He had a supermajority. But, but bills can't be passed without McConnell approving but, them. But, 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 but you know what happens when you, you have when you have a president who actually leads and fights for people? I keep I keep repeating this over Ooh, and over and over Give me an again. example. Give me an you, example you have, of a president. You, you know what? You get people at the polls. You get people who will come to the midterms. I agree and, with and, you. you know, 2000 midterms. If. If Barack Obama hadn't just fucking walked away from everything, from fighting, he could have won the midterms. He lost the You're midterms. You're talking about 2010. He lost it to the Tea Party. Right. Young people stayed home in droves. Right. As they, they, as they the, seem to have done for Bernie, right? For Bernie? He had the, Bernie had the largest, the most diverse uh, donor base. But, but we didn't get we didn't get the turnout that we wanted, did we? In some primaries, he did worse than he did in 2016. I love Bernie because you have a you have a party that spends a billion dollars uh, smearing him and and fighting against a Medicare for all. And then you have uh, Jim Clyburn and Barack Obama behind the scenes constantly making waves and, and, and implying that they'll do something to stop. I, I agree with you. There's this no, is the party you want to be a part of? That's no, a disgrace. It you is, it's a shame to yourself. Get, the, get some self-respect. Get the fuck out of this thing. You know, Chomsky, his favorite... His, his, First of all, you're asking me to get self-respect. That's a bridge. But go on. His favorite David Hume, he always used to quote, power is in the hands of the governed. Masters only rule by consent, and if consent is withdrawn, they lose. Withdraw your fucking consent. Do not give your vote away in August before a November election. Never. I I I agree with you. This is not a rhetorical device. I do agree with you. I don't agree with your timing. I don't agree with you now because... There's the reality on the ground. And if there's a, if, you know, I hate to use the war analogy, but when you're fighting, you can't look back and say, we should have taken that hill and sacrificed Larry instead of Bob because Larry mm-hmm. knows how to shoot morphine. You can't revisit the past. But what we're doing now, what we're doing now is the same fight we had before the election. And that's what they're doing now. 
before the election. Don't do it now. Don't. This is too divisive. Wait until he's in office. Okay, he's he's about to be in office. Okay, so but why it, can't we talk about what he's who is appointing? We can't even do that now because we're being divisive. I, we're being scapegoated. Progressives are being scapegoated for how tight the Senate race is and and and, and the House race. When are we going to get? To push Biden to the left, as people like Chomsky and you and uh, every other uh, lesser of two evils. I'm not. Uh, I I say. Promulgator says. When are we going to push him to the left? Never. We can't with the people he's putting in. Are you crazy? Yes. In answer to yes, I am. That's an answer to your question. Yes, I am crazy. But look at, the, uh, look at this couple behind me. Right. One of our ex staff members is going to be in the Biden team. It's, it's, it's fucking a nightmare. You're, 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 for all those of who are those of you who are listening, Henry Kissinger is hugging Hillary Clinton and they Vice versa. Yeah. And it's cowardice on the Clinton's part to to make peace with Henry Kissinger. To bridge those divides, not to not to publicly pass judgment on Henry Kissinger. They think they're healing the past by yeah. doing that. More I, criminal. And Joe he, Biden will never prosecute anything involving Donald Trump or his family. Never. It'll never happen. That is correct. Just as Obama promised he would vigorously uh, pursue any illegalities in the Bush administration. Of course, he never did. That is never correct. happens to the Democratic Party because they have no integrity. They stand for nothing. They don't fight for you. They take you for granted and they do it every election because you promise them your votes. And then they do like every abusive person in a relationship does. You know, after they hear, I love you. I know you're only doing this for my own good. They slam the door and beat you again. That's Prof- what that's- Professor Adnan Hussein is joining us. He's the chairman of the religion department at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. And can you talk some sense into me, please? I've been arguing with Jim. Talk some sense. I don't know what to do with me because... I'm intractable. I, I keep defending the status quo and identifying with the abuser. Talk some sense into me. I. What if Jim Earl hasn't been able to do it? <laughs> to do it. <laughs> no, he, he's he's been hammering these points. I think very effectively for a while. So you know, maybe you have a congenital, you know, disorder of some sort here that um, we need to turn to. You know, a little bit more extreme action. Uh, some intervention is, is perhaps needed. I don't know. I mean, what am I going to do about me? I, you know, I want to keep having me on the show. But I'm a broken record as a. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, uh, what's the latest complaint? You know, I'm just coming in. You know, I've been looking at the news and following, uh, you know, that a lot of appointments were made today or at least announced today for the upcoming Biden administration. Um and uh, what can you say? It's 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 clearly more of the same. And what I find kind of interesting, 
um, about it. Perhaps this is the mark of the influence of the left is that they are uh, characterizing some of these appointments as ones that will nonetheless be acceptable to the progressive and left-wing part of the Democratic Party. And I don't know how to evaluate this. Is this wish fulfillment? Is this an attempt to um, take any potential criticism off the table uh, even before there's a chance to articulate the complaints? I'm not sure, but it's clearly... Um, you know, a, a reintroduction of most of the kinds of people and even many of the same people from former Democratic administrations. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what we should be expecting in the coming in the coming period. Um, but clearly they want to say that, oh, uh, you know, Janet Yellen would be somewhat acceptable to the progressives. I don't know who's uh, articulating this on behalf of the progressives. She does have a, as a, she when she replaced Bernanke and she did talk about income inequality. She did yeah. talk about uh, the limits of the Federal Reserve and what the banks can do. She didn't really do anything about it, but she was her job was she was chairman of the Federal Reserve. Um, you run the religion department. You have to keep things together. You have to keep a class together. You have to teach the class you got, not the students you wish you had, as Donald, the great Donald Rumsfeld said. Right. Right. You know, the rap against some people is they rather complain about the current government then become part of the government and make sure that the garbage is collected. It's easier to criticize the government than to make sure the streets are plowed during a blizzard. Jim, do you think it's possible you have no empathy for the people who make the difficult decisions? You know, there are people in there were people in L.A. County uh, who had complained for years about all the potholes in their local streets, which were underfunded because they were poor. And then one one year they went out and started filling in the damn potholes themselves. And uh, and they got arrested by the, against, against the law, I think. Right. But they did that. So I think it's ridiculous to say people complain about their government because they lack empathy and they don't want to do anything as it's the complete opposite. They're doing it because they've they're fed up and they've had it. And that's why I say the American voter is a lot smarter than you think, because the majority of the electorate don't end up voting, choosing anybody uh, for president. I think that's a sign of high intelligence and wisdom. Professor Hussein, why, what, what do you what do you say to Jim's contention that the American voter is smarter than we give them credit for? Well, I mean, he's got a point that uh, long experience has taught people that they can't really expect much to change from their government, regardless of 
who's in power. There have been some moments in history and, you know, uh, Professor Harvey J.K. would tell us all about those particular moments, things like the moments of the New Deal or when there were mass movements that managed to affect some kind of change to expand the franchise for women and so on. But these struggles typically happened because eventually um, politicians and people working within the system um, either were pressured to do it or felt that they had the backing, popularly speaking, to be able to take certain kinds of risks. So these don't get generated from within the system themselves. And, um, you know, I think people have realized that um, after Bill Clinton, I feel like, well, since the days of Reagan, you know, um, people have not been expecting much out of government. They either um, uh, dragged government down through the mud, that it was the source of all of your problems and managed to do that in a kind of populist temper, or um, there was this tack towards the right post-Cold War, even by the Democrats who were supposed to be defending you know, uh, labor unions and workers and and so on. So at a certain point, uh, there really wasn't much you could invest. And in fact, frankly, look at what did they try and accomplish even during those periods? Policy was nobody put forward any grand programs or grand ideas. Everything would be tinkering around, you know, the edges. And I remember hearing a State of the Union from Bill Clinton, for example, that was an hour and a half, practically a laundry list of, well, we paid, you know, five million dollars to invest in like new cells you know new phone technology for police departments and we did and it was so depressingly small in terms of its imagination here where's what happened to the peace dividend what happened to the fact that supposedly now we've defeated the soviet union the communist threat is over the rationale for this military industrial complex um, no longer exists in the same uh, manner we were supposed to get a big peace dividend and all anyone could think about were small change you know kind of um, sorts of issues so from that point, why would anybody expect that there was a lot that their government was going to do one way or the other? And um, so I think it became a lot more about this sort of the horse race. It became about um, a new kind of a form of celebrity culture for really geeky, you know, people who Rachel Maddow. Yeah, and talking instead of talking about um, you know sports or movies, you know certain kind of people like to talk about politics. I kind of am one of them, so I I understand the attraction. You know, AOC did this, and you know, um, but it's not, they're not talking policy; they're talking process; they're talking politics. Yeah, you know, we're not right. talking about substantive changes. So why right. would somebody invest a lot? You know, right. in that drama if they're not into that genre of entertainment. Right. It's, it's a remember, sporting event. Go ahead, Jim. I, I used to have utter contempt for non-voters uh, <clears throat> since my early teens. I remember 1970, the 72 election, and uh, I was very little, but my brother came home and I asked him if he voted and he said no. And I just blew up at the guy. I said, how could you not Nixon? And after, you know, by, are you crazy? And he said, I'm not going to change anything. 
And I used to, for 10, 15 years after that, I said, Jesus, that is such, so unhealthy and ridiculous and stupid. Then I realized, but, you know, a few years ago, I put myself in his shoes. He's uh, maybe seven, 10 years older than I am. And, you know, he nearly missed the draft and uh, Vietnam, and he saw two presidents, what, three people. It's interesting how you put yourself in your brother's shoes, but your sister's underwear. But go ahead. (laughs) Just interesting choice. It's normalcy. So now you understand why your brother... Well, you know, he all this shit he dodged and all this stuff that he saw happen to, you know, real good leaders and potential great leaders, shot, killed, you know, 50,000 young men and women, you know, killed in Vietnam. And he's seen this and he's nothing's going to change, you know, and I understand that now. Okay. are the same. Okay. He knew it. I don't know if that, that, but I don't know if that helps when you say that. It helps. Well, it helps. How does that help if you say both parties are the same? Well, It, it means you have to come to terms with what you have and then try to change it. That's the healthy part. Right. And Tom Hayden, would you agree that Tom Hayden was one of the great minds of the great activists of the 20th century? I I really don't know. I, okay. I have to familiarize myself with him more. I thought he was great. Uh, I thought I admired him during the 70s after I learned things about him. But then, uh, then I... Uh, I heard him speak more and talk talk more in his later life. That I, I well, I had him on the show before. I had him on the show before he died. He jump started yeah. the 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 student student activism in the sixties. I forgot uh, yes, yes. the Port Huron statement, which right. informed an entire generation of radicals, the Chicago Seven, and he, and then what he did is he became a, a California assemblyman, and I think he made it to this, the state Senate. And when I interviewed him, he said something to me that I, that I never forgotten. Other people of his generation have said to me, they want you to say neither party makes a difference. Doesn't matter. They want, they want you to give up, to stay home and not vote. That's exactly what they want. You see, I don't think saying neither party makes a difference is giving up. I think that's accepting this. It's like standing up and saying, I'm an alcoholic. You know, it's a, it's the first step to healthy change. No, I agree. Listen, they're all opportunistic infections. Everybody in the Biden administration goes there to pad their resume so they can get jobs on K Street. I agree with you 100%. But when you look at history, Professor Hussein, I was reading Woodward's book, and Trump wants to get out of Afghanistan in the book, and he calls Lindsey Graham, and, and he says, what's the end game? And Lindsey Graham says, there is no end game to Afghanistan. We're here forever. It's kind of like the mafia. You never leave. And Trump doesn't understand. I'm reading. I'm going, what? And you realize that there are people 
like Lindsey Graham who say and believe that radical Islam, this is what he told the president, radical Islam, think of them as the Nazis and you have to fight them in Afghanistan so you're not fighting them here in the United States. We're, we have to always be at war. There are people like Dick Cheney who defended the illegal invasion of Iraq. There are people around Dick Cheney who believe that war is a constant in nature. Now, in the best of all possible worlds, there wouldn't be people like that. So that when you stormed the beaches of Normandy, there'd be nobody up on the cliffs shooting down at you. The reality, I think, Jim, I think is that we're up against some dark heart, dark hearted people who think that lives are expendable for the greater good, who think war is a constant in nature, that evolution weeds out the weak and the weak includes poor people, people who aren't ambitious. We're up against those people. And when I when I read about what it's taking to nudge Trump out of the Oval Office, I think about what it would have been like if Bernie, who I still think could have beaten Trump in a landslide. Mm-hmm. But but this country is a collection of coalitions. You you can't govern without alliances. Bernie went up against the Democratic establishment and they beat him. They they beat him. No, they did he, beat him. No, no. Obama is the Democratic establishment. Yes, but he didn't go up against Obama and he didn't go up against Joe Biden. He tried. He excuse me, let me. You can you can respond to this. I'm this is what I think that Bernie, who I love, he went up against the Democratic establishment and they immediately circled the wagons and destroyed him. And I think what would have happened if somehow he got through that filtration system and and won and Trump is refusing to leave? You have a socialist president whose party isn't thrilled about him because they're going to be losing jobs. Do you think you're going to be hearing Jamie Dimon and the corporate CEOs saying, Bernie won, it's time for the president to leave? Do you think Fox News is going to be flipping Arizona early? There, there are a lot of forces at work who are hell-bent on maintaining the status quo. And mm-hmm. I honestly think that if Bernie, if Bernie were the president-elect right now and Donald Trump was refusing to leave the Oval Office, that there would be serious constitutional law conversations talking about the legitimacy of a president trying to swing the Electoral College his way, even though he lost both the popular vote and the Electoral College. There are enough people in the moneyed class who fund enough think tanks and corporate lawyers to prop up Donald Trump and say he's as to say what you said at the top of the segment. 
nothing Donald Trump is doing is illegal. So, so that's what we're po- up against. Your point is that you're defeated on either end then. Because you have the same people in the Biden administration. You know, if, if, if it's a little Sanders, bit better, it's a little bit better under the Biden administration. If Sanders, a little bit better. If, if, if Sanders had won, he would have, we probably would have gotten a lot more people to vote. But we and didn't see that in the, Professor Hussein, did we see that in the primaries? What happened to the youth vote? I don't know. I mean, I was a little disappointed that um, the theory of the case didn't manifest as strongly as, you know, was hoped for. I mean, a lot of good was achieved and accomplished, particularly in 2016. And, you know, we had hopes that um, if uh, Bernie was one among three or four um, candidates, that he might emerge um, like Trump did, right, with the largest one and event, largest constituency, and eventually it would be able to consolidate it. But unfortunately, they moved too quickly to eliminate the competition and stop dividing their vote. So I don't know why there wasn't as much youth turnout, um, you know, as we anticipated and hoped for. It seemed like there were a lot of people working on the ground, knocking on doors. Um, it's hard I, I to say. Uh, you know, a lot of, the, you know, I, I've been, I w- went to two town halls, um, Martha and I did uh, for uh, Sanders and a couple of rallies in the, in L.A. And, you know, everyone was really, really gung ho for Bernie. And, and but there was this kind of uh, wall of politeness that nobody wanted to, you know, they all felt the same way. It seemed to me but they all didn't want to express it outwardly that why won't he attack Biden? Why he won't did, he, 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 he road? Why won't he attack the, what Obama did and everything that people are out in the streets fighting against and and protesting and rallying for going to his rallies for because because he didn't want to run that's why young people didn't show up as much he didn't want to run a negative campaign he didn't want to be blamed for biden's loss the same way he was blamed for hillary's loss and he didn't want to give ammunition to the republicans well that's cowardice and that just helped destroy sanders campaign you think running, but but there, you know, there, an argument can be made that running a negative campaign hurts you in the end. Why is it negative to answer lies? You know, from the Biden campaign and the debates that they were in, all every time Biden, how are you going to pay for it? Medicare for all? You don't have a plan. How there, there was never, there was never a proper debate. They did. They stacked. They were very smart, the establishment. They got his, they sent everybody into the pool. So Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders never got that alone time that was necessary in the lead up to Iowa. You, you, you take your time. You do it and you grab the opportunity and you do it. He had plenty of opportunities to, to answer that uh allegation that he didn't have a way to pay for Medicare for all. And he had plenty of time to attack Biden's war record and everything else all the time. His serial line. Well, you know, a negative campaign, Jim, as much as you negative. Hang on for one second. It's not negative. Attacking your opponent, attacking your opponent 
is a strategy that doesn't always work because eventually you have to tell voters what you're for, not what you're against. Well, what are you for? And Bernie was for one thing. Hang on. He was for one thing. Medicare for all. That was yeah. that was what he repeated over and over and over again. And, he and went the on. only okay, how do you answer a allegation like you don't know how to pay for it? You know, this, this, you can't pay for this, uh, Bernie. You you don't have a plan. Well, here's my plan. I do have a plan, and you keep saying I don't have a plan, and we can't pay for it, and you know that's wrong by now either you're incompetent and you don't know what you're talking about joe biden my good friend whom i respect or you're lying it's we've had four years of this now and you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again about medicare for all and you must know one of the two things either you're lying or you don't know what you're talking about oh you have done this yeah professor hussein you work in bureaucracies if somebody is up for let, let's say Jim and I are up for the same job, we both I want to be the provost of FU. I, I want to be the, the and I'm competing with Jim to to be the provost of Feldman University. And I do what Kamala did. Kamala went behind a lot of people's backs and spread vicious stories about Elizabeth Warren and uh, uh, what's her name from Minnesota, the uh, the moderate Klobuchar. Klobuchar. I mean, yeah. she was just I mean, she played hardball and Biden liked that. That's one of the reasons he picked her. The, the, the blowback to that is people have long memories. So I try to sabotage Jim. I spread the truth about him. I, you know, I do oppo research on Jim and I get the job as provost. Congratulations. Now I'm provost. But now I have Jim as my enemy. And he's going to make my life difficult as provost. Even though he's on my team. Bernie is a product of the Senate. And there's a reason there's a collegial atmosphere in the Senate. You cannot demolish your opponents because they will make it difficult for your bills to pass. They will make your life miserable. So you're saying Bernie should have attacked Joe Biden. I thought I thought he did. I thought he did because he was going to need Joe Biden in the general. You can't you can't destroy people who you need to campaign for you and support you. Chicken or the egg, which comes first? You, you attack your opponent for telling lies and you push your agenda that the majority of Americans are in favor of and you're called negative. And does that mean that people don't show up to, the, to vote or does that mean that more people show up to vote? Well, I know you think that Bernie would have brought out more voters. Let me show you. I, I know I only, you know, if, if somebody, if I'm excited about somebody because they're fighting for me, then I will support them and I will go vote. If somebody is just giving me lip service, 
then I'm going to stay home and I'm going to attack them. Okay, you have a lot of faith in uh, in the American voters. Is that correct? I have, a, I have more faith in human nature, I think, than you do. I, I think the first Athenian democracy. Uh, I think I think the Athenian democracy had so much more than our failed one today, our republic, and it showed uh, a greater faith in human nature okay. than, than ours did. Look, look at these results from the swing states and this month's presidential election. Okay? Now, you have to agree that anybody with half a sense of decency, with half a brain, is going to vote for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Would you at least... Well, no, you didn't vote for Joe Biden. No, I didn't. But look how close it was in these swing states. Look how many people support our president. Ohio, that's a reasonable swing state. Yeah. Trump won by 470,000 votes. Yeah. Uh why can't you... Biden you know, only won by 20,000 votes in Wisconsin. If only he had fought harder for us. But why did they turn out for Trump when he's been exposed as the fraud he is? People in Ohio <coughs> saw the hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs that have left America under his administration. What, what his tariffs have done to steal and agricultural products, and yet they still turn out for Trump. What, is, what does that tell you? What does that tell you about what the Democrats are up against? There's a, the electorate may not be as bright as you hope. You put, yourself, you put yourself in their shoes. They remember NAFTA, and they remember 40, 50 years of Joe Biden's career. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. Okay, they, don't remember, just, they don't remember. They don't remember that. out and calling people stupid and forgetful. You know, I'm sorry. And they live. Now you're just popping out and calling people stupid and forgetful. You don't. They don't remember you know I mean? that Joe Biden was for NAFTA. NAFTA was uh, 1993. You don't. People don't remember NAFTA. They don't remember that. No, they don't. They understand. They remember that Trump. They remember that Trump crapped on NAFTA and renegotiated NAFTA. It's very complicated. They don't remember that Biden. I think I, I, th I think Trump was able to uh, channel, despite being the incumbent and having four miserable years. I, th I thought this was his strategy in one of the debates. I thought he's he, he's running as the outsider yet again. And I think <laughs> People, he managed to convince enough people who are in that position of being disgusted with the system and the way in which, you know, power and privilege has been organized in our society that their resentments could be channeled yet again through Trump, even though he is the ultimate kind of winner of this kind of unequal and terrible system that rewards the worst among us. Um, nonetheless, he managed to turn it into a symbolic vote 
against the deep state, against privilege, against the establishment, against the liberals. I mean, everyone hates the liberals. That's basically the basic truth of it. Jim hates the liberals. I hate the liberals. Yeah, I hate the liberals. Voter. Yeah, we all hate the liberals. They're not that many of the liberals, you know? So who's motivated to come? I think um, what we saw is is that they there were people who after four years of Trump, nonetheless, still saw in him some either positive bearer of their hopes and aspirations, or at least that he is a force that stands against the establishment in some in some respects, you know. And, you know, I mean, other people are saying that, well, you know, he brought out the the real racists, you know, I mean, uh, and maybe that's there, too. I don't know. But, you know, the point is, is that it's pretty remarkable that after four years, some people who didn't vote for Trump in 2016 came out and voted this time because they were motivated by something they saw in him, his movement, in um, what he represented for them, culturally, um, politically, intellectually. It's some kind of statement that they were making. But there was no statement to be made on on Biden's behalf other than anti-Trump. So the question is, is Trump is a polarizing figure? You have close to the same number of people who are willing to uh, go up or down on Trump. That's the sad reality. And the Democrats, through Joe Biden and the kind of campaign he ran, did not offer any additional reason why you would want to support him and, and, and support them, because he didn't run on any real programs and policies. Now, of course, people are going to tell me, no, he had he said he had his own kind of version of the Green New Deal. He said he would do this. He said he would do that. I don't think people voted on the issues in this election. If they'd voted on the issues, Bernie would have crushed. He would have crushed it in the primary, much less in the in, in the general. I mean he should have he should have absolutely mown down anybody in in the primaries if they were voting on the issues. They weren't voting on the issues. They were voting on, you know, a a, a group of in the electorate that was totally anti-Trump in the Democratic primary. And people were willing to go with uh, any number of people who they thought would beat Trump. And in the general uh, you know, election, it's a lot more even and you had to give them something. So it was a perfect way to run in the primary for Biden. Okay, so Biden ran perfectly for the for the primary and really poorly, I think, in the general election without covid, you know, and in fact, actually, covid became a strength of Trump's in the last like, you know, um, few weeks. He seemed to recover from the doldrums of his terrible performance in managing the pandemic and seemed actually to have turned that into a culture war struggle as well <laughs> and had people supporting him you right. know, in that. So. That, that's the logic that the Dem the liberal corporate Democrats really um, fail to apprehend all the time is that they get sucked into playing the culture war and they think, um, you know, they think appointing uh, neoliberals who are a diverse, you know, diverse, you know, ethnically and racially is somehow going to win the culture war, you know. Um, so they just don't seem to understand. Um, but the voters also didn't vote on 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 these policies either. Let me ask if you a question. Had, Bernie would have won. Professor Hussein, you host 
guerrilla history with Henry Huckamacki. Now, Henry is brilliant. I don't know if you know this, Professor Hussein. When you when you're doing guerrilla history with him, have you noticed that he's brilliant? He's a sharp twenty uh, five year old. Yes. Now, when he's 26, he's, it's all going to be done. Right <laughs> okay. Because he's so young. We're like, oh, he's so brilliant and so young. But when he gets mature, at 26. I want to pick up on something he said a week ago, because, you know, I've given up on the Democratic Party and I agree with everything Jim says. But I do believe in voting for the lesser of two evils. And I've been challenging the left and I've been asking, you know, what what do you what do you believe in? How are you framing things to make it digestible to the people who would be voting for Bernie instead of Trump? And Henry said something really interesting, and then it devolved into a conversation about religion. Henry said what the left needs to be doing is what the Black Panthers did. Yeah. They, they need to be reaching out to the American people the same way the Republicans have the churches, because the left is lousy with atheists. Yeah. They have contempt for organized religion. Meanwhile, organized religion is actually helping people. They're, they're brainwashing people, but they're feeding people. They're helping the homeless. Well, that's, that's why in the Middle East, why we had this wave of Islamist parties, uh, you know, that managed to uh, do pretty well in recent elections and so on, is partly because they were on the ground developing the social services in these, you know, in failed, corrupt governments. Nobody's collecting the garbage. You know, Muslim Brotherhood will organize, uh, you know, street sweeping uh, crew, they would take care of the they take care of the garbage. You, you need a little assistance because, uh, you know, uh, you need medicines. They provide a little bit of help and support. They were offering the services that the state was failing to do. And so they were operating like an NGO in the communities, providing the services that, um, you know, under structural adjustment, these uh, states that had been kind of quasi socialist states, but now under the IMF regime and neoliberal regimes, the state had contracted cutting services. And who was there to pick up the pieces, just like in the in the United States as well? Who's offering the mutual aid, the social solidarity, the community context in which not only do they offer some services, some support, but it's also the emotional support. It's also the social kind of uh, sense of belonging to something. And that's, I think, what's missing. Both those things are missing. Um, I think there's, you know, when you're, um, you know, on, you know, the, Dem the Democratic Party, for example, has very few roots, it seems to me, either in some great historical narrative of how you mean something and are important in history because you're part of something bigger than yourself. Nothing. They don't offer you any of that. It's all just neoliberal individualism. Um, and on the other other hand, they seem to not really believe in big state programs themselves either anymore that might offer, you know, material change in people's lives. So I don't know. My suggestion ha has been, in fact, actually, we shouldn't even be talking about the primary and why Bernie didn't win, et cetera. Can you put a pin in your suggestion for one second? Can you remember it for a second? Oh, yeah, sure. Let, because I brought this up. Because what Henry said really stuck with me. And then over the weekend, I saw a chart from The Washington Post of how expensive Senate races are 
and how Chuck Schumer has misspent all these corporate donations. You look at Jamie Harrison, he ran against Lindsey Graham. Jamie Harrison spent $109 million to defeat Lindsey Graham this year. What would have happened, Professor Hussein, if Jamie Harrison, instead of turning that money over to consultants and I don't even know where that money goes, spent $50 million on soup kitchens, on daycare. I mean, I don't know what 50 million gets you in South Carolina for a year. But you can feed a lot of people with 50 million, couldn't you? You can do a lot. I mean, um, you can buy the votes that you need, you know, like, look, (laughs) this is what they are always saying that, oh, these programs, liberals are just trying to buy the votes. Well, good. Yeah, that's what you need to do. You need to give people a reason. And I agree that, you know, so much more could be done. This is a ridiculous election system. The money in politics is absolutely outrageous. It's such a waste. Um, But I don't donate. I will not donate. I give to Bernie, but I would never give to Andrew Cuomo or de Blasio. I would never give him a penny. Now, Amy McGrath lost by 20 points to Mitch McConnell. She raised $90 million. I don't know who gets that money. Mark Kelly in Arizona raised $90 million. He won. I would give to Mark Kelly if he turned his campaign headquarters into a a string of soup kitchens throughout Arizona that is feeding people. And you come for the food and you stay for the uh, the lecture about big government, the same way the Republicans have co-opted the churches, the evangelicals in violation of the Johnson Amendment. You know, the, the, how if, yeah. How about if that money was put into organizing workers, uh, you know, to help them establish unions, um, you know, to advocate for them for themselves? I mean, you know, there's so many better things that could be done. My problem here with this is not only is this a horribly wasteful and corrupt system, but these corporate Democrats have proven again and again that they're not even good at playing the game of politics. Right. You, know, you spend all this money and you don't put in. This is what AOC said. You didn't. Right have like an online presence you didn't knock right. on doors so why would you expect to win and right. you're going to blame us for being you know for medicare for all and so on do your due diligence and at right. least know how you win elections now right you know oh, we got to change the rules it's unfair the electoral college is so unfair change the game because we can't play it no you go to wisconsin You go to Minnesota, you go to the swing states and figure out how to win there. You're so smart, but you can't figure out the election. That's why I I am all in on the Electoral College. All in. (laughs) I I am. I I don't care what anybody says. What? It's not representative. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The land, yes. the, the land. century America. Yeah. When there's climate change going on, I want the land to have a vote. Well, that would be nice. I'd like to have the chipmunks outside our apartment have votes, too, but they can't. Mark Breslin is the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I, I have to take off now. Thank you for having me on, David and uh, Adnan. Are you going to storm off on? 
No, I have to. I have to get something to eat. I, I would prefer it if you and Professor Hussein stormed off and, and said that there's no getting through to me. And th- well, there th- isn't. I want to leave you with this question: When has le- voting the lesser of two evils worked? Johnson in '64. S- well, <laughs> since then. <laughs> uh, what, when is voting the lesser of two evils? Uh, uh, oh. Does it work now? Did it work? To, well, we this election. Can we? When has it not? When, when has it not resulted in both okay. parties lurching further and further to okay. the right? Maybe, maybe I'm getting this analogy wrong. And Mark Breslin can help me. Okay, there's a fetus in the oven. Okay, mm. think of that as as Joe Biden's presidency, right? And it, and it's thanks Thanksgiving Day is the inauguration and this this fetus has been put in the oven and you can't wait you you don't know how this fetus is going to taste until thanksgiving day when it's taken out of the Mark, help me here. I'm not good with analogy or cannibalism. You had me with fetus in the oven. (laughs) (laughs) Beyond that, I'm not sure where this analogy goes. You know, that's that's why I'm against abortion, uh, not because, uh, mainly for the taste. All right. Let's plug some stuff and then we'll go to Mark Breslin. Uh, Professor Adnan Hussein has two. Podcast. I'm going to pronounce Mudgeless. Very nice. The Mudgeless Podcast and Guerrilla History with Brett O'Shea and Henry Huckamaki, who I understand is absolutely brilliant. And everybody should download those two podcasts. You also teach, you're, you're chairman of the religion department over at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. How far is that from uh, Mark Breslin? Three hours. So where in the GTA he is in the right? Uh, I'm I'm midtown. I live near Castellano. It's about three hours away. You okay. should have. I, I drive a little fast. I guess <laughs> you okay. should. Have, you should <laughs> have. You're right. You can do it in two and a half. But I always stop off at the Big Apple and uh, Coburg oh, for an apple absolutely. pie. Absolutely, you have to do that. Yes. And Mark uh, runs the Humbert Humbert School of. Mm-hmm. Uh, young student studies at Humbert. What do you teach? That almost sounded that almost sounded real. Um, to you me. teach at Humbert um, College. Well, that's what I've been accused of. But no, actually, <laughs> the, uh, the the it's the Humber School of Comedy. Right. No relation yeah. to Humbert Hubbard. No, okay. that's a totally different thing. He teaches but a school of fantasy. <laughs> but that's okay. I should tell you that the professor. Um, teaching at Queens. Queens is considered like the Harvard of Canada. It's a very good school. And Kingston is a very pretty town. Well, uh, I may be moving to Canada and and uh, Professor Harvey J.K. and I are going to be living well, with Professor. I'm, I'm just, you know, the, the one downside. So well, excuse me for one second. If you're saying it's the wait a second, if it's the Harvard of Canada, by my standards, that would make Professor Hussein uh, an a-hole. <laughs> I was quiet during that. You know, uh, I was trying to give a compliment, and it's really backfired. <laughs> <in my face. laughs> 
Well, look at let me, let me try again. Let me try again. Yeah. Queens University is just one notch above the worst community college in the country. <laughs> now I love is them. Is that better? <laughs> now I have uh, respect you know. for it. <laughs> look at the house Adnan lives in. Oh, yeah. This is, this is the <laughs> theological hall behind me. That's where the School of Religion is located. So. All right. Well, thank you, Professor Hussein. You. By the way, we're doing a show on Thanksgiving, so you're welcome to... Uh, well, the good thing is, is we already had Thanksgiving in Canada, so I'm totally free. Good. Well, I hope you, you pop in and uh, then I'll have something to be thankful for. And Jim Earl, Saturday night, Diabetic Fury number, you know, Mark Breslin has diabetes. I do. I just Congratulations. Picked my, <laughs> I just picked up my metformin today. Jim, are you are you a type one or a type two? Ah, I'm in between. He's oh, in a, one and a half. No, I'm, I'm one. He's yeah. OG. He's OG. What's He's that a, mean? You're an original gangster. You were. You oh, got it you. when you were uh, eleven, right? Ten. I'm type one. Type I'm type one, one too. Yeah. You're you're okay, nouveau. So. You're no, nouveau. So is anybody using Ozempic? Who the what? Has no. <laughs> we use well, Traceba. It, it's. Um, I don't know if it's like Traceba. It's it's an injectable. You do it once a, once a week. Once a week. Oh wow! It's very good. Um, in fact, it's so good at making people lose weight that there's a black market for the drug for people who do not have diabetes but just want to lose some weight. I lost about 15 pounds on it. Everybody loses about that amount. Are you type one or type two? Two. That maybe it maybe it maybe just for type two. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure. Well, what? And are you using the? Oh, wait. And then another question: um, Are you using the uh, the button? The hoo-wah-ha? Are you using the button? Um, I don't know what it's. Uh, let me remember what it's called. Um, it's it's a button. You you. It's it's like it's um. You put it on every. You put it on once every two weeks, and it's an implant that goes into your arm, and then you can scan your blood sugar through your phone. Oh, yeah. We you don't have to finger prick. Oh, we have buttons. I push them all the time on Jim. Uh, Shut up, yeah. woman. <laughs> yes. The, no, but we do. We do have a, a continuous glucose monitor. Okay. We don't have to push a, a button or scan it. It, it's, um, it does it automatically. It uploads to our telephones. Well, and beeps okay. all night long. Actually, we, yeah. we have candlestick phones. Uh, right. <laughs> Diabetic Fury this Saturday night. We will be joined by Ed Larson, whose new movie is How America Killed My Mother. And we will have sketches and songs and talk about diabetes. And we will discuss the various tiers uh, later on in the show. And Th the fucking first lady will be there. And the too. first lady. Yes. Thank you. First lady. Thank you, Davey. Thank you so much. Mark Always Breslin, thank you, Professor Adnan Hussein, and thank you, Jim Earl, and thank you, First Lady Melania Trump. Mark Breslin joins us from Toronto, Canada. He is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks. Maybe you'll come to one of our diabetic furies. We, we do a fundraiser for... Uh, I might do it. Saturday nights, I'm busy uh, eating a big chocolate cake, <laughs> usually. But uh, other than that, maybe I'll, I'll see what I can do, okay? When, when well, were I have a question you... for you. Yes, sir. And my question is, whenever you introduce me, you say from Toronto, Canada, as if people wouldn't know where Toronto is. Is that true? In America? 
Yeah. They, well, Americans to your show. My Americans don't even know where America is. Okay. Yeah, Toronto, right. Canada. I I think so. But don't you think it's ridiculous? You're watching an action movie, like a spy movie or something, and up comes the Chiron on the screen when they moved to a different location. And we'll say London, England, as <laughs> if you know they don't know where London is. Well, Come there's on. London, Ontario. You know it wouldn't happen there. There's really London, Lee. London, Ontario. What about London, Lee? Love London, Lee. London, Lee. He just passed away. There's a great, he had a great hook, and you know he wasn't rich. None of that stuff was real. Really? He just made it up. No, okay, he was not Tell people who London Lee was. Uh, I guess in the 60s, maybe into the 70s, there was a guy named London Lee uh, who was a comic. He would go on the Sullivan Show a lot, and his whole the thing was he was so rich that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Because uh, everybody else does those jokes about, I'm so poor that this, I'm so poor that I, that I do that. His hook was the opposite. I'm so rich that. And he looked rich. He made himself look rich. And the the joke, of course, the in, inside joke was he wasn't rich at all. He was not born rich or right. brought up rich, but he thought of this as a hook and it really worked. Yes, yes. So tell us how comedy is doing here in the United States. We're hitting record levels. It, it's spread to the Midwest. And while the vaccines are reportedly 95% effective, we still don't have them. And people are being told not to travel for Thanksgiving. They're traveling anyway. We're running out of beds. How is it up in Canada? Well, there's been an enormous spike um, over the past month. And now most of the province of Ontario is completely locked down. Uh, Toronto, for sure, is locked down. Um, the only things that are open are, you know, uh, uh, pharmacies, uh, supermarkets, places like that. But all retail is closed. You can do click and collect if you want, but everything is closed. All all indoor dining is finished. So they announced on Friday that Sunday would be the last day for indoor dining of any kind. Right. So, so what people do, even for patio dining, sorry, even patio dining, indoor dining, I'm sorry, indoor dining has already been closed down for a while, but they still had patio dining. So what happened was it snowed on Sunday night, but people still sat there shivering in the cold with the snow falling into their soup um, (laughs) because they wanted to have that last damn experience being out at a restaurant. You can't do it now. There's no restaurants open. Nothing. It's all closed. Now, in America, we have something called Orthodox Jews. We have them here, too. Not the way we have them. No, we have them here, too. But they're not as stupid. No, we have them here, too. No, these are really, we have. I I know exactly the kind of people you're talking about, and we have them here, too. There's an area in Toronto where you go up and everybody, you see old men of all ages. The 13-year-old old men, the 16-year-old old men, the 100-year-old old men, but they're all old men. Now they're this walking is, back and forth to shul all the time. Okay. The big the big hats, with they look like they're sanders, they're belt sanders or something, right? Yeah. We're talking about the same guy. Yeah, they're the ones who wear uh, black after Labor Day. They're uh, Satmar, they're, I think they're Satmar Hasids. So, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York will be cracking down on a Brooklyn synagogue for hosting an underground wedding last month. 
Yoel Teitelbaum. He's the grandson of Satmar Grand Rabbi Aaron Teitelman. Got married, and his guests showed up maskless, didn't social distance. Kind of a big wedding. 7,000 people at this Cretan's wedding. 7,000 maskless Orthodox Jews. I mean, what do you do with these people? I don't know. First of all, I find it interesting that the grandson of the rabbi whose last name was Teitelman yes! changed his name to Title Bob. <laughs> what, what an idiot. Teitelman was religious enough. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> like really like isn't it supposed to wait uh, normally it would, it would be the other way you know so he can be in show business but i guess in his business he's more more likely to be respected if he goes you know full hasid uh-huh uh, it was originally scheduled uh, for ten thousand, but they went down to seven thousand coming because to- they only wanted their their special friends and family <laughs> So, yes. By the way, the couple is registered at Ventilators Are Us. (laughs) What You know, Orthodox Jews, I don't remember them being this stupid. I do. I have one guy in my family who was brought up like Reformed Jewish, and then he just flipped. And to the aggrievement of his of his family he became one of those people who shuffles back and forth from home to shul to back to home back to shul every single day and i always liked him he was such a great guy it was so much fun and i hadn't seen him in a long time and i ran into him and he said you really must come and somehow he had he adopted he adopted an accent, which he didn't have when he was a teenager. But now he has an accent. He says, you really come and come to shul with me. You don't know my children. I want you to meet my children. I want you to meet my wife. And I went, okay. And I did it. So I go up to his neighborhood, which is the neighborhood I described. Right. And he says, here, put this on. And he puts on one of those huge hats on me, the Strummel hats. Oh, oh, what an idiot I am that I didn't get a shot of that. (laughs) But I did. Anyway, we go to this horrible, sad synagogue, which was in somebody's basement um, with, you know, like the cheap mock pine paneling. And you see these guys shuffling back and forth and back and forth. And they're moving their heads back and forth and back and forth some more. And, And he's just you have to join in. So I moved my head back and forth and back and forth. And I just kept moving my head back and forth. And I have a sore neck. I have some arthritis in my neck. So I was really making a commitment here. Uh Um, And he would tell me what was being said. He would point to something. So now they're talking about the inferiority of women to men. It's very good part. (laughs) And so I'm listening to this stuff. And uh, at the end of it, he says, okay, now we let's walk home to my, uh, to my, to my uh, house. Uh, let me just ask the rabbi uh, what the best root is. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he picks out the route so we know where to travel. It's not a dangerous neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It's not like that at all. It's like a semi-suburban neighborhood. So he finds out the route that they're on, that they're taking today. And we shuffled. Uh, I learned how to shuffle, you know, like them. <laughs> um, it might be the hat. It wears you down. But anyway, we, we take the hat. The, and he didn't put on tefillin, which was mad. I was quite upset about because I always thought there was something really kind of Lower East Side heroin underground about those to, that tefillin. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, oh, why not put this weird box on your forehead um, and, and try to act normal? No, I don't think I can do that. Thank you. Um, I saw my father put on felon once when I was a kid and I screamed and cried. <laughs> it was it, the scariest thing I've ever seen. Well, you're right. It is. It, it, they're leather straps that can be used for and probably are used to shoot heroin as well to find a van. But did, you didn't use the prof- prophylactic. They're called phylacteries. That I, I was raised in an Orthodox temple, so I laid to fillin and I wore yes. sissus. Oh, I never wore the tzitzits. Wow. No. With the no, little. I never wore those. I didn't try the tzitzit. I For my bar mitzvah, I learned how to put on tzitzit, but I never actually put them put it on. But I stayed it in case I ever got into bondage with them. <laughs> so I already have the stuff already, right? Well, so it does It good. does make sense. The phylacteries make sense in that if you're going to pray. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to focus. And I find that if you take these leather straps and constrict the flow of oxygen to your brain, it makes you dumb enough to believe there's a God. And then you can know that the phylacteries are necessary to remind you that you're praying, that it's a, some kind something's touching your skin and it, and it puts you in a place so that you can you can pray. But these these orthos. They, 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 it wasn't like this when I was a kid. This is beyond. Well, you know that the only growth seg- segment of Judaism is Orthodox Jews now. That um, Reform Judaism has an incredible crisis. No one's coming. No one's joining temples um, because it's too much like regular life. It's too easy, I guess. Right. If I joined a temple, I would only join a Reform temple. And in fact, I used to love to go to Reform temple against the wishes of my parents because most of my friends belong to the big um, or, or uh, reform temple. And the rabbi there was a guy named Abraham Feinberg. And Feinberg is famous because he was friends with John and Yoko. And if you take a look at that bed in in Montreal that they had in 68, really take a look over to the side and who do you see sitting on the floor, but Abraham Feinberg. And he, Feinberg and, and, and he was the one cutting the hole in those sheets. He, he used a roto-rooter uh, because he was a very, he wasn't just a good rabbi. He was extremely efficient. He found he could put 10, 12 sheets together and just, you know, punch out the hole for all of them so the whole community could use them. He got in trouble later because he was cutting holes in the Ku Klux Klan sheets for the Orthodox Ku Klux Klan members. Now, there aren't a lot of them, but the ones who who did exist got most of their whole like holy sheets from, from Rabbi Feinberg. This is another thing about Feinberg you're not going to believe, but you're going to think this is a bit, but it's not. He was also famous because he married a dog and a cat once to kind of show, make a statement about tolerance. Um, he was a real groundbreaker. Wait, 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 wait. So Yoko remarried? A cat? Yes. I guess you didn't know that. <laughs> no, I didn't know. Um, the question is, was it a dog or a cat? <laughs> <laughs> he married a dog and a cat. He married a dog and a cat. The, the congregation was outraged, but that's why they had him in there in the first place. Did they wish he had it? another they... career earlier on in the 30s as a, um, uh, a what do you call it, a, um, as, a, as a singer. He had a number of hits in a kind of Rudy Valley kind of way with a megaphone and everything, and then he became a rabbi. Fascinating guy. Wow. I loved going to his to his uh, sermons because he would say, 
ladies and gentlemen, tonight, we're going to talk about the lyrics of Bob Dylan. Mm. So what's not to like? Right. So I loved it. Anyway, we're, we're getting a bit off topic, which is the idiocy of these these orthodox um, people. So let's get back onto that because I love writing on them. Yeah, they have to get it together. And they and they're, people aren't flocking to the orthodox Jews. The orthodox Jews are flocking one another. They're, they're, they've become fertile. Well, that's because they're mother flockers. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why there's so many orthos is because they don't they don't they reproduce a lot. They have lots they of do. kids. They're told that it's a mitzvah to have children and they have eight, nine children. The orthodox are having one kid and, um, you know, that's enough for them. The reform are having one kid. Sorry? You said the Orthodox, the Reform are having. No, no, the Orthodox are having, yeah. The Orthodox are having nine children and the Reforms are having one. Right. So do the math. Right. The, the communities are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more powerful politically in the States, not in Canada, uh, but it, it definitely in, in the States. There's, isn't there a, a community north of New York, I think, called Mun, Muncie? No. Where they've taken over the school board, but they don't send yeah. their kids to public schools. That's, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and I find them extre- I find them extremely scary because let me get back to my cousin. Good. So my, my cousin says, come over. So I go over to his house. His house is the darkest house I've ever been in. Everything is ma- made of mahogany, even the food. So you know, it's so dark and depressing. And, he, and before we get there, he says to me, hey, listen, just when you're with my kids, don't talk about Star Wars or Disney. They know nothing of this stuff because it's very, very, it's, it's completely trafe. It's completely um, unholy. And I said, uh, okay, but what should I talk to them about? He said, there's lots of things you can talk to them about. You can talk to them about Talmud. You can talk to them about Komshe. You can talk about, and then he lists all these religious texts right. that I could talk to them about, which, of course, I know nothing about. They're mentally. It was, one it, of the longest, it was one of the longest dinners that I've ever spent, and I think it was only 48 minutes. Right. At the end of it, he, he said, um, do you, we insist you stay here for the night. And I said, I insist I don't. I said, well, we don't want you to have to do something, you know, irreligious, like take a cab back to your house. And I said, I won't do that. It's a beautiful night. It was May. I said, I'll, I'll walk. It's a really nice night. He said, are you sure? And I said, I'm sure. So I walked out the side street to the main street and I held a cab as fast as I possibly could. And it, I never, ever think I'd like to go to a strip club now but on that day on uh, that evening I wanted to go to a strip club because I had to wash off the filth of religion that I had uh, endure for the past you know couple of hours uh-huh. Uh-huh. they some of them since by the way there was? This was 10 years ago I have not seen him since right you, by the way when you I was w- there I, you went to an orthodox strip club right no, I don't know about that. Tell yeah. me about it. Uh, <laughs> give, start. I like the setup. Uh, the strippers give the guys money. I don't know. But there's something there. Uh, an Orthodox strip club. They make it when <laughs> they make it rain. There's water. <laughs> you know, make it rain, ladies, and the men throw money. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But at an Orthodox. When they say make it rain, <laughs> it rains water because well, nobody's it's the strip- only strip club where the strippers try to chew you down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so uh right, my mind is going into uh an orthodox strip club let me focus on other things okay. the i i hear they show ankle <laughs> I know some devout Orthodox Jews. I've been to their holidays. Some of them are very happy because they've given up on the idea of assimilation. They say it's never going to happen. We're never going to be accepted. We're we're just going to completely cut ourselves off from the world. I get that. You know, if you I re- want to talk about assimilation of Jews, you only have to think of a number of names. Jared Kushner, um, Epstein, uh, Harvey Weinstein. They're, they were very, very well uh, integrated into the community. <laughs> so there. Yeah, well, and the Kushners are devout. Yeah, I know. Well, they're not like Satmar devout. They're just go to a synagogue and the women sit in a different place. Will they pay a price? Uh, will they be punished. There are certain people, people don't change, right? There's nothing, nothing is going to occur to Ivanka and Jared that they, that they led. Look, my father said it best. He said that he was a prick before Auschwitz and he was a prick after Auschwitz. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about somebody who survived yeah, the some camp. Guy, some guy yeah. knew. He said it was a prick before Auschwitz. He was a prick after Auschwitz. Uh-huh. People, people don't change. People don't change. No, actually, that's not true. I actually believe, and I think I, I, I always talk to psychologists about this. Um, I think people can change 15%. Hmm. I think that's, people are capable of changing 15% or so. But a complete about face? No, I don't think so. If you confront somebody and, yeah. and, and their behavior You've known them for 10 years and you say that, you know, this is what you've done that you're and you need to treat people better. I have found that occasionally somebody I'll say, look, this is, you know, I love you, but this is what you're doing wrong. And this is why a lot of people don't want to work with you or work for you. And they go, wow, thank you. Uh, I'm going to do better. And uh, they stop speaking to me. <laughs> that's how yeah. they, yeah, that's they, you know, they, they, they can't. Uh, I don't know. I think I've changed a little. I think I've mellowed. I'm not sure that's the same as changing. Or maybe I'm just exhausted. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I also think that um, women are better at changing than men. Yes. If I can throw that out as a Because there are seasons to their lives. That's you know, right. they have periods. So yes. they, they, they're, they're in tune with the clock and then their periods stop. And it's either because they're old, you know, they've gotten older or they're having a baby. They can, they, their bodies change. They, yes, men, men. I think one of the great tragedies in relationships between men and women, by the way, is that uh, men, um, it, Men expect women to stay the same, and they don't. And men expect, uh, sorry, and women expect men to change, and they don't. Say that again, please. Because that's my PhD thesis. Oh, but say it um, again. I don't. I. I, I, you- I think one of the great tragedies in relationships of all kinds is that men generally expect women to stay the same, 
and they don't. Right. And women expect men to change and they don't. Right. That's really interesting. You know, that's what I've noticed. Here's something else I've noticed. I've noticed, and again, of course, there's exceptions. I've noticed that men, as they age, generally become mellower and gentler, and women, as they age, become more brittle and angry. Hmm. And again, that's a generalization, and I'm sure that there are lots of examples where that's not true, but I wonder whether that has something to do with uh, hormones and that men, you know, start to produce estrogen late in their lives, and women start to produce uh, the other uh, testosterone later in their lives. So the longer we live, if we could live to be 250, eventually we would transition. We'd become women and women would become men. Well, we only have to hope for that day when we become two. Uh, we're 250 and we're, uh, we've changed our genders and we can't do anything with it. <laughs> we don't want to do I, I've become, we have to, I want to run the show on time today. I know. Uh, I, well, Mussolini did it with the Jews. Why, <laughs> why shouldn't you do it with the show? I have become interested in monkeys because we have Dr. Jennifer Verlin on the show. And she says that we're more akin to monkeys than we are gorillas. And I was watching a documentary about monkeys over the weekend and Troops of monkeys, when a male becomes a beta, they throw him out of the troop. That you can only be an alpha male in a monkey troop. Otherwise, you're just sent out into the woods with no teeth. Nobody, they, they leave you to die. And I wonder well, can how. I just say right here, in terms of in human terms, I have two words for you. Yeah. Beat best. <laughs> Uh, I think subconsciously, we're afraid, as men, we're afraid of being thrown out of, of the tribe. We're afraid of getting, we fight getting older. We hate the thought of being useless because our monkey past tells us that we'll be isolated and left all alone. Could be true. And I've also noticed that old, the older men get, the less likely they're going to eat a banana. <laughs> all right mark breslin is the founder and president of yuck yucks the largest comedy chain in north america what's going on with comedy are you going to close all the clubs no, we're going to open we're going to open all the clubs that the government allows us to open remember it's it's a provincial matter um, and a city matters, so it changes from place to place. Right now, we're opening both clubs in Alberta. We're opening London, Ontario. We're opening uh, Ottawa because none of those places are red zones. I see. Okay. Uh, when we come back, it'll change in a month. It'll, hopefully, it'll get better. And what, well, it'll change. Maybe those places will close because they'll be red zones, and someplace else that is a red zone now will no longer be, and then we'll be able to open up again. It's a it's a shell game. It's three card money with the clubs. What do you think with the vaccines? That's a year no, away. Sure. Sure. But it's, yeah, it's six months to a year away. Right. Or um, uh, quick home testing, which is also the other right. thing which would really help. Yeah. And you don't have that the way it's just as bad in Canada as it is in the United States when it comes to testing. No, but it's it's spiked up and it, and it bothers me because we've been doing everything right. Yeah. You know, and it still spikes up, not to the extent of what it is in the United States, but it's spiked up significantly. 
Great. Because people are going inside. It's cold out. Right. Outside is safer than inside. First rule of COVID. Okay. Mark Breslin, we will talk to you next week, I hope. Uh, I hope so, too. Thank you. Coming up, Howie Klein. Oh, not Howie Klein again. The Howie Klein. Wow. Everybody welcome, Howie Klein. We got him right here, he's on the line. Howie Klein. Howie Klein. Got a good idea who might be a winner. He tell you why he's cooking up a vegan dinner. Howie Klein. Howie Klein. He's oh so smart, he got a lot of brains. He lives in San Diego where it never rains. Howie Klein. Howie Klein. What he got to say gonna blow your mind Put your hands together for Howie Klein Howie Klein Howie Klein Joining us in Los Angeles is the founder and the treasurer of the Blue America Pack which raises money for progressive and some some socialist candidates around America Howie Klein Hello Mr. Klein We have a new theme song at 7.30. The great professor Mike Steinell will be joining us. I think he, I don't think you have to move to San Diego where it never rains. I think he's, he's fixed it. Oh, good. Am I going to get a copy of it? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll wait till I have him scheduled at the bottom of the hour to, to uh, go over the fixes in in the song and then we're going to talk bob dylan with professor mike steinell who is a professor of jazz studies did you know that i did not all right so let's talk about sarkozy you had an interesting piece over down with tyranny i love the design apparently the french are able to put ex prime minister ex presidents on trial Yes, uh, you know, many countries have. Uh, you know, France is, you know, I talk about France because people relate to France as being similar to America in some ways, so it's not as foreign. But, you know, I, uh, I did a story a long time ago when I was making the case for Trump going to prison was that Marshal Pétain, uh, who was the head of state during World War II of Vichy France, and was collaborated with the Nazis and, uh, you know, shipped French Jews off to concentration camps to their deaths. He was himself, uh, tried and sentenced to death. He never got death. Um, you know, it was commuted to life imprisonment and he died in prison, I believe. Right. Can you imagine if, if Biden or Obama were president in 47 during the Nuremberg trials? They'd say, let's not put Let's not put Garing on trial. It's not good for, for, for our country. It's not good. You know, who's to say they won't try us if we ever go to war? Let's just move exactly. on. Exactly. Point. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so Sarkozy, Sarkozy, 65 and Almerd in Israel uh, went to prison. Yeah, well, uh, yes. For People rape. go to prison. People and like, I think. Some, I don't know the exact number, but I think every Korean 
president is in jail. <laughs> <laughs> and the and, and the the mayor of Seoul had the decency to uh, commit suicide this year. Talk to me about 2022. Biden is doing such a bad job as a president elect. He's been such a disaster. There's no way they're going to be able to keep the House in 2022 or take the Senate, right? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I mean, don't put words in my mouth. I wouldn't uh, necessarily go along with any of the things you just said. Well, the, what, what I'm what I'm reading, and you write about this over at DownWithTyranny.com, what I'm reading is that the Republicans have a difficult road in 2022 in the Senate, but... Well, I I mean, the point that I was trying to make wasn't that. The point I was trying to make is that everybody is saying now, all inside the Beltway folks are saying that the the Senate map favors the Democrats, and it doesn't. You know, I'm not saying that the the Democrats aren't going to win the Senate or that they are going to win the Senate. I'm just saying that it does not it it doesn't favor them. But by the way, I have a question to ask you. Okay. This this Sarkozy thing. Where did you see that? I think I saw it either on Twitter. I think your Twitter. Oh, account. okay. Because I wrote a whole story about it, but I was thinking it's not up yet. So I just went back to my office to look and, see, and it's not there. And I'm thinking, how did, how did he get it? I, but, you know, yeah, I did say something on Twitter. About yeah, you said it. something. But I did a whole story about Sarkozy. Uh, he had, his trial started today, although they went in, and then uh, you know the judge that he bribed. And said he's too sick to stay in trial, so uh, they're sending him to get an examination. Uh, so there was no trial today. Just uh, talk about how sick he was. Right, and Jacques Chirac also was convicted for something. I don't remember what it was, but yes, he was. He, you know, he was he was the one who came right before Sarkozy, and he was also a conservative, and uh, like just like Sarkozy, and. He got, you know, a very, very stern slap on the wrist. Very stern. The argument against putting Donald Trump in prison is that's what banana republics do. But, but the Nixon administration, they all went to prison except for uh, Dick, except for Richard Nixon. Sparrow Agnew didn't go to prison, but he pled no low contendere. And you had the attorney general, Mitchell. He went to prison. High ups went to prison in the Nixon administration. The attorney general went to prison. None of them were, except for Agnew, none of them were elected. So the idea of, you know, the thing is, is if you remember, you probably will, um, Obama's attorney general, Eric Holder, came in and said something about because they were being pressured to uh, try Bush and he was he was saying that we will not uh, criminalize different policy differences something like that so but, a war you know, crime is, is a policy difference what's going on with Trump Trump is uh, you know is, is an actual criminal who's who's committed actual crimes it's nothing to do with his policy differences uh, and it'll I think it's going to be a very big mistake for Biden to not uh, allow justice's wheels to turn. But, you know, on the other hand, it, it would really be a huge problem. I mean, there are 71 million or so people who voted for Trump. Uh, the majority of them uh, do not see it that way. They don't, they see him as a hero, not as a criminal. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it really basically would tear the country apart. So it's, it's very, very tough uh, because, you know, it, it's, it'll be very hard to go on, uh, you know, in a country uh, uh, claiming to be a country of, of laws if Trump doesn't get uh, um, his day in court. So, right. you know, it, it, it's, it's a really it's a really no win situation. I almost feel bad for poor Biden. Right. You write over down with Cherney that you're not a fan of his, but no. but uh, he's he's facing multiple catastrophes that Trump not only created, but is kind of perpetuating. He's kind of Trump is going out of his way to make sure that the Biden presidency is a failure. Yeah, I see it that way. And I think a lot of other people do, too. He's really trying to do everything he can to screw up the Biden presidency in the beginning. Uh, you know, he's leaving him with a recession that's going to be very, very, very deep and could turn into a depression. He's trying to do everything he can as though he uh, has already decided to run for uh, president in 2024 and then he'll run on Biden's record. Look, everything was great while I was there and then Biden came along and screwed it all up. Right. But... I would assume, who knows, that we've hit rock bottom in terms of the economy, in terms of... There's no of rock bottom, bottom with Donald Trump. No, no, no. What we, haven't, we haven't hit rock bottom with the economy. In fact, just today, I think it was Morgan Stanley, one of the big Wall Street firms, said that uh, they see a double-dip recession, very deep, starting in the first quarter. So much worse economy coming back to 10 million unemployed. They were around seven now, so they expect another uh, three million unemployed at least. And, uh, you know, no rock bottom. Don't uh, don't kid yourself. But it, you know, I don't want to say best case scenario because it wasn't the, re the Obama recovery was not great. Uh, some would say we never recovered. But once Biden becomes president, we will have hit rock bottom so that in a year or two, the economy will have turned around and Biden can claim that things are better. I, I don't know that the economy is going to turn around in a year or two. I don't know how you can say that. I mean, I, I hope it happens, but I don't see it happening. I mean, it could, but, uh, you know, it, it could also head right into a deep depression. I mean, there's no telling what's going to happen. I have uh, I'm very pessimistic about the economy. Uh, you know, Trump has hollowed it out. He, you know, when you borrow a lot of money, uh, which, which is basically he's done more than any any non-wartime president in history, and you're using it for something <clears throat> that helps create more productivity, like even education, you know, that or for health for people, you use it for things that help. That's great, but that isn't what Trump did. Trump used it for big tax cuts for the super rich. And for, uh, you know, things that he could steal money from and, for, and, no, and nothing that he spent all these trillions of dollars on uh, did anything to help the country. So we're, we're in a very, very bad situation there. He he invested poorly. OK, our it, money. It seems to me recent history says that Republicans like recessions. It suits them well. They like to crash the economy and then rebuild it. They like to practice austerity. No, no, no. They like to crash the economy and let the Democrats rebuild it. Right. The Republicans don't rebuild the economy. 
Right. They like to and they like to loot the economy and yeah. and and wait for the Democrats to, to bail out the, the companies that they've destroyed. So it seems to me that Biden will have no choice but to practice Keynesian economics. He's got Janet Yellen over at Treasury. She used to head the Federal Reserve. She is part of the problem, but she did speak to income inequality when she was chairman of the Federal Reserve. In goddamn time. What? Everyone is going to talk about this till the end of her life that she happened to say, so maybe somebody gave her some acid that day. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he's you know, gonna... Worse than making her the Secretary of the Treasury, that which is bad enough, he did something much, much worse, actually. And that was uh, to name the, uh, the head of the Office of Management and Budget. Um, a guy, uh, what's his name? Reed. Uh, what's his first name? I can't remember his first name. Uh, who was the father of American austerity. You think that would be a Republican, but this happens to be a Democrat who was a very close advisor of Biden and he was the head of the DLC and he is Mr. Austerity and that's what he believes in. He, you, you'll remember him and this might uh, make you think of his name because he was the executive director of Simpson Bowles. And his whole thing was, you know, we are going to be tough and macho enough to do what no one would dare do. We will cut Social Security. And this is going to be Biden's OMB? Yeah, he was named the head of the OMB already, which and nothing goes through without getting a thumbs up from the OMB. Nothing. Uh, every rule has to go through OMB before it's uh, before it's approved. And he didn't need he didn't need Mitch McConnell's. Approval for this. Mitch McConnell will lick his everything to get him in there. Mitch McConnell would be would be joyous to have him be there because he's he's worse than a Republican. So Biden is so Jim Earl earlier was complaining that Biden don't even give him a honeymoon, that this is a complete neoliberal yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you want to use complete or not, but it's going in that direction. He, it's, we don't have the complete picture yet. So far, I'm not enthusiastic about anyone he's named to anything. Uh, let's hope he's saving the good ones for last. What What do you see? What do you see that's hopeful that that makes you say, "Look, the holiday seasons are coming up. I'm going to think good thoughts about." Biden. Is there anything? I've hated Biden since 1973. I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But is, is there anything that leaves you hopeful? Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll name a couple of decent people um, to his cabinet. I'm sure there'll be a progressive. They always give, they throw the progressives a bone. Uh, with labor usually. So there'll be someone who gets secretary of labor who will be progressive. It won't be Bernie, but it'll be someone decent, probably. Do I am I wrong for having any sympathy with Biden when I say you can't get the cabinet approved unless it goes through the Republicans? The McConnell has he's probably going to have the Senate. I'll ask you about that in a second. He's probably going to be the majority leader. If you have McConnell then it's a co-presidency when it comes to picking the, the cabinet, right? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's going to depend on how many Republicans, because uh, there are a number of institutional-type Republicans 
who think that a, a president is entitled to whatever cabinet he wants. And they might not go along with, with McConnell if McConnell has some plan to, uh, to sabotage, uh, the cabinet. So, so we don't know yet. We'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, I, I think the signal from, uh, the Senate has been, don't worry, we'll, we'll approve your cabinet or at least most of them. So, like, in other words, if he tries to name, uh, which he won't, Bernie to be Secretary of Labor, you know, maybe in a case like that, they'll say no. But, but I think the kind of people that Biden is going to be attracted to for his cabinet, I think those, those people aren't going to be a problem for uh, McConnell. Right, because there was a piece I read in The Times either yesterday or the day before saying that the, the, the uh, approval process has changed dramatically under McConnell, that uh, I think Hillary Clinton, when she was up for secretary of state, I think only two people in the Senate voted against her. And this was when Obama was president. Now it's like unimaginable. But anybody who Biden. Very different now, that's right. And it's going to stay that way. There's nothing. No, no. I mean, there's going to be some kind of a push towards from the Senate also, from some senators and some Republican senators, maybe enough to say, hey, you know, let's back away from the the precipice that uh, Trump brought us to and let's try to uh, work a little bit you know, gradually a little bit more closely to the way it used to be. So, you know, especially people who aren't running for re-election and don't have to worry about crazy Trump uh, primary mobs. You know, a guy like Pat Toomey, as well as people like, uh, you know, who you'd expect this from, like uh, Susan Collins, uh, Mitt Romney. Although I I hear Mitt Romney is going to have a big uh, primary. Did you hear about that yet? No, no. Yes, Trump's got uh, candidates running against him. So that means Romney has to pivot. No, to you're supposed to say who? Oh, who? Scott Bale. Bale. Scott Bale. No, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he'll do it, but that he said he, he said he would. He said he's thinking about it. Well, that would be entertaining. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> How about Trump 2024? Do you think that would be entertaining? Well, what, you know, I wanted to ask you about uh, 2022 in the Senate and who actually okay. is vulnerable. Uh, but since you brought it up, what happens to Trump? I think he goes off and makes a fortune. I think he's going to make billions. I think he's going to be able to pay back everything and live happily Perhaps. ever. He's a lot of legal liability uh, that is outstanding and he's going to have to deal with. Uh, but yes, he'll probably you know make some money out of this. He's been good at that his whole life, turning uh, adversity into profit. But we'll see. Uh, you know, if you go anyway, I don't know. I have no uh, no insights into it. In terms of um, you know him winding up in prison, I, I don't. I, that would be my sincerest wish, but I don't see it. Right, and that's horrible for the country not to put him in prison. It's it's, people would say it's horrible for the country to put him in prison. We're saying it would it would, uh, you know, then the Republicans would be looking to put a Democrat in prison somewhere down the line, just like they got even um, for the impeachment of Nixon by impeaching Bill Clinton on a blowjob. Right. 
But we're either a nation of laws or we're not. And we either have. I know that we're not. I'm sorry. I said, I'm sure you already know that we're not. However, when you look at Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani challenging the election results, going before a Republican judge in Pennsylvania who throws these cases out without merit, you, you do see that given given the opportunity, our legal system will rise to the occasion, that, that they can objectively look at a case. You're, you're doing just trying to get me going, right? Well, I, I think I think that you could try Donald Trump and his family in our court system and get convictions. We did put Manafort away and we put oh, Roger I, Stone I, away. He got pardoned, I, but I think you could. But I don't think politically it's, it's feasible, uh, for, especially for someone like Biden to do. I mean, maybe if Bernie was president. Uh, it would be more likely. I just can't see Biden doing something like that. He's, you know, Mr. Nonpartisan or bipartisan or right. kiss and makeup. It so is a good idea, to, but it is. Uh, you it, want to talk about the Senate in 2022 and who's vulnerable and who's yeah, not? In a, in a second. It would, be, it would have been a good, it would have been good if Bill Clinton uh, was removed from office and sent to prison for lying under oath. And then we would have gotten Al Gore and he would have been president. Anybody can do these jobs. This idea that Clinton was indispensable, that any of these presidents. Can't. They all think they're indispensable. Right. Well, we have to what we have to start. We, we have to change our mindset and recognize that anybody within reason can be the president and you can replace that person and. Put the old president in jail and have a new president. But this great man of history theory should not apply to the president. Go ahead. Let's talk about the Senate. Who's vulnerable? So why don't I just go down the uh, the list of, okay. of, uh, of seats that are going to be contested? Great. So there's Alabama, where Democrats, you know, it's a joke. They're not going to run. Uh, Richard Shelby, who used to be a Democrat, as a matter of fact, May retire. He hasn't. He hasn't decided yet. In Alaska, Lisa Murkowski is up, so she can once again lose the Republican primary, like she did last time, but win anyway. Uh, that's how. That's how independent that state is. Uh, Mark Kelly, remember, he, he even though he just won, it was just a remainder of a term. So mm-hmm. now he has he has to run again in 2022. I wouldn't call that a safe seat. Uh, you know, just because Arizona turned once to the Democrats doesn't mean they're necessarily going to do it again. So we'll see. Um, uh, Arkansas is a Republican state. It's completely safe. The Democrats have no shot there. Just like the Republicans don't have much of a shot in California or in Colorado or in, in um, Connecticut. Those are all those seats are up in Florida. You'd think Marco Rubio would be a great target, and he'll be talked about in the media as a great target. But, you know, we're talking about the worst Democratic Party in the in the country uh, in terms of Florida. And they have no bench, and they have no ability to elect anybody to anything uh, statewide. So I would say that Marco Rubio is quite safe, even though the media will treat it otherwise. Then whoever wins the um, – whoever wins on January 5th in Georgia – that person 
is up for real in, 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 in not in the Purdue seat, but in the Kelly Loeffler seat. That that um, I don't know how, how do I get this to go away. Is that your Billy Big Mouth Bass? Billy Big Bass. That was that's my cell phone. Someone who calls me every time you and I get on the get on the air. Uh, so you know, good. They went away. Okay. Uh, so. Um, yeah, so in Georgia, so the, the Kelly Loeffler seat, who, if she wins, she's going to be up again in two years. And if Reverend Warnock wins, he's going to be up. So that's going to be a lively, uh, a lively race. Hawaii is safe for the Democrat. Uh, Idaho is safe for the Republican. Illinois probably safe. I'm assuming that Tammy Duckworth will run again and she'll win. She's popular and she hasn't done any real harm. In Indiana, I mean, you know, the Democrats will talk about, you know, challenging Todd Young, but the reality is they don't have a party there, and they don't have a bench, and they don't have anything going for them. It's not even a statewide party anymore. They've got a couple little pockets here and there, and they can't win statewide. Iowa, they're still talking about, well, you know, what if... I'm sorry. Sorry. Can you hear me? What if if Grassley retires, or what if Grassley just doesn't retire, or or whatever? But the the fact of the matter is, is that we just saw the Democrats drop you know, immense millions of dollars into Iowa and lose every up and down the ballot, just terribly, terribly everywhere. It's just turned more and more Republican. So I, I, I'd say that the Republicans don't have to worry too much about uh, the Democrats taking Iowa, ditto in Kansas, ditto in Kentucky, where uh, Ron, uh, Rand Paul is up for election, but I don't think he's got a problem. In Maryland, you know, Chris uh, Van Hollen is trying to, you know, gin up some fundraising, so he's saying, oh, he could be in trouble. Uh, but it's not going to happen. He's fine. Uh, Roy Blunt in Missouri is up. Democrats always talk about winning in Missouri, but they don't. I'm going to try. But, uh, Claire but, McCaskill. Yeah, that's, that's quite some time ago. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, didn't was it her whose husband died in a plane crash in the, in the middle of the election or something like that? Some, there was some some circumstance that got her in there the, in by the, by a, a nose. Nevada is pretty safe for a Democrat, although the Republicans might challenge uh, Catherine Cortez Masto, who is many good. Ditto in uh, New Hampshire, where Republicans may um, challenge Maggie Hassan, who is many good. And then in New York, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it would be awesome if AOC decides to take on Chuck Schumer, but I don't really see that happening. Uh, that would be the primary, and then the Republicans would make a play for the state, which they'd lose. Uh, then uh, Richard um, Burr in North Carolina, he's retiring, and you know, I mean, I'm sure the Democrats will make will try, but you know, they just lost this one, and you know, it'll be Schumer who picks whoever runs, and he'll always pick someone bad who can't win. So mm-hmm. count on that. North Dakota, you know, no problems with the Republicans. Ohio, the Democrats will target that and just dump a ton of money into it and lose. They're not going to win. They're, they're the Ohio Democratic Party is almost as bad as the Florida Democratic Party, and Rob Portman is relatively popular, and I don't think he's got a problem. Uh, unless, unless the Trumpists decide they're going to, uh, you know, try to sabotage the Republican Party. They threatened that already in Georgia, where they're calling on a boycott. The Trumpists are literally calling for people to boycott the January 5th runoff. They're calling on, you know, extreme lunatic Trumpists. Trump is vote. saying to boycott it. Is that what you're saying? No, not Trump. I'm Trumpists. 
Oh, Trumpists are calling a boycott. Yeah. And I understand corporates and corporate CEOs are telling Trump that if he doesn't quit this nonsense, they're going to stop funneling money to the candidates in Georgia. Well, I don't think Trump cares about the candidates in Georgia one way or the other. He only cares about Trump. Uh, Oklahoma is safe from the Republican James Lankford. Uh, Oregon is safe for Ron Wyden. Then uh, Pennsylvania is the, here, here we get to the first state all the way down the list where uh, Pat Toomey is retiring. And I think that's that's the Democrats best chance for a pickup. There's uh, Tim Scott in South Carolina has no problem. John Thune in South Dakota has no problem. Mike Lee in Utah has no problem. Pat Leahy, is, uh, I think he's 150 now, and I think he wants to run for another seat. I think he started running in 1874, so he missed <laughs> right. being a man uh, during the Civil War, but came in right after. Right. Uh, in Washington, Patty Murray doesn't have a problem. And then Wisconsin is interesting because... Um, they have a neo-Nazi uh, senator, uh, Ron Johnson, right. and Johnson said he wouldn't run, but then he said he would run. So now no one knows in either party if he's going to run or not run. The Democrats already have a pretty good candidate uh, running named Tom Nelson, um, and then some clown in Congress uh, says he's going to run also, uh, Mark Pocan, but he's silly and no one takes him We used to like Mark Pocan. I did, but I got known better. Right. Um, What did we learn from November 3rd? Was there a trickle? There there were a lot of cases, cases, a lot of uh, elections that are still being counted. Well, there aren't very many. There are just a few. Uh, and in every single one of those cases, the Republican is leading. Doesn't mean that the Republican will win in the end, but they're all leading. So think of it as pretty much done. Okay. And uh, so how know, big? How what's the margin? Case. What's the margin that Nancy Pelosi has in the House? How many extra seats does she have? Well, let's put it like this. I, I uh, you know, there is there, it could vary by one or two, but let's put it this way. There is there is a room. I'm, I wrote about this for tomorrow. I hate to blow my story because it's kind of a scoopy. But uh, um, there's a rumor that w- that was going around today that McCarthy is making a play to flip five Democrats. He feels if he flips five Democrats, cause, see, no one knows exactly. Uh, and if he, if he thinks if he flips, flips five Democrats and they become Republicans and he has certain ways to do that, and I'll go into that in a minute, that he can then become the speaker in January. So he thinks that that's a feasible thing, and he's going after some 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 that he has a shot to do it with, and some that are insane. So so first of all, what he's got to hold over their heads, there's going to be redistricting. So for example, uh, Tim Ryan in in Ohio is going to be redistricted out of his seat. So McCarthy can say, you know, you, you can keep your seat, just be a Republican, and. Um, I'll, I'll guarantee you that you'll win the seat, which he can't do, but he'll say it. And um, just vote for me for speaker, become become a independent or, or a Republican. But, and, and a couple of me- or one member of Congress particularly told me that he thought that could happen, and I don't. Uh, Tim Ryan, I don't like Tim Ryan, 
But Tim Ryan is an old-style labor Democrat, and I don't see him going over to the Republican Party under any circumstance. However, there are others who, who could be convinced. The, the most likely ones all just got defeated. You know, Kendra Hendrick, uh, Kendra Horn would have done it. Um, Joe Cunningham might have done it. Uh, you know, Max Rose might have done it. There are definitely a few who have no real allegiance to the Democratic Party at all, and they were they were all blue dogs, and they were defeated. But there are a few who who McC- McConnell is is uh, not McConnell, sorry, McCarthy is focusing on now, and he's trying to talk a couple of them into it. And I, I doubt it's going to work. It, it, it's a real long shot. Uh, you know, the, the, the most obvious one would be, would be uh, Anthony Brindisi in upstate New York. But Anthony Brindisi looks like he's going to lose also. He's behind, but he's only behind by 300 votes. All the votes are counted, except the disputed vote ballots that a judge is going to have to decide if they get counted or not. So New York uh, 22, that district, is a complete mess. And you've got a really ugly situation there. You've got the worst Democrat in the House, Anthony Brindisi, and you've got... And it was a rematch with one of the worst Republicans who was in the House before Brindisi beat her, Claudia Tenney. And they're both so horrible that there aren't words. Neither of them deserves to be, not deserves, neither of them is fit to be in Congress. So neither of them is fit to have any kind of public office. They're both just absolutely terrible. But anyway, he would be the most likely um, to flip like that. And, and there, there were a couple of others who, who could be talked, who could, might be able to be talked into it. You know, if, let me give you an example. So Jim Costa in the Central Valley here in California, another blue dog, just a total piece of sh- Am I allowed to curse or not? No. Okay. A piece. <laughs> total piece. Uh, he, um, he, he's finished with Congress. He doesn't like it anymore. He doesn't want to be in Congress. He wants to be the ambassador to Portugal. He's Portuguese. And that's how he wants to finish off his career as ambassador to Portugal. And he's made it very clear. So if Biden doesn't appoint him, I could see him flipping over to, um, uh, uh, to the Republicans. Like that, that's one I could see. And there, there were, there are a couple like that who each one has an extraordinary circumstance. And frankly, if you, uh, I don't remember them all, but I wrote about it, uh, for tomorrow. And if you want to know about it, just read my blog tomorrow. <laughs> it's got the whole list and the circumstances. At com. I, I want to bring Professor Mike Steinel and uh, I don't know if you've ever met, uh, he, is, I haven't, but this is the guy who, who did my theme song, right? Yes, let me bring in Professor... Yeah, I would say I have to go now because I do, but I, but I really do want to thank him. Well, let me... Uh, there we go. Professor Mike Steinel joins us. He's written a lot it. of... He's written a lot I of our... It. Th- now, you fixed it. Hi, Mike. Oh, he, went, he left? <laughs> Are you there? Uh, Howie's no. here. Howie's here. Go oh, ahead, man. Professor Mike Steinel. I fixed your song, man. I'm sorry about the inaccuracies about the San Diego thing. And, and, it bothered um, me, Mike. It bothers David. Well, I fixed it for David then. And also, I, I had a thing in there, you cooking a, a vegan dinner, but you're a, you're a vegetarian. So, so I fixed those no, two I, parts of I, this. I actually eat fish, but when I, I, I cook most of my meals and I cook vegan. So I, I was a chef a long time ago, and uh, I and I was a vegan chef, and now I'm a chef again, and at my home for me and Roland, and I cook. I only cook vegan. I should say almost always cook vegan. What's a if you eat I fish? Agree. Is that a pescatarian? A vegan. I'm sorry. Is a fish? If you eat fish, you're a pescatarian. 
I guess I eat fish like you know once every week or two. You know, if you ate fish that only ate fish, you would be a pesca pescatarian. <laughs> that's from <laughs> that's from Silicon Valley. That's a line from Silicon Valley. That's you know what? I, I as we're talking, I loaded the song into my mixer but it's not showing up because my life is hell hang on for one second it should be there where is it mike i I really want to get a copy of that song can you uh, you if david shares me your email i'll send it out tonight uh you know what he's trying to get it from me i don't know why but i've been asking him for several months i'm afraid you're going to get it and and not uh, do the show anymore professor mike steinel we're going to have to play these two new versions next week you and i will, will talk <laughs> i i've been ha- i i'm so fr- I, I don't want to curse but i loaded okay. them into the mixer and they're not showing up but uh okay well next week yeah can you say but we'll talk professor steinel right? of course okay of course how we hey, what are you a professor of jazz studies jazz studies oh that's right uh right you told me that david yeah. very cool he's where, amazing where in, in la jolla no, no, no. University of North Texas, the school that started the jazz education business in 1947. We started wow. giving degrees in jazz education or in jazz. Actually, it was called Dance Man back then. But uh, so Dance in Texas. I just wrote a, a book. I think it's coming out this week on, on jazz history. Uh, his name is uh, Jeff, um, Jeff Gold, G-O-L-D, Jeff Gold. And, and I, I don't... I don't think it's out yet, but it's about to, it's, it's maybe out today or tomorrow, something like that. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it looked, it looked good to me. Well, and you I, had good information today. I was fascinated by all the information you have about candidates. It's fast. It's it's amazing. Well, okay, Professor Mike Steinel is also a. I was, a, I was just a 17 or 18. I hired Sun Ra to come and play at my school. Wow, Sun Ra. He's from Birmingham. He was from Birmingham. He was from Birmingham. His uh, he, his given name was something else, but uh, he he was I would hope. <laughs> crazy. Was he was crazy. He was amazing, and the students didn't appreciate it. I mean, I think we. I, I think I don't know. We paid him like a uh, hundred bucks, and you know, they to impeach me for it. Sun Ra and his orchestra. Orchestra, very good, very good. Yeah. Hey, I know, I know my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's fa- you know the fact that you would hire him at that time is just says a lot about you and your taste. That's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah, I don't get to talk about what we, our jazz program much. Everybody always wants to hear about you know all the hippie music, you know, with the Doors and Jimi Hendrix and those people who I hired. But uh, you know, we had a great jazz program as well. And uh, you know, I'm the most proud of Sun Rock, but we had lots and lots of good people. Wow. We should Amazing. we should uh, do you guys back to back next week again, so Professor Mike Steinel can play the uh, the new version of your love theme. I should uh, mention that Professor Steinel is a Dylanologist. Did you know that? Yes, you told me. He's he's a leading expert well, on Bob Dylan. I have underwear that says I am. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the guy who lives on the other side of the fence behind my house is like uh, one of Dylan's closest friends. Um, Can you get me his name? I I wish I could. Oh, wait, it's coming, it's coming. (laughs) The reason I should know it is because I once put out a record by him. 
he worked at WBCN and he, he recorded a record called not uh, remember the song by M called Pop Music. Talk about pop music. Probably not. But he did one called WAP Music. And uh, <laughs> nice. I'm looking for it right now so that I I, I will know his name. Uh, if, if he put his name on it, in fact. But anyway, yeah, he lives on the other side of my fence. And, and he, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if he's Dylan's single, very, you know, single best friend. But if he's not his best friend, he's like his second best friend. He's got a tight circle. So if he says he yeah. is, he's got a tight circle, I think. Yeah, everybody's so pretty I know tight. It's, uh, it's um, uh, Eddie Gordetsky. Oh, well, he created, oh, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the uh, third, not the, 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 he's a comedy writer. He is a comedy writer, and, is, he, and, and that, that you can understand why it was WAP music instead of pop music in his, his song. <laughs> he created but, uh, Mom, or yeah, the other one. on the other side of the fence, very, very, very close to Dylan, and has been for a long, long, long time. The Chuck Lorre, the, the, the Sheldon thing, the, uh, the yeah, Big yeah, Bang yeah. Theory. Yes. Yes, wow. Eddie Gordetsky. Fascinating. Anyway, time for me to get do, put the finishing touches on dinner before. What are you wrapping. making for Thanksgiving? Haven't decided yet. Okay, but uh, definitely a pumpkin pie. Great. Thank you. Howie Klein is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America Pack, and everybody should go to downwithtyranny.com. Read him every day. Thank you, Howie. We'll talk to you next week and. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, and you too. And, and thanks, David. And nice to meet you, Mike. Bye. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Great. See you next week. I am having uh, audio issues that started three weeks ago, Professor I know. Steinau. <laughs> and I, I, I'm ready to. Uh, um, let me see if I can. I heard a bit of it. Uh, yeah. Let me play you. A, can you hear this? Definitely. All right. So I, I, I bought a new soundboard, but I couldn't plug it in. Let me play you a song by the COVID players, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, Lance Jeffries, who you know, great yes. uh, trombonist. He and Lane, who lives in Siam, England, put together a version of No More Auction Block. Uh-huh. And... It's, uh, I'm going to play it for you right now, and I'd like your response. This is Lane Hewitt and Lance Jeffries and the COVID players. Thank uh-huh. 
From uh, Sam Sing and uh, Lance Jeffries, and who's playing uh, the trumpet? That's all Lance Jeffries. Oh, he did all. He did the tuba and the trumpet and the. Yeah. that's fantastic. Kind of like a Salvation Army meets <laughs> meets Soul Singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they were going time. for a. Uh, I wish Lance is Lance here. I, I should have told him I'm. So disorganized. It may, maybe Lance is here, but he said... Is that the first time you... That, that, I haven't heard that on the show before. That's the first time I played it, and uh, it went down. I went into my hard drive where songs have gone... Where the songs go to die? Well, they don't die. It's just uh, they... In a I resent you a couple today. I'm going to play them. They, they, Besides the other ones. I know. I'm going to play them. They, they, we're in a state of suspended animation as soon as I can solve some of these audio problems. But sure. Lance at Office Hours Friday night <clears throat> said he was going for a Dixieland early jazz version of... I think I'm frozen. Nope. Well, you're there. New Orleans kind of thing. Yeah. And... Uh, are you there? Oh, you're frozen. Uh, while I'm waiting for you to unfreeze, I get the chip. I mean, that just hmm. pure goosebumps. Uh, can you talk? Your 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 face is frozen, but that might just be the Botox. Let me hear you. Uh, can you talk? All right. Let me bring in Dr. Harriet Frod while we're waiting for. Uh, 
Professor Mike Steinel to unfreeze. How are you, Dr. Harriet? Dr. Harriet Fraud is the host of Capitalism Hits Home. And we're on with Juliana Corlano. Right. And it's, and it's not just in your head. Let me, since we don't have Professor Mike Steinel, but we do have Lane, who sang that song. Hello. That you are. Do you know Dr. Harriet Fraud? She is my, if what, if I was only fractionally older, I'm only joking, I'm getting, I'm getting carried away. Yeah, I like Harriet Fraud. Right. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Lane, um, Lane. I'll tell you what just freaked me out was Mike Steinell mentioned Salvation Army because part of the inspiration for doing it that way was my dad, who was in the Salvation Army and played on. Hello. And he was a miner, and we tried to recreate the the brass band sound of the miners at the, the Durham Big Meeting in here in Britain. Which happens. It's been going for about 200 years, and you get around 200 bands all playing brass um, every June, one, one Saturday every June in the streets of Durham, and it's all miners, and increasingly now, like various trade unionists and stuff like that all getting together in, in solidarity and stuff. So, so the, the salience of mentioning the Salvation Army was not missed <laughs> by me and my fat little bottom. Um, but yeah. You gave me the, also the, you gave the... The whole influence of those bands was the Dixieland sound. So that's what, that's what I, I try to emphasise to, to Lance. Make it as rough as you can. <laughs> like... It needs to be a slow lament beat, like a like a, a New Orleans funeral lament, that sort of beat. Yeah. Um, so I make it rough and sound like that, and so it was beautiful. The song, and again another reference to Mike. Uh, I got into it via Bob Dylan from the Bootleg One One to Three album. Yeah, that's that's version. where I first heard it too. Oh man, it's one of his best tracks. That, that performance, sublime. totally sublime. So I looked yeah. into the song itself, and it's like, obviously, it's a historical song, and it's been good by the likes of Odetta and people like that. So, when people say yeah. that Bob Dylan can't sing, I say, well, listen to Auction Block. Yeah, and tell me he he's can't a, sing. You know, he's not a great singer, but he's an amazing vocalist. There's a difference. I think he is a great singer. I think. I think he is a great singer. I think he's, know, a bit he, he's not like archetypally sweet voiced or whatever. No. But he's an amazing immortal. He's a brilliant vocalist because he's you feel everything Tremendous he control. Yeah. At, especially during that time of his career. He had Definitely. tremendous breath control and uh, a, a, a great range. If you listen to uh, Meet Me in the Morning, you know, uh, from uh, Blood on the Blood Tracks. On the tracks. Yeah. Yeah. He sings a high B flat, full voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Meet me in the morning. You know, it goes yeah. way up there. It's, 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 you know, it's people got, people just have so many. Well, this, this, I, 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 I started the book. Man. I'm writing a book about Bob Dylan's voice. It's called Beauty Walks the Razor's Edge, which is a line from, um, uh, when it, it's the same, same album, Blood on the Tracks, Beauty Walks the Razor's Edge. And I think that's the thing that people don't understand that the line between beauty and ugly is really razor thin. 
I, I think as good as uh, Caruso, man. You you may not be able to see it. You may have to listen hard, but it's there, man. Yeah, he he, uh, he says I sing all the notes that Caruso says. That's in the uh, in the um, Don't Look Back, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of that was filmed in the northeast of England. Yeah. And one of me, one of my favorite bits is there's a guitar shop in Newcastle. It's still there, where he stood in front of the guitar shop, going. Wow, these these British guitars, man, are so amazing and all that stuff. And um, it goes to a clip around the back of Newcastle City Hall when he's just gone on and done his half electric, half acoustic. And one of the largest goes, he was a bastard in the second half. He was a bastard because <laughs> he did his electric stuff. Not like, oh, I didn't like that. He just went flat out. He was a bastard because he played electric. It's just, oh, yeah. typically... Typical Northeast England. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking. Okay. Uh, Lane, well, thank you. You you gave me the the goosebumps. I wanted to run an idea past everybody, and then we'll wrap it up with Professor Mike Steinel and go to Dr. Harriet Fraud in a second. So, Lane, we met. I knew Lane before office hours. I knew you on Twitter and you corresponded with me. But thanks to Zoom and office hours, we've been able to meet the listeners. And Lane hooked up with Lance Jeffries, who lives in Pittsburgh. And they have been making music. It's a byproduct of office hours. I always always say... This is virtual. It's not real unless people do something together, either become friends, lovers, make music. Uh, but it, it, if it's just Zoom, it, it's OK, but it's more nourishing if you do something like what Lane just did. You know, you made music with Lance in Pittsburgh and the COVID players. I had an idea for office hours that I wanted to run by everybody. Office hours starts at 9 p.m. every Friday night. I can't go till four in the morning. And I've started to bail out at around midnight. And then Chloe takes it over. The, the People pass it on. I, so I had this idea that I would start office hours at 9 p.m. And we do a 24-hour marathon. So I start in New York at 9 p.m., <laughs> And then I throw it to, you know, Professor Harvey J.K. He hosts it for an hour and then he throws it to whomever. And then that it's a 24 hour marathon that follows the time zones because we have that guy in uh, I forgot his name in China, the, the, the reporter. We, we could right. go across the globe <clears throat> throwing office hours to various people and then it. Then at you know nine o'clock on Saturday, or eight o'clock on Saturday, I take it back and I host the last hour, and we find out if anybody went to twenty four hours straight because these th- office hours just goes and goes and goes. So, Professor Mike Steinel, what do you think of that idea? Well, I think you need to check with Ripley's and see what the what the uh, the you know. And I'd say, why stop at 24? Just keep it going. <laughs> and then just and just Tuesday, Monday night and Thursday night, just take that part as the show, schedule the show, but just keep going, you know? Right, 
Right. Something to discuss at office hours. Yeah. This uh, Friday night, at 9 p.m. I, I think I, I think. I think we might have broken a record already. I know, but we need, it has to be a little more orderly. 18 and a half is the longest we've done so far. Right. Okay. When we come, thank you, uh, Professor Mike Steinel is the author, uh, is the author of Essential Elements for Jazz Ensemble and Building a Jazz Vocabulary, the Mike Steinel Quartet. Did I get that right? It's the mic. Yeah, it's the quintet. I, I quintet. I got rid of one person. I was once asked how many how many people are in your quintet. <laughs> Seriously, uh, a, a well, journalist. Yeah, uh, his latest release is "Song and Dance," and you can hear it on Spotify. And it features the music, the voice, the vocal techniques, vocal stylings of Rosanna Eckert, and everybody should go buy that. Or listen to it on Spotify. I can't get a word out. I'm trying to do 14 different things here. When we come back, we will. Hey, David. Yes, sir. Next time we talk, I have really important information about jazz at the White House. Okay. And uh, I'll save it for next week. Why don't you come back next week when my mixer has everything it's supposed to have? And okay. we'll play the new version of the uh, Howie Klein love theme. Why don't we do that? Okay. Sounds good, man. Okay. Uh, Lane, great job. I'm going to be self-indulgent and I'm going to play No More Auction Block one more time. And then we'll Ooh. talk to Dr. Yep. Harriet Front. Marvelous. Thank you. 
There we go. Sorry. I keep playing that over and over again. Um, Dr. Harriet Fried is the host of Capitalism Hits Home, and it's not just in your head. Welcome. Thank you for uh, being here. Happy Thanksgiving, if we don't get to see you before then. We had an interesting exchange of emails. You wrote me two very sweet emails. They sat on my <clears throat> laptop for a while because I... I'm going to respond to, I'm going to give this one, I usually respond in grunts, like, thank you, or great, you know, but then I have to respond to these emails. And then it, the week started piling up on me, and I didn't have time to write you a, uh, a proper note. But I did say to you something that I wanted to discuss with you, and that is the gift of your uh being on this show is that you've taught me and, and the listeners to uh, not fall prey to the manipulations of the people who hire us, that to, to, to understand that it's a that for the most part, it's a business transaction. Yes. And, and and for me, I always get suckered to believe that it's something more. And, and I finished the email to you and I said, I hope that my listeners can go to work just as dead inside as the people they work for. And you objected to that. Yes, I did. I certainly did. Uh, I so, so let me let me. Uh, say why I said that. And, and, uh, as somebody who, you know, I'm 62, my career, you know, I've, I don't know, maybe I have 40 good years left, but, uh, the mistake that I always made in jobs and I still do is I get emotionally connected to the work, to the boss, to the people around me. I don't believe their family, but, uh, I start caring about the the message, the team, and I've come to realize that the people who are cutting the checks don't really they could they would can replace me in a second and would. You're a cipher and a ledger. I'm a cipher and a ledger, and that I, and I think you should show up to work. If if my boss looks at me as a dollar sign, I should dead eye him or her and look at them as a dollar sign. And, and you don't think that's correct? No, I don't. Okay. I think that we should show up to work to say, they look at me, he looks at me as a dead, as a dollar sign. I look at myself as a revolutionary and I am going to take all my energy that I'm not giving to enriching that person and I'm going to give it to the collective here so that we can strike and be recognized and I am going to skillfully and carefully manage this I'm going to do it and I'll put my passion there because I'm attached to that and to the people who want to see something better and that's very that makes you very lively at work very lively but no we go ahead work to me 
I mean, you have the gift of working for the most part, I would assume for, for yourself or but most jobs in the United States are designed to strip you of solidarity. It's almost mm-hmm. impo- it's almost impossible. They've they figured out how to keep us from identifying with our coworker. We're, we're competing against them. Mm-hmm. So how do we rise above that? Well, there's all sorts of people who are rising above that. You know, in our latest podcast, Max Golding and I had on people from who were shop stewards for the National Union of Health Workers who have transformed their workplaces. They were about to get fired in order to make, because they were working with babies and there's not enough money in babies in doing social work to help babies relate to their parents and parents relate to their babies. So they formed, they joined the National Union of Health Workers, made a powerful union. The people in their department could see we're going to get fired if all they care about is making money. And making money is putting people in the hospital. And within three months, they had a union. They even got a pension. There was another, the other person that was on there is from Kaiser. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest health provider in California. And they've had wildcat strikes of nurses and social workers that transformed their, their working situation and also created bonds with each other. So I think that if you're on a job where you are considered a cipher in a profit-making machine, the excitement at work is fighting it, figuring out a way to stay under the radar enough so you don't get fired before you have a union. And organizing unions, and these are not sort of regular unions, the National Union of Health Workers. It's, it's, a, um, it's a different kind of thing, more like the IWW, the International Workers of the World, that try to elicit their members' needs before they have a platform, where it's all about empowering. And so workplaces can be seen as a scene of empowerment. Right. And then you don't have to go dead inside for many hours of your day. Right, right. Or disagreed. Let's pivot to Washington, D.C. and talk about Biden. But I want to ask you about Trump, because earlier we were talking about locking Trump up. A lot of people say it's not good for the country to lock up Trump. Where does it stop? Well, mm, I say, I'm sorry. Yeah, it doesn't stop. Exactly. You crimes, you're locked up. Right. Lock them up. Keep locking them up. Lock them up until you start electing leaders who aren't criminals. Lock exactly. them all up. And the, the, the reason I mentioned this talking with you, because in terms of solidarity, we have to break this habit of calling somebody indispensable. We have this idea that certain people are indispensable. Nobody is indispensable. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, they decided when they wanted to super exploit people and subject them to COVID that certain number of workers were essential, i.e. indispensable. But those are the people who get paid the worst. Right. What we don't need in a pandemic is a lot of profiteers in the stock market. Right. But what we do need is people creating food and marketing it and taking care of other people. Right. Obvious. Right. 
If every labor should feel important, it's now. It's so important that they're willing to kill you to get you to work to make them money. Right, right. The idea... And not just keep them in jail, but have Trump do useful things like getting the gum off the subway platform, things like that. Very useful. Right. The diaper service, other things. Certain jobs are indispensable, but the people who do them are not indispensable. They can be replaced. And once you recognize that we can all be replaced, including the people who are cutting our checks, we're going to be a little nicer to one another at the workplace. There's going to be some humility, some solidarity and fair wages. And accountability. And if you have a proper employment system, then the supervisors evaluate the workers and the workers evaluate the supervisors the way they do at Mondragon, the co-op, the city of co-ops. It goes both ways, you know, and jail should go both ways, too. Trump and his all of his dishonest minions should be in jail and they should be doing useful jobs, the diaper service, the gum on the subway, things Mm -hmm. like that, that they would you know, spit on in their regular life, but that make people's lives better. Right. Well, let's let's turn to Joe Biden, president elect. I guess one of the things that Mitch McConnell can't stop is a Justice Department that prosecutes. That prosecutes the Trump administration and, and we should pressure Biden to lock these people up. He can't claim his hands are tied by the Senate. So that's one thing. Are you at all optimistic about? Well, I'm optimistic about the possibility of pushing Biden into some kind of just position. I do feel that Biden was elected by a wild landslide because for all the votes they stole, for all the polling places they put in places like black areas of Mississippi that were too far for anybody to get to that didn't have a good car. For all the po- postmaster DeJoy's messing up the machines, Biden still won. They had a, The GOP had a victory party the morning of November 3rd. They were so sure that they stole it successfully. Right. So if Biden still won, in spite of all that stealing, we know he was chosen as the anti-Trump, not because he's very exciting, He's not exciting at all, but he's not Trump. And that was his glory. And I think Trump is ego annihilated. He's used to cheating and lying to get whatever he wants. And he's done that for his 74 years or however old he is. And uh, I think it's an ego annihilation if he's not the winner and can't go to rallies and get the adulation that he lacks inside. I, I think... But I think, you know, he has Giuliani out there for 20 grand a day that we're paying for because Trump can put all these funds to, to, to pay his legal bills, funds to create justice, which mm-hmm. will all go into his pocket and those of his cronies. Right. It, it's a, uh, you know, it's a big crime operation. And of course he belongs in jail. And they all do. But on work to tail. Yeah, yeah. Heavily guarded. Does he... He he has no sense of decency. He has no sense. Is he 
when he's playing golf, is he just in a, in a rage or does he have any moment of self-reflection? And if you were advising Biden, how do you make him go away? How do you break him psychologically so that he shuts up? Can't can it be done? I think he's already broken and I think his criminal enterprise has to be broken. And I think they do. They have to be held accountable for their crimes. And I think Biden can get what he's doing. He's getting the government machinery in order. He's not he's you know, he's not allowing Trump to do more damage than Trump's already doing, which he is with the drilling in the Arctic and all those all these contracts, which can be broken, but it's a lot of work. I think Biden gives us a chance to push a progressive agenda against what he would suggest, because 38 percent of his votes were by black people and they owe. And it was progressives, not middle of the roaders who voted for Biden and Harris. They got the minority vote, men's and women's of all kinds. Right. African-Americans. White women voted for Trump. Yes, a majority did. And they voted for the status quo. And they a lot of them, I think, were the majority of white women as well as black women are single and they wanted to hold on to their lousy job and him not to shut the economy because they'd be home with their dependent children and they couldn't feed them and they don't have any faith that they'd be sustained by our government it's not like we're like all of the european developed countries in scandinavia which pay 70 to 90 percent of your salary and then your employer has to give you your job back at the end of the pandemic no So some people, I think, some white people voted for Trump, including white women, because they want to keep their job, even if it's dangerous. So what can what can Biden what can Biden do for people of color when when the primaries ended this year? One of the things that I took away was that. People of color are not as to the left as I was hoping that there there are there, there's a strong conservative streak in the African-American community. Clyburn gave South Carolina to Biden in the primaries because of that. So what 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 what, what can Biden do for people of color? I think what Biden could do is address the class injustice And that way he wouldn't alienate white people, but he could also change and transform black people's lives. One of the worst things that ever happened to black people was the McCarthy era, where unions were decimated, because that was a way Martin Luther King said, your union is your best racial equalizer. That if the mass of people who work for a living were given Good salaries, like in Denmark, the minimum wage is $24 an hour. And even at McDonald's, but they're not going broke, you know. And have a tax, a strict tax structure that takes the $200 billion from Jeff Bezos 
and leaves him with maybe $2 billion more than he could ever spend and creates affordable housing and educational parks, big parks of schools where everybody's bust in with the top facilities and change all people's lives because that way white people don't feel they're getting everything, we're getting nothing. It's a class issue. And I think that Obama had a lot of responsibility for bringing Trump in because he ignored the class issues. He had more integration, he had more gender opportunity, but the class structure was even worse. And African-Americans, I I think African-Americans were worse off by the financially. They were. More African-Americans lost their home than anybody else. They were into the subprime mortgages. And so that I think Biden would have to be pressed by people like the squad to create class opportunity to do something with public education and then educational parks and public universities. You know, 75% of the grants that are given by the government are given to people from Yale or Harvard or Princeton or MIT. No more. State schools. That there is a whole shift from the capitalist system to actually have and try to transform the Democratic Party from employee party light to, well, it's actually employer party light. They're both employer parties. They're both capitalist parties. What is this about the Ivy What is this about the Ivy League schools getting government grants? What is this? They get 75% of the grants. They go from these prestigious institutions into the government and then are connected to the grant stream. And they're the ones who design the grant stream. At Yale, in many departments like the IT, you know, artificial intelligence department, you aren't hired unless you bring in more in grants than you're paid. And And that's true of a lot of the sciences. And so I think you'd have to stop that pipeline from the wealthy, the wealthy universities, the wealthy people, and have an actual employee party. And I think we should push Biden to that. And I think he won't go. Because it's just as Lloyd Blankfein said to the Democratic Party heads, you elect Bernie and you don't get any money from us so that they killed Bernie. Okay. Well, you know, you can't, you can't be a capitalist party and win. And I think you'll either have so much pressure that they'll really have to bend or you'll create some kind of a progressive Democrats or democratic socialists or something like that. Cause somebody has to represent the working class besides a demagogue like Trump talking about the swamp and about how you're cheated. And they all do feel cheated because they are. The labor unions, why don't they hive off and leave the Democratic Party? Well, because part of it is those labor unions that are democratically run like the National Union of Healthcare Workers, the IWW, parts of the Wildcat teachers' strikes who have been successful. The culinary workers in Las Vegas, are they democratically yes. run? Yes, and they also, and the flight attendants union with Sarah Nelson, who called for a general strike when Trump wanted the airline workers to work without compensation. 
those people can they could separate off from the AFL CIO, which is run like a corporation. In the National Union of Healthcare Workers, the IWW unions, and all the unions of Germany and France, no union worker, no union official is to be paid any more than the highest paid official in their union. So you don't have people getting hundreds of thousands of of dollars a year and being a kind of corporate fat cat. And so that you, you have to identify with your own members. And there is a corporate structure. They sell services like collective bargaining and they have a corporate structure of compensation. That's absurd. And that's why so many of the successful strikes in the United States now are being pulled off by people who aren't affiliated with the big AFL-CIO unions. So if, you know, the people from the, sorry. So if Bernie, and it looks like he's not going to be the Secretary of Labor, he essentially could be the organizer in chief. We've never really had a, a labor secretary who was organizer in chief, who made sure that the, the, the unions are run democratically and serve the rank and file, not the no, leadership. Is right. that the, what I, I think, was it Frances Perkins? Was she the first labor secretary? She was. Not just the first female, but I think that it was. She was a strong leftist. The, and the first labor secretary, as I recall. Yeah. But, you know, the labor secretaries of Trump are just people who are employers trying to cheat labor. Right. But a good labor secretary would be enforcing labor laws and making sure would be protecting the unions from themselves, making sure that would be protecting workers above all, you know, right. would be protecting workers in their right to unionize and all sorts of other things. I think that would be a really Honest labor secretary. Right. Severing ties, like no, no longer putting their pensions with hedge funds that are investing exactly. in companies that put them out of work. I mean, this is That's right. And that would in order, I think somewhere Biden and the Democrats know that they got the progressive vote and they got above all the minority votes because minorities have been killed by COVID like no one else and have the worst jobs and the worst air to breathe and the worst food to eat and the worst living conditions right. and need the change. And I think a class change is the way to do it so that the white working class doesn't feel they're getting and I'm not. Right. When I want to ask you about a, a, a socialist party, but a question that I keep uh, bringing up, and I brought it up with Henry Huckamacki and you last week and and before, who is going to move the Democratic Party? You kind of answered it. When I'm told we have Professor Marianne Cummings coming on later and we have Jim Earl on this show and they say, and I agree with them, that we we've got a gun to our head because we're Democrats. Where else are we going to go? We have to withhold our votes and tell the Democratic Party, you don't, unless you represent us, 
we're not voting for you. And that makes sense. But then I ask, okay, I like to vote. What is, who can I vote for? This year, I didn't have the Green Party. But so the Green Party took hold in in Europe, not so much here in the United States. The labor, a labor party. That would be really important, a labor party. I don't care what you call it, but the progressives who pushed hard and won for Biden and the people of color who did have to get together with real leadership. And Bernie was the closest to what we had as a leader. Leaders have to emerge. AOC has emerged as a leader because she's fearless and smart and she doesn't take any crap from them. On anything. So when you but say a, a heart and a leader, when you say a socialized, a socialist party, uh, what seems to work for me is a simple idea, and 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 what has worked in, in the past in Europe is a labor party. Mm-hmm. That that the the that the one thing the Democratic Party and the Republican Party runs on that jobs. We're all about jobs, jobs, jobs. Well. I think there should be a labor party in this country. I think so, too, although labor is associated with the AFL-CIO and a sort of defanged union movement that cooperates with capitalists. So you might have a problem. Look, Jacinda Ardern's party in New Zealand, which is fantastic and unanimous, is called the Socialist Labor Party. But of course, New Zealand has very few businesses that have more than 25 employees and they all they and they do amazing things. And they're called a Labour Party. And a socialist Labour Party, I don't care what it's called, I just think you have to have a unifying thing that takes in mind gender and race without making them the focus. I think class has to be the focus to unite people. And then acknowledging all sorts of differences and supporting egalitarian treatment with no arbitrary divisions between human beings. Right. And I think it's time. By the way, if anybody has a question for Dr. Fraud, please raise your hand. I I tend to hog all the time with her. Again, I, I think that you could get Trump supporters to vote Labor. You could. Look, when Bernie was on Fox, they loved him so much he was never on again. Right. Uh, let us, uh, at Lane. Hi there. Hi. I'm just wondering, given the the fact that the, the, the Tea Party movement on the Republican side sort of led to Trump because it went so like vociferously right wing and all that stuff. Why the left hasn't done the same? Because I don't think, I think whether you like it or not, a third party won't go anywhere. It's, it's a brilliant idea, but I think the the best way really is to work within the system that you've got. And like you said, you mentioned forcing Biden to the left. I think like a sort of leftist Tea Party movement would be the key thing to do in that, I think. So. I think it's a very good idea, and that's what the progressive Democrats are trying to do. That's what why the squad has doubled because they ran as progressive Democrats. And so you have Jamal Bowman 
and you have um, what is her name? Well, it'll come to me. The woman from Missouri. But we just we have, just uh, uh, yeah. Cory Bush. Cory Bush. Yeah, Cory Bush. And you have Mondaire Jones. And you have Richie Torres. And so the squad is doubled. And they're all Democratic Socialists. And they all want to see a class transformation of the United States and an egalitarian United States. And so I think I think those are the pressures we have to put and see where they go. But the first thing is to do, and I agree completely, is to have progressive Democrats to push that party mm-hmm. towards the people who they always promise and they never serve. Yeah, because there seems to be a, a sort of sense at the moment that a lot of the left in America have just gone in a huff and went, oh, well, Biden's in now, we can't do anything, nothing will happen for four years. The thing is... If you're on the streets now for Trump and what the, the policies he had in, stay on the streets for Biden. Mm-hmm. Stay on the streets and demand, demand he changes and, and, and falls into line because he knows fine well that a lot of his support have been from the progressive left. So it just seems pointless to like... I, I see Biden, and it's the same in Britain with Labour. Yeah. I see Biden as if, if you imagine a mountaineer climbing up a mountain, finding a little a little finger hold and sticking a peg in. There's your carabiner. There you're lodged. You're a little bit further up the mountain. Just a little bit. If you fall back, you're going to be, you're going to have that carabiner in place. With Trump, you wouldn't have gotten that foothold. No, and that's why I think it's good that Biden won and by a landslide, if you consider all the cheating. And so that I think we have a chance because he won because of us. He won because of progressives and because of people of color. I was so impressed by looking at that breakdown and seeing that 38% of Democratic votes were black. That's a lot. That's a really lot. And And I think think the left's key is to get less meta and more broad ideas um, because that's what the right did. Mm -hmm. Broad, sweeping... And so they just we always focus on various policies and various amendment changes. And it's like ugh, the, the general public really haven't got time for that. That's right. We have to focus on transformation. And yeah. people haven't heard that language because it was repressed since the fifties with McCarthy. It resurfaced for eleven months before Obama coordinated the breakdown and shakedown of all the occupies throughout the United States. That was Obama. And, you know, Trumpists are sick of elitists from elite universities like Obama, like the Clintons, acting like they're ignorant and crude and making money at their expense and then rewarding the same corporate gang. They're sick of it. So we've gone from the most egalitarian nation in the Western world in the 1970s to the least in 2020. And that's what they need to address. And that will unite everyone. You know, it was Operation Wurlitzer. It was called the Great Wurlitzer that the CIA and FBI decided it was getting dangerous in the 60s. And so they infiltrated the civil rights movement and made it the black power movement. They infiltrated 
the women's movement with successful operator Gloria Steinem and made it, instead of women's liberation, the feminist movement, separating that men were the enemy, that whites were the enemy. And we need a united movement that recognizes differences and recognizes difference and different kinds of oppression and differences in, in rates of oppression on the job and so on, but that is united. Because what do we have? We have the mass of people. They have the money. Right. And so we've got it. And they've, it's worked. It's worked in all those places that I mentioned in New York. You know, I'm a New Yorker, so I'm particularly impressed by Mondaire Jones and Richie Torres and AOC, you know, who are, are here. And, and Jamal Bowman who won against entrenched people because they went door to door. They cared. They had something in common. They lived in the neighborhoods they served. And I think that's what we have to do. Class. It has to be a class organization. Great. Class. Class. Dr. Harriet Fraud is the host of Capitalism Hits Home, and it's not just in your head. How do people contact you? Well, they could go to It's Not Just In Your Head, which is on YouTube and, you know, Apple Podcasts and all those others, or look up Capitalism Hits Home, which I do with Juliana Forlano, or It's Not Just In Your Head, which I do with Max Golding. I'm getting their names into because they deserve Good. it. Yeah. And um, they can find us. And if they can't find it anywhere else, they can send me an email, hfraud, F-R-A-A-D, at gmail.com. Except if you're going to be mean and crazy, then you can't do it. Right. Ed Larson, who uh, does our show, just went into therapy for the first time because of you. So, Oh, good. Yeah. That's good. Therapy, like everything else, you know, most people who are plumbers are shit plumbers. Most people who are therapists are just the same. However, right. you can find a good therapist. Who can do your plumbing, then you got a maid. <laughs> a, a, a psychiatrist, a psychologist with a plunger. Just that would be great. Thank yeah, you. That's what, right. You just out your head. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Fraud. When we come back, we'll be joined by Kelly Stone. Thank you. Thank you.
put that together with Lance Jeffries, who lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the COVID players. And that's a product of office hours. They met at office hours. Hello, Kelly Stone from Texas. Kelly Stone ran for railroad commissioner. She got something like four billion votes, but it wasn't good enough. And she is a sex educator as well as a baby mama and a comedian. And I'm going to be performing at your drinking Astro Glide. Is that let me see that again? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) goes down smooth. Yeah, it's it's not Astroglide, but I was sponsored by them one year for a sex ed conference. I won a sex educator contest and they sent me a box of goodies. That's hysterical. (laughs) I want to get one of those. That's great. I've got got a beach ball. No, the the cup, the the cup that says Astroglide on it is is amazing. Well, we haven't had time to do a postmortem. There there was an election. On November 3rd. Yeah. Didn't turn out so well in Texas, did it? Oh, man. What what good came out of Texas? Well, we my my state rep, Aaron's Wiener, was still uh, elected. She um, she flipped it blue in the in 2018 and she held uh, this year. Uh, Carrie Isaac was extremely well funded uh, from the Republican Party. Um, very. Um, you know, forced birther, uh, a lot of uh, real ugly um, mailers. It was a pretty nasty um, 
ad campaign like from her but um so aaron aaron held out and so did were these um, were these elections at least closer did, did biden come closer i know that beto came closer to beating ted cruz in 2018 is it getting is is, is texas purple or has it gone back to being red you know, I mean, I, I thought about this. I was like, the next time I talked to Dave Feldman, because I was so confident um, when we talked last time, I was like, it's happening. I thought every state was going to turn blue. I thought for sure, Texas, we were going to get four, you know, Democratic women on the Texas Supreme Court. None of them won. And it was basically with a lot of our statewide races and many of the um, many of the races, it was like a 55-45. It was a resolute Republican, 55%, Democrat, 45%. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're creeping. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, well, Dr. Harriet fraud, who was just on said, when you consider that the Republicans were stealing this election, she said on November 3rd, they were having a victory party that morning. They were convinced they had stolen this election. If we could fix the votes, if we could fix the elections to make sure that they're not being fixed, what would Texas be? It would be solid blue if if they weren't. No, I mean, there's so much rural space. There's a lot of space in Texas. And um, so really, I mean, our blue areas are those highly populated areas, Dallas, Houston, Austin, some San Antonio. But what was really interesting in this election was even our border um, went redder than they had before. Um, and and what, um, you know, some of the analyses are showing are that um, our Latinos on the border voted for Trump. The, and, they're pulling the ladder up. Yeah. And they didn't they didn't do that in 2018. And, you know, and Beto really helped close that gap against Cruz. Um, but MJ Hagar, like clearly lost to Cornyn. It was a it was definitive on the night of the election. So um, why is that? Why would the Hispanic vote identify with somebody who clearly is terrible hates them <laughs> hates them calls them snakes right and and uh um is it i mean I, i'm i'm thinking of the the 20 percent of jews who voted for trump uh or or as i call them ignoramuses or ignorami uh so i i think of the 20 percent of ignorant jews who uh i need to speak money i'm sorry they think he's good for making money. Or Israel. Or Israel, right. Or Netanyahu, we all know, we should all know and take heart, although our press represses it, since Israel's an ally, that there are 250,000 people in the street every day in Israel with signs saying, crime minister, out, against Netanyahu and his corruption. Right. But we don't hear about it because we only hear about protests against people who we don't like, like in Hong Kong or something. Right. And 20% of, of Jews, uh, yeah. America saved the Jewish people. There'd be no Jewish people if it weren't for this country taking in Jewish immigrants. 20% of Jews want to pull up the ladder and, and turn their back on immigrants. So I guess there's some there's something about 
maybe you feel assimilated. Maybe you feel American. You can shake off your immigrant past by voting for Trump and saying, I got here. Why can't people do it legally, even though most of our grandparents didn't do it legally? But uh, but that is disappointing to find out that. Yeah, I think, too, there was a fear um, with the equation of which Biden is super centrist, basically like like he's not a progressive, you know, although there's some progressive policies that have made their way in, thank goodness, to collaboration and, and Bernie and all that. But I think equating him with socialism also really created a disparity where people who have, you know, fled, um, you know, some of these countries and, and the back and what they equate with socialism. And, and so I think that 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 played a role. Um, I don't think that was the whole thing, but I definitely think that that was a part of it. Right. But the lace curtain Irish turned down the shanty Irish and discriminated against them and the the German Jews discriminated against the Russian Jews and so on. You know the people who just got off. We're embarrassed by them. The, the German yeah. Jews were embarrassed by my grandparents because my grandparents were pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I don't want to get uh, as well they should be. No, uh, yeah, there 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 is that you're embarrassed of where you came from, right. And you, you want to just like, you know, they don't want their kids to learn the language from the country they came from often because right. they want to be real Americans. But I wasn't allowed to speak. My parents wouldn't speak Yiddish in our house. They didn't want me well, ever speak Yiddish. I'm sorry. My soccer team in high school, we would be punished for speaking Spanish. Um, we would have to run laps or, or do push-ups. Um, and my team was predominantly um, Latinx, a variety of different, like it's weird, Latin, Hispanic, like people came from all over. Um, but, um, and so a lot of them, English was their second language. And it was a, a an asset to be able to speak a language that the other teams didn't know. And we would be punished um, if one person spoke in Spanish the whole team we would be punished the the in terms of child development being surrounded they've done studies that children who are surrounded in a multilingual culture they're they develop uh they're they're much smarter more empathetic it's just healthier to be surrounded by polyglots and and this country is getting progressively yeah, more nativists. And, you know, if you know another language, you think differently. There are words that you don't have in like, I don't, uh, French is the language I, I know, but I, and smatterings, but other, but there's a word um, for the kind of nurturance of a chicken sitting on her eggs. And we don't have that kind of gentle, warm, hatching feeling and action. If you know a language, you know different ways of thinking, you know different ways of conceptualizing. It's so important. And It's interesting. Uh, in, in America, we call it brooding. We, we look at a, a mother warming up her egg with a, a sour look on yeah. her face. And we don't have that, that description of a nurturing person nurturing someone else in that we in it's that a negative image. connotation in america taking care of your child is brooding <laughs> is, well what so 
good news out of Texas. Good news out of Texas. Is it easier to get? How hard is it to get an abortion? Has it gotten? Oh, so um, I actually was in this uh, situation in the fall of 2018, right after, or I'm sorry, 2016, right after the, the election. The first thing on the Texas legislature agenda was to implement fetal burial and cremation um, in November of 2016. Yeah, for miscarriages um, at home or um, in a, like, so apparently you're supposed to collect the contents and light them on fire. Yeah. And I was supposed to get my period. Uh, when I voted for Hillary and um, it never came. Turns out I had something called a blighted ovum. Have you ever heard of this? I had that in high school. <laughs> I like in all of my sex education, it wasn't something I was familiar with. And it's where um, a, like a, an egg attaches to your uterus and you get all the benefits of pregnancy without all the baby. Um, and so you grow a placenta and, and you get to be really psychotic and, you know, all the things, your boobs hurt, everything. And um, so I, um, I had to pay for an abortion procedure and you still have to go through all of the steps. And I, I was super poor at the time. It was $800, which I don't know why $250 is what was in my head because of dirty dancing. Like that's what she got from her dad for the illegal one. Um, but it was $800, but I would get a $40 discount because there was no baby. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I had never been through like these steps before and I'd had a miscarriage, um, many years ago where I had to have an abortion procedure, a DNC, um, to have, uh, the contents removed that hadn't spontaneously aborted themselves. Um, and so things have changed, but you still have to have the 24 hour, um, waiting period. You have to have a sonogram. They have to show you all that stuff. You have to wait. Um, and, and we reduced, we had 42 abortion clinics or clinics that could perform abortion, um, before 2016. And, um, based on house bill two um they ended up um where they made our clinics they had to be upgraded to an ambulatory surgical facility which is not required but texas required that it reduced us down to five clinics in the state of texas and one of the arguments they were even making was women in west texas had no access and in order to get the 24 hours and the way it, it's several days of work you have to take off and yada 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 and texas said well, they can use New Mexico. And so, which didn't have the same standard. So how could Texas argue that this is what's so safe, but they can do that. It's, it's fine. Right. And so they're anyway, but no. So um, here in central Texas, I could go to Austin or I could go to San Antonio to have an abortion procedure done. Um, but that's because I live in central Texas. Many women have to drive many, many hours and get a motel room and what, you know, all of the things because it's, um, and they have to read to you all of these things that will happen to your body. Um, and some of them are completely false lies. Um, and it's still state law that you have to be read these lies about what will happen to your body before you have an abortion procedure done. Can you, next time you come on the show, can you bring those, that we should set it to music. <laughs> we should put his, do it like William Shatner. Uh-huh. Uh, Somebody, we should set it to music and may, and and have it like a disco. I'm sorry, uh, Doctor Fraud, you were saying. Well, I have a client who lives 
in Brownsville, right near the border. And for all her medical care, she goes to Mexico because it's so much cheaper. Mm-hmm. She has a good yeah. doctor in Mexico and she just goes to Mexico. So a lot of people do that too. But and the nice. dentist. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Nice so is care here is a crime. A market-driven healthcare system is a crime. It's a wealth care system. Is it, it, right. is it inaccurate to say we're on the precipice? Isn't it fair to say that this country has fallen into the abyss, that it's completely broken, and now Most. we have to pick up the pieces? It's gone. The country's gone. Yeah, right? Well, it can get worse, but, you know, <laughs> even Hiroshima down. could have been worse. But It's circling down the toilet. You know, I I think... Look, the second, there were two great empires after World War II, the United States and the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union collapsed out of its own corruption, and it looks like we're en route. Or have we? we Or have we collapsed? You know, I visited, I was working during the impeachment. I had to go to Washington, D.C. to uh, watch the impeachment. It's hard to believe it was this year. And I remember walking through the Capitol thinking, there's no there there. This is this is this is like the Soviet Union. It's just a shell. It looks like a government. It smells like a government, but there's no there's no government here. It's so corruption. It's it's so governed by capitalist corruption that it, it has to be rescued, and maybe it can be, but it, it's in terrible shape. It's sick with corruption. That's what Trump was talking about when he talked about, talked about the swamp, even though he sort of introduced more filthy swamp water. He talked about it. I feel like everything that he said, like, not everything he said because he lies like crazy, but when he talks about it, it's like he's talking about the Democrats, but really he's talking about himself. He's saying exactly, like, on election night, right? He said, this is American fraud. You're witnessing American fraud. And I was like, that's true. Like, mm-hmm. we are, that is exactly. And, and he, it's rigged. It's And it's like, you're telling, he's saying the things it's like hidden in plain sight yeah exactly is and that's part of his appeal people feel like it is rigged because it is and um the pretense of the liberals that it isn't is wrong and you have to have somebody calling it out and making class justice a, a central the most central issue so I think, everybody I think it, it. I think it's time to call this a failed state. Yes, I think so too. We're a failed state. And and the benefit that Germany and Japan after World War II had over us is they it was incontrovertible that they they were failed states and they got to rebuild. They kind of were rebuilt in our image, even though it was only mm-hmm. an image, but they kind of, in a way, used our blueprint. If we acknowledge that we're a failed state and that we've lost. Uh, and it's how do we redo the Constitution so that the check and balance is on money, too, not just on other things, but there are checks and balances on money. And of course, with nine slave owners on your 
signing of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. You're not going to have that. But you'd have to have a check and balance on who has the power of money to buy other people's votes and other people's livelihoods. Right. right. And that's a class issue. Well, and that's a part of how we have the three branches, right? And the judicial system, all of that's supposed to be checks and balances. And Trump co-opted our judicial system. Um, and so there is no, like, it, there's certainly no balance. And no. the checks have been removed um, because it's it's loyalty checks. Um, and so we are in a, a very vulnerable, fragile state. Um, and um, I'm hoping AOC will save us. <laughs> yes. Look, if, if AOC could be the Jacinda Ardern of the United States, we would be saved. Well, before everybody goes, I, I'm going to bring in Professor Harvey J.K. I want to show uh, a clip, if I can find it, of a man in Florida. You know, Florida gets a bad rap. And I want to show you. Not entirely undeserved. I know. But uh, where are you, sir? Oh, come on. This is, I can't get a break. Well, let me show you this guy instead. Uh, nope. Hang on. All right. Let me, you know what? I'm going to say goodbye to you guys and gals. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, it's always wonderful. You have a great show. Oh, what happened? What happened? Did I disconnect? No, oh. she went. Okay. She went. Thank but I'm looking forward to seeing you on my show too soon. So thank you. Yes, Kelly. Thank you. Kelly Stone. How do people follow you on Twitter? And when, when is your next show? I'm doing it a week from Friday, yeah, correct? A week from Friday. December 4th is the show. I'm on Twitter as at Team K Stone 2020. It was my campaign Twitter. It still exists. Um, I'm funny, Kelly, on Facebook. But um, And then there's a link that was dropped in here in the chat directly to the Zoom. Um, on December 4th, uh, I'm doing a Kelly Stone's Corona Comedy with Candidates crap show. But we're doing a one-off for the runoffs, the runs. Um, oh. So that's and, and what am I doing? Like, Am I performing? Yeah, that's why I was like, do you still do stand-up? Yeah, I call it stand-up. <laughs> Other people call it torture. but And so it's like actual stand-up in front of... Like a, like a tight 10. <laughs> okay. Um, it doesn't have to be tight 10, but 10. Uh, yeah, a stand-up set. Uh, because then I, I interview... We've got two runoffs here in my community, so I'm interviewing the other candidates, and then I have a musical guest, and I have two comedians, you and uh, Danny Palmer from New York. So Okay. Do I hold a microphone and, just, and stand up? You make your own choices. Um, when I do my opening monologue, I have a, a hairbrush that's scrunchy to a slipper <laughs> wet jet. Um, that is my microphone. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you can make your own choices. All right. Very good. When we come back, thank you, Kelly. When we come back, Professor Harvey J.K. Harvey J.K. He's got a lot to say about Thomas Paine and FDR. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. Harvey J.K. is on the show today. Harvey J.K. Thank you. 
JK Wants you to be radical He ain't dogmatical Won't take a sabbatical St. Peter, don't you call me Cause I can't go Harvey JK is on the show today Harvey JK Let us now go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, where Professor Harvey J.K. is standing by. His latest book is FDR on Democracy. Welcome back, Professor Harvey J.K. Thank you, David. You know, now that you're this is live on YouTube, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, I think some people are actually watching it. Yeah, well, the reason I say that is if we're going to play that music, I'm going to have to work up a dance to go along with it. I know. know. I know. It's just, it really is just. He's amazing. Professor Mike yeah. Steinel. Yeah, there's uh, no, no doubt about it. Wow. I want to show you something. Okay. Sure. I, I have a clip that okay. I hope it will play. Uh, I'm hopeful because I've been talking about uh, Florida. We make fun of Florida a lot on this show and rightfully so. But this is a man from Florida. As Harriet said, not completely undeserved. Okay. Now this guy. You and I are cut from the same cloth. Did you see this? <laughs> I, you know what? I didn't s- play the clip. I think I only saw the final one like shot of it somewhere on Twitter or somewhere. Now, his puppy fell into the swamp and he went in there. He's got the cigar in his mouth. He's removing the alligator from the swamp with the, the puppy in the alligator's mouth and now he's just ripping open look at this guy cigar still in his mouth he's wearing a wife beater dove right into the swamp to get his puppy and is just wrestling that puppy out of the the clutches of that alligator's mouth and i don't know what happened that's a small alligator that's a baby alligator going after a puppy now you and i are cut from the same cloth are you there I'm here. Okay. You you have a puppy, right? No. I'm saying you have a puppy. You would love your puppy. I have, an alligator. I have no al- I only have the alligator. Okay. <laughs> you're 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 down in Florida visiting somebody. Yeah, this is this is a hypothetical. Yes. Here. Yes. Okay. Your your darling puppy goes into the swamp. Yep. And an alligator goes after. The first thing you and I would think is time to get a new puppy. This is sad. 
Right? Would you have jumped in to that swamp, wrestled the alligator, pulled your puppy out of the alligator's mouth? Would you have done well, that? I'd have, I'd, have, I'd have pulled out my Bowie knife. <laughs> I would have skinned that goddamn alligator. <laughs> in all honesty. In all honesty. <laughs> would you have gone in and taken on an alligator? It's a small alligator. Keep yeah, but mind. if there's a small alligator, that means there's a mama alligator somewhere. And now that you put it that way, no, I, I don't know. Jesus. Okay. So the reason I'm showing you know this. I'm capable of doing something thoughtlessly and jeopardizing my hand, my leg, my necessaries. Right. Well, I might have, but, but I can tell you that when, as I watched that, I didn't want to, I didn't, couldn't imagine, I could not imagine myself doing it as I watched it without somehow losing my fingers in the process. Yes. Uh, I don't know what I would have done, but I know what I wouldn't have done. And that is I probably would have said somebody has to go in there and save my puppy. I need my fingers. I'm a writer. That's but, what they have 411 for. Is that what they, you know? The- uh, for, yes, I, that's information. What, right, I right, call so. information for the number four information. What is it? 911. 911. Yeah, I think it's 911. Hadn't had to do that. So. Yeah. The, the reason I'm showing that to you is we are different. That guy, you know, I don't know who this guy is. I know he's in Florida. I know he didn't vote for Bernie. It would surprise me if he did. But I don't think he voted for Bernie. I think, is it fair to say that he's not for Medicare for all, this guy? That's a good question. Do you think he voted for Trump? I think he voted for Trump, right? Do we know what town that was? Yeah, I have to play the clip again. Hang on. I've been watching it like Elton, Florida, or where is it? Hang on. It's uh, Estero, Florida. I have no idea where that is. He's in Estero, Florida. I mean, let's deal in. They voted unanimously for the Green Party, by the way. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. This guy, he, he's got the trucker cap on, the wife beater, the the, the, cigar, the cigar from his mouth. He's. He's not going to let that alligator eat his puppy. And he and I probably don't agree on much other than we love puppies and aren't big fans of alligators. That's what we can agree on. What what politically, what divides us? He sees the world completely different than I do. Is there anything that we would agree on other than alligators shouldn't eat puppies. How do you, you get to somebody like that? Have you ever lived in Florida? Huh? Have you lived in Florida? I, I have visited Florida. Visited, but you haven't lived there, right? No. Nor I haven't lived there either. And, uh, you know, I, I, I but I don't want to presume he may have voted for. I really couldn't presume he voted for Trump. Why? What makes you say he voted for Trump? He was, he was draining the swamp. He was going in, and I don't know. I'm I'm just it's saying. Good. I was good. That proves to me you still have it. I you? never had it, but uh, anyway, well, you're growing I, them. You're growing them now. Has right. so. First off, before I ask you uh, to do a post mortem on the election. What's going on in Wisconsin with the COVID? Well, actually, 
the good news is we actually have fewer cases entering this week than we've had in weeks. So I don't know if that means they just failed to count properly or indeed we are sort of going over the hump. But keep in mind, Thanksgiving is this week. You know what that's going to mean. You know that people are, you know that people are going to travel to their families. There are going to be these gatherings. And, you know, I can tell you that one of the things that really struck me in the course of my teaching is how many of my students had to go to multiple Thanksgiving dinners because parents had divorced. So, and, and sometimes they had to go like two different parents' households and a grandparents. I mean, they sometimes were spending the entire day traveling from home to home. So given what I remember of all that, I'm not confident we won't see a spike again next week. How about you say... Thanksgiving's been canceled. There's nothing to be thankful for, folks. There's no, we, we just lost a quarter of a million people to COVID. It was preventable, yeah. but we're idiots. Yeah. There's nothing to be thankful for. Stay home. Yeah. No, it's, my wife and I are going to... In fact, we were talking to our daughter in New York, and we were saying that... Uh, in certain areas of the country, you can have dinner outdoors, so you could actually have gatherings. Wisconsin's kind of, it's getting chillier and chillier by the day. So we were wondering, what does it take to get a whole, you know those um, outdoor heaters that restaurants have on, pat, you know, like in New York on the street? Right. I wonder what it would take to get one of those. Well, I, I would assume that that's what a lot of people are doing. Yeah, I assume they're out of supply. So what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? Normally you would spend it with your family and Yeah, well, we'll 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 do everything but in smaller scales. So we we don't usually host the Thanksgiving because we we live in a very small house. We we have a a kitchen with a table in the kitchen. We live in a house that's under a thousand square feet. Actually, it's like 950 square feet. So is this the house that hosted David Brooks? Yeah, David Brooks and uh, E.J. Dion and you name them, all of them, right? It's a very, very small house. And um, one bathroom, okay, one bathroom. So what we usually do is we drive down to St. Louis to our older daughter and her, my, our son-in-law and our grandson. And our other daughter flies from New York with her boyfriend to St. Louis. They have a bigger house, an older but bigger house. And so that's what we'll do is we'll just we'll do our thing. We'll do our thing. Well, are you tapping the are you tapping? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I apologize. I Uh, I, I remember these. These. Yes. Pink pet erasers. Yeah. I I had one on my desk and I instead of moving it as I should have, I started playing with it in my hand. I'm sorry. Now, when you write, do you write in longhand or do you? I I I did for a long, long, long time. Um, on a yellow legal pad. This was from, you know, 70s when I was a grad student, the 80s, as, a, you know, my early part of the career. And then they, I, they brought out, do you remember, my wife actually used to do all the typing for me to, to get it into form that somebody else could read. And then they came out with these, I you remember they came out with typewriter, the IBM typewriters, which could erase one line? No. You don't remember those? I was no. like, on the, so they had these typewriters. You could do one line of erasure. And so we actually got one. I think we rented it. And she actually told me, it's over. You, you're going to type for yourself now. So, but I type with one finger. 
but you're the no, yeah. You know what? You're the second person today who who gave me the middle finger, Jim but Earl. Seriously speaking, this I do type only with that finger. Really? Yeah, and so that's I've interesting. Typed, that imagine yeah. if you typed with your pinky, you'd be have a whole a much gentler yeah, well, style. I actually type with the one finger and the pinky up, like I'm <laughs> you know, like I don't even know if I could do that. I, anyhow, so but yeah, so. I type with the one finger. I don't type a lot these days. I haven't written anything serious in months and months. I'm going to be right. I, I signed a contract to have my very first book. I may have mentioned this in last week. The British Marxist historians is going to come out a year from now. I have to write a new preface to it. So that'll get me back. At least I'm sitting in front of the laptop where I'll do that. That'll force me to, to do that. Do you like to, to write? I like to think about what I can write but I so physically don't enjoy the act of writing any longer that I don't think about it. I, where I'm sitting right now, I have spent so many hours over the many years we've lived here, oh, this 40, 42 years, that I actually developed a sense of, I just would, I, I'd like to sort of talk, as you can tell. So I've allowed myself to do as many of these kinds of events as I can as a way of just remaining active. But no, you know, I have a book. I have two book ideas in my head and I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm delaying because I just don't want to write or because I really can't choose between them. If you went, say, to London for three months. Yes. You would write. Right. The minute you get someplace, I, I, I would. That, actually, that's interesting you say that. Yeah. Do you find yourself if you leave New York, your apartment, imagine you could travel readily. Right. Or just you leave my apartment that? without that? the ankle bracelet going off. But that's sure, a whole right. other story. But do you find yourself able to go somewhere and all of a sudden start writing more readily? Um, I yes, I I. I I have tricks to prevent myself from writing. But the first thing I do in the morning, I, I wake up, I have a cup of coffee. And yeah. if I sat down and and wrote, I would get a lot of that first jolt in the morning. But I uh -huh. invent obstacles uh, to that. Uh, yeah, me too. That's my problem these days. I do, too. I just allow myself to go off and read and, you know, I just do it too much. Like if I read this, I'll be better prepared to write. That's what I've been telling myself for quite some time. Right. Um, I really should. I mean, it's nice that you ask me this question because I really have to start thinking about writing something. I, I just, I really do. But you mentioned London. I did a, I did a show today. Well, yeah, it's a show. I did. I recorded a, I don't know if they call it a podcast or it's, it's actually as video too. And I think they're going to use, and so it's video It's like this thing we do right with a group out of in England called unheard U N H E R D. And they, I was, I was misled, I think to do it. <laughs> I was told it would be 15 minutes. And I had this feeling these were fairly in our terms, progressive people. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that they were kind of centrists Ooh. and, uh, and I ended up spending like an hour and 10 minutes, you know. Here's something interesting. This is a, a, a chart. I think it's from the New York Times delineating the length of time it took the presence of the United States to get their memoirs done. Barack Obama has taken longer than any president in modern history to write his memoir. 
Now, granted, he's probably writing his memoir. Yeah, he probably is writing. You're right. Probably. And it took him three years, eight months to write his memoir. Nixon, three years, eight months. Bill Clinton, three years, four months. But Bill Clinton didn't really write his memoir. He was interviewed. He read the. Right. That's right. And then he. Yeah, I, I used to know the name of the one or two people who handled that for him, but I, I blanked on it. And your favorite president, he said sarcastically, Jimmy Carter got his memoir finished the fastest one point, one year, eight months. Well, he only had one term to worry about. Yeah. Uh, have you. Are you going to read Barack Obama's. I, I was, uh, was going to ask you that. I, I'm trying. I find myself, I got into a heated argument today, not a heated argument, but with with uh, Jim Earl, because, you know, I'm beginning to remember why I liked Obama and I'm kind of rooting for Biden and I'm thinking, give him some time. But Jim's right. I mean, he's just nominating the worst of the worst, but I'm already making excuses for him, thinking, you know, it's a co-presidency with Mitch McConnell and Les well, Dr- you know, sir, You know, it's funny about what you're saying, because three things. Um, I don't, look, I expected the, which one, the guy who was his foreign policy guy, this is the Secretary of State he named? Oh, uh, Blinken. Blinken? Yeah. Yeah, that didn't surprise me. It, I mean, there are certain things that I just expected. Yellen, I'm a little, I wasn't surprised when I, her name appeared in the last few days, but they made this remark somewhere. It, it, somebody made a major statement that this is going to be a nomination that will please the centrists and the leftists. Yeah. Well, she spoke out against income inequality when she was Fed chair. There you go. So that'll make us all happy. Right. And, um, and then, there's a, a Latina who's being named, or Latina, is it Latina or Latina, who's being named the head of Homeland Security? Right. And then that was funny. There was a headline, first Latino to be named to head Homeland Security. It hasn't been a Homeland Security for very long. No, it's like <laughs> 2003. And yeah, well, it's like, sorry, in my terms, 17 years is not terribly significant if when you're naming cabinet officers. Well... It's significant because... Oh, wait, oh, wait. There was one piece of potentially good news this evening, which you might not have seen yet. So, in response to the aggressiveness of progressives, Feinstein is not going to to insist on her senior role in the Judiciary Committee. And the question would be... But then the question becomes, well, who gets... Who's next in line for that... Sheldon Whitehouse? Is that it? I don't, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the full story yet. That's why I'm wondering. I'd be grateful for Sheldon Whitehouse, but... I guess, yeah. Um, it would be interesting to see a Latino woman running Department of Homeland Security because ICE falls under the jurisdiction of Homeland Security. They've been yes. rounding up and putting all... That's right. But right. How much you want to bet, it doesn't get better. Well, I look, I don't find identity appointments necessarily promising of anything, other than the fact that the cabinet will look more like the demography of America. Right. Um, 
I mean, look, I'm not a, I am not a huge fan of Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, but I will tell you, I read his book, two books, not all, I didn't read his, and the one, the one where he recounts the loss of his very dear friend, the t- I'm just, can't believe I just blanked on the title, the, the cop who kills his very dear friend that leads him into this understanding of, you know, of, of, the inevitability of, of the racial divide, Tanisi because it is, was black. So, you know, we can't presume that, well, but, but, you know, they, an, an institution is, can be racist and it doesn't matter who the cogs are in that wheel. Yeah, you can know, have African American cogs being racist. Right, you can have Jews as capos in a, I, in a yeah. concentration camp. Right. So, uh, why aren't you uh, a fan of his? Well, I found I found his books to um, they're, they're, to I don't like dead ends. I just I never have, and there there was no way out of his book. That one I'm referring to. There was just no way out, in the sense that. Well, if, repara- if, did it, doesn't he talk about reparations? Isn't that in this one? I don't think it was the reparation. There was another book that he did. I think reparations. This was the book. This was a really. This was a memoir for him. This book um, dealing with, I think, with his father, who might have been a panther. I'm not sure. It's, so it's you're saying that it's it's so bleak, and there there's no resolu- There's no yeah, and it, it lacked any kind of sense of history too, and in the sense that. There have been struggles that have achieved things. It didn't make anything perfect, obviously. But I, you know, it's like, sorry, my mind went to something when I was studying sociology in grad school. And there was Marx, there was Weber, there was Durkheim. And Marx, as, as Marx was the most promising of all of them, okay? Because he not only had an analysis of capitalism, but he had an understanding of how we might transcend it. Okay, Durkheim. Okay, Durkheim himself, even though he was what's often called a you know a, a functionalist in his analysis, he really was as close as he could get to being a socialist, and he believed there was a way to move forward, which he offers proposals. Then there was Max Weber, and Max Weber had this remarkable analysis of the modern world, which was an uh, was like an iron cage. I think that's the term sometimes used. There was no way out bureaucracy, rationalization, and all, no way out. There ceased to be any agent, agency, like a, a social class or a movement that could ever possibly propel us beyond this. And and I just had that same kind of feeling on reading Tanisi Coast. And I could, I had no trouble understanding his, his frame of mind, but it was a very unsatisfying read to me because I, I need to know in this analysis, are you going to offer me something for me to join you in something? Right. That's all. Yeah. I guess yeah. maybe, the, the, I don't know, having not read the books, I, I maybe there is some benefit to stating the problem without the solution. Well, there is, there, there would be if, if look, if, if, you know, if it enhances solidarity in some way, we're all in this terrible you know, it's like, think about if there was solidarity in hell, at least maybe it would make it 
right. more reasonable. Yeah, so I mean that's that's fair enough. Um, so this, it, it, it was a very, he's a very good writer. It's just how dissatisfied how it, I I I couldn't find my way out. And if that was his intention, it worked. But it doesn't lead me to be a fan of his of his arguments. That's right. All. Right. So this show, which by the, the way, is when people people get upset with me because I'm because I criticize Howard Zinn's work. Well, I, I think Zinn's work is not on is not unlike that often. I was into Howard Zinn. Uh, Everybody was at some point. Sure. Yeah, uh, I, and I've watched a lot of his lectures, and I think he's popularized a, a, a type of study. You know, the ground up. But I understand your criticism of him. He's he's. Uh, a sacred cow. I, I, I wouldn't want to say anything bad about him, but I, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say something bad about him. I'm thinking more in terms of the fact that if you if you're going to write a certain kind of work, especially a work of radical history, you can't you can't if, if everything is bad and everything and every progressive movement is defeated. Well, then what the what the hell? I had a student once. You know, this is interesting. I had a student. This goes back to around 1990. And she, uh, we were doing a course called Power and Change, I guess. And I guess I had overloaded the power without the change in the course. And at the end of the semester, she wrote an essay. And in the, at the, towards the end of the essay, she said, I cannot deny anything that I've been reading and that I've been reading in this program called, we were then called Social Change and Development. And I guess everyone in the program at that point in 1990, given it was the age of, of Reagan and Bush was probably emphasizing, you know, cap the power of capitalism, the power of the right, all this kind of stuff. And so she finishes and says, in fact, I'm so convinced of, from what, of what I've read that I'm changing, I'm changing majors. I'm going to major in business. <laughs> she said, because if you can't beat him, you might as well join him. Well, yeah. And then, which is then I actually, so we had a department meeting. I told my colleagues, I think we owe our students more than than the, the starkness of the forces arrayed against progressive change. And otherwise, we're just going to turn them all into folks off in the business. Right. Program. It's hopeless. It's it's. Yeah. yeah. However, uh, women, when you talk to women about a problem, I'm trafficking in stereotypes. A woman will tell you her problem and just wants you to bear witness to it. Don't fix it. Let me just tell you what went wrong. And the, the rap against men is they, they listen to the problem and they have the solution. An argument could be made and has been made that bearing witness is good enough, that you don't have to solve it or fix it. You just need to know what happened is that you know it's like jackie kennedy we celebrate we didn't celebrate well some of us not us but some people ce celebrated jack kennedy's uh, assassination two days ago she wouldn't take off that pink dress she wanted she flew back yeah. to washington dc with the blood splattered on it because she wanted the the world to bear witness to what they did to my husband. Right. And 
And I guess a guy would have said, let me at least clean a little of that up here. I can let me soak. Um, But she was right. Her husband was brutally butchered in Dallas and she wanted the world to see what it looked like. I mean, uh, and there is no solution. There is. I don't know. I'm just rambling. What, what do sure I know? I, Davis. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to bring up Jack Kenny. Uh, how many years What's ago? Today's date. So, yeah, uh, today is the 23rd. This gets re- today is the 23rd. This no, gets no, released I, on the 24th. I, I mean, this is the first time in first time since 1963 that I did not realize on the day, November 22nd, that it was that day. The first time that's that's like, what, 50 uh, 57, 57 years? years, 57 years. And this is the first time it didn't occur to me what that day was. Are we through the mists of time? Does Kennedy look better? Or is he forgotten? Does, does he hold oh, up? Well, give me the other option. Or does he look worse? He, he, has, he has not improved in my historical memory. Is not improved. I wrote a review of a book, a biography, sort of not, it was a book about Jackie and, and it was about, it was a book in which the author, it was actually a fairly significant book where the author tried to ask the question about had Jack lived kind of thing based on the, on the trajectory of the last year or so that, well, of the, of the not even three full years, I guess. Um, and it, I, I actually found the guy too often mistaken. You know, it was the idea that he, he wouldn't have gone on in Vietnam or this and that. I, I don't think, I, I think he would have stayed in Vietnam. Um, he was not, he was a cold warrior. He was not a progressive. Uh, he was not, he was not keen on civil rights. He would have loved to avoid have avoided the question. Um Cheating on his wife, he actually, it wasn't just cheating on his wife regularly. It was also the fact that he was doing it and placing national security in jeopardy because one of the affairs was with the either the former wife of, a, of an East German security officer. For, and, it, for, you know, she might well have been a plant in the United States. I mean, it was lots of stuff like that. And, um, in fact, as Henry, he'll tell you, he's, he's in Germany, he knows all about this stuff. Well, he was dating the the German girl during World War II. I mean, that predates, uh, yeah. Then there's, you know, there's, I mean, it's just, so, you know, I don't think he, I don't think he improves with, with, uh, as time goes by. His speeches do. The moonshot, for another conversation. Take Hold of Our History is a great stocking stuffer. You can buy it over at the Young Turks merch page. And FDR on democracy. And we're going to be here for uh, Thanksgiving, believe it or not. We're doing a show on Thanksgiving. Yeah, if you want to pop in and. Uh, You're doing a Thanksgiving show? Well, we tape on Thursdays, and it's not like I got any place oh, right, to go. Right, 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 so why right. not uh, do a Thanksgiving show? You know, and, and everybody should stop already with the facade that they're upset that. They have to stay home for things. Nobody wants to see anybody. On th- you eat bad food. You get horrible gas. You yeah. get cornered. Are you lining up a full show? A holy, are you doing a full I'm gonna, I'll a probably full? do a longer show. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. But, but if you, if you, yeah, it's fascinating. 
The only person I feel sorry for is the crazy uncle uh. who has to <laughs> own himself when he says the election was stolen. That's the only person I feel sorry for. Can they be owned? It, it, there's a big problem. I have to bring in Henry. Uh, I don't, Please do. But Please the, do. Uh, the, the problem with Newsmax and OWN and all these and Parler. I don't even know. Par, I don't even know what you're referring Parler to. Parler is the conservative Twitter. Oh, I didn't know that. Do, can a tweet be heard if a liberal isn't crying? So if, if you... If you're on parlor with other conservatives and you're not upsetting a snowflake, did you say anything? <laughs> and I, I don't think you have. I, I, it's it's going to be interesting. Anyway, Harvey J. What are you going to talk to Henry about tonight? We're going to go. Apparently, this the new, COVID, the new the, vaccine that was announced today. Apparently, there's this thing called COVID that uh, it's all the rage. The kids, the kids are talking about nothing but COVID. So I figured I'd ask Henry, who's very young, uh, about COVID. To just, uh, I guess there's good news and bad news about it. Anyway, when we come yeah, I, back, I definitely won't keep you, Professor Henry, Harvey J. K. Pop in Thursday, please. I, I may well do. All right, I happy well Thanksgiving. Do. You're yeah, one I'm of the things. You are Thank one you. of the things we are thankful for. When we come back, Henry. Huck a Mackie. Harvey JK, he's got a lot to say about Thomas Paine and FDR. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. Harvey J.K. is on the show today. Harvey J.K.
you, <laughs> Professor Mike Steinel. Gorilla History, the Gorilla History podcast is the podcast that acts as a reconnaissance report of global proletarian history and aims to use the lessons of history to analyze the present. Joining us is one of the triumvirate who hosts this podcast, Henry Huckamacki. Hello there, Henry. Hello, David. How's it going? Very good. How are things in, in Michigan? Well, not not too good, but you know they're not going very well just about anywhere. However, we have uh, officially certified the election for Biden in my state today, so I guess that is a, a small saving grace in terms of Michigan uh, news today. Right. What were the chances that those two Republicans, or at least one of them, was going to flip? I, I can't put odds on it. I know that on uh, it would have been Thursday's show, you were mentioning many times that local Republicans seem to not be quite as uh, outrageous or outlandish or intimidated or, or yeah, uh, I would disagree with that. Just knowing uh, some local Republican politicians, including my own state representative was somebody that I was on the high school bowling team with. Um <laughs> Let me just put it this way. He is no less uh, scary in terms of his political ideology than the national level Republicans. And he's representing my congressional district in the state. So I would disagree. I mean, of course, there might be some moderate Republicans in relatively high places at the local, municipal and state level. But, uh, you know, there's also a fair, fair few loonies as well. Okay. well, I put together some stories and I want to plow through them very quickly with you and we'll I'll show you the headlines here and then you can you can comment on them as soon as I find them here we go this is the heat map of the United States the darker the colors the hotter the covid it uh, seems to be pretty intense right now we'll talk about the vaccines in, in a little while, it, it feels like it's always darkest before the light. America is getting darker and darker. The cases are just, I mean, it, it's, here's the latest we have. Can you see that? Yes, I can see it. So for the listeners on the podcast, David's showing the heat map of cases in the country as well as the latest case count. And uh, on the screen right now, total reported cases, 12.4 million plus on November 22nd, 141,034 cases, which is a 54% increase over uh, the last 14 days. Deaths in terms of November 22nd, 843, which is a 64% increase Right. Uh, in the last 14 days. The next headline. Despite COVID-19 travel warnings, many Americans not living in fear ahead of Thanksgiving. That reminds me, I had just seen uh, a survey that had gone out 
asking people that were planning on traveling to have Thanksgiving with friends and family, how many of them were planning on wearing masks and less than 50% of the people who answered the survey said that they were planning on wearing masks at their family or friends, uh, Thanksgiving meals, which of course, as we've said many times before, uh, a significant, if not the overwhelming amount of transmission occurs inside the household. So if you have people staying in your house for a long time, not wearing masks, that is a recipe for disaster. More Americans hospitalized with COVID than ever before ahead of Thanksgiving. And Ben Affleck, who is on the right side of history, you see his, you see he's getting ready in Louisiana to film a sex scene with his new girlfriend. Deep Water is the movie. And he's getting ready to leave for the studio. Look at his mask. <laughs> it's a... Proper mask compliance right there, David. Absolutely proper mask is, compliance. Is, is that, does that work? I mean, it, it looks like a, like a, a panty shield. That cannot be healthy. I mean, it's got to be. That would not in. be as effective, no, as a properly worn mask, of course. Yes, it is covering his nose and mouth, but to the absolute barest degrees possible. Okay. And finally... 7,000 Orthodox Jews held an underground marriage in Brooklyn. 7,000 people. Yeah, they just want to make sure that, you know, it was an underground wedding, and, and I'm sure a few of them are going to end up underground real soon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David, I couldn't help it. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible that... Uh, what, what does it tell you? I, I had this horrible thought, and please correct me. As you know, I, th I think it's really funny. If we had the money, I would send you and a nurse to a Trump rally, because they're going to be Trump rallies, who, and he's going to say, we've got the vaccine, we got the vaccine, and to ask Trump supporters to get a vaccine for the flu, because you know I think it's safe to say that they're not going to get the vaccine for the flu. And they're also not going to get the vaccine for COVID. Is that, is that a fair statement? If you don't wear a mask, why would you get the vaccine? Is that fair? I think that uh, there's going to be some people that don't wear a mask that will get the vaccine and their logic would be, I'm not wearing a mask because it's infringing on my civil liberty and I feel restricted by being forced by the government to do it. If you give them the choice to have a vaccine, I think a lot of them would. However, I do think that, yeah, if people are thinking, ah, it's no big deal, it's going to burn itself out, this is all overblown, the, a lot of them are not going to get the vaccine. And we've seen in most of the polls that somewhere between 40 and 55, depending on the poll, 40 and 55% of people say that they wouldn't get a vaccine for it if it was approved right now. Now, Kamala yeah. Harris, our new vice president, said during the debate that she wouldn't trust a Trump vaccine. She politicized it. Yeah, I, no, I understood her point. She presented it very poorly. So the, what she was trying to say, and she kind of alluded to it, but what she was trying to say if, is if the administration says that a vaccine is good to go, but they haven't gotten authorization from the regulatory agencies yet, don't take it. Be skeptical of it. 
that's a fair point. If the regulatory agencies haven't signed off on that, it's probably something that you would want to hold off on. Now, if it's something that Trump said uh, you should take and the regulatory agencies have signed off on it, it's probably good to go. Now, that is what she was intending to say. But I remember during the debate that moment, the vice presidential debate, I understood what she was saying, but I could easily have seen how it was misconstrued. And of of course, Pence saw how that could have been misconstrued as well and took advantage of that in the debate. That was one of the, uh, I would say, weaker points from that debate. All right. So let me show you this guy. He was he's been arrested for uh, coughing on people protesting Trump golfing. This is him. Hey, get away from me! No, guy. Get up I'm not in anybody's you face. Don't get you away. are in my face, and you don't have a mask. You need to back. <gasps> oh, that's assault. That's assault. I breathed on you. That's a good. Get it. That's assault. Hey, get away from me! No. So he's a heavy set guy. He's wearing a Trump floaty, I guess. No. And he coughed on these two women, and he's been charged with. Assault for coughing yeah. on them. Yeah, you know, and, and a case could be made for reckless endangerment as well. Um, y- you do have to charge people like that because it is a blatant disregard for public health guidelines as well as, you know, people's civil liberties as well. You do have both of those aspects playing into the equation here. So, yeah, people like that should definitely be charged. In a, in a court of law, if I'm defending him, if the women were wearing masks, shouldn't they be safe? Would, would no, that be the argument that they would make? That guy, he's going to make, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some creative arguments that come up. And that might be one of them. But we know that that's not necessarily the case. Um, as I've said many times before, meta-analyses have, have looked into the uh, reduction in risk of an individual by wearing a mask. And they find that if you're the one wearing the mask that is not infected, you're reducing your risk of contracting COVID by 60, 64%. That's not a 100% reduction. And it's not as much as if the infected person was wearing a mask. If you're both wearing a mask, of course, it's going to be massively reduced, but you know, that would be like saying, yeah, well, he was wearing a Kevlar vest, so I'm OK to shoot him. And he, the Kevlar vest didn't work, but he was wearing it. And so therefore, I, I wasn't trying to harm him. So I was shopping today. There were a couple of people, not many. It's New York. A couple of people not wearing masks. And I thought, well, when the vaccine comes around, I'm going to get it. And this person isn't. I, 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 would you agree that that guy who coughed on the women probably is an anti-vaxxer? I, I think it's safe. I, I have a horrible thought. That Yeah, I, I, I think that the odds are probably in that favor, whether that individual would f- fall within what the odds are. There's no way of knowing. But I would say that, yeah, it's probably he would be somebody that would be resistant to a vaccine. So, David, you want me to run through some of the recent news before? uh, Yeah, I was just going to say something horrible about how. Oh, say something horrible. That's more fun. uh, Children of the Enlightenment will all get the vaccines and something evolutionary might take place once the vaccines. Is that is that's a horrible thought, isn't it? 
Well, it, it is, but it's also not necessarily what would happen because, again, we have to keep in mind the cohort of people that are going to be most susceptible to dying from COVID. So if you have a bunch of crazy 35 to 40 year olds going around not taking the vaccine yeah. and getting infected, they're not going to be dying, but they're going to spread it to their grandmother who might be, uh, you know, compliant with with all of the restrictions and, and mask mandates and, and whatnot. So. There's you no joy in having a dark heart. There's nothing. You can't wish bad for people. Tell us the good news. Well, or, 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 I would assume there's good news on the vaccine sure, there's, front. There's, well, I have good news and bad news. You want What one do you want first? Uh, let's go with the bad news. Okay, so there's more uh, papers that are coming out on some long-term effects uh, in, in regards to sequela people might remind remember the term sequela means effects after the infection is done there's more results out on sequela uh in regards to covid infections and this is something that multiple members of the covid players wanted to ask about on the show today so they were wondering whether being a severe case versus being a mild case would impact the likelihood of having sequela the answer is probably the more severe the case the likelier that you are to have these after effects but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the case so for example um big 10 athletes i use this example of probably in june july something like that uh, big 10 athletes at the end of the last academic year all got tested for covid and all of the ones that got tested positive they had a bunch of other tests done on them now most of them were asymptomatic almost all of them were asymptomatic and the ones that weren't they were basically all mild these are young strapping athletes they're the fittest easy of the easy easy <laughs> and uh you know they're they're is, in a is it getting cohort. hot in here <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're in a young cohort as well so they they were unlikely even if they weren't in the peak physical condition they were unlikely to become severely ill but what they found is that around a third of them had myocarditis when they went in for heart testing so they looked at it they saw inflammation of the heart muscle in about a third of these big 10 athletes even if they were asymptomatic now on the other hand, like I said, you're more likely to have more sequelae if you were a more severe case. There's a study that just came out yesterday or the day before, uh, and it might have been out from Germany, but I don't remember for sure. But they, they were looking at hospitalized patients. So, of course, these are going to be uh, people that were more severe cases. So moderate to severe as well as critical patients, not many mild patients in this cohort. But they found that 42 percent of the patients in this cohort, it was a small group, 140 some people, uh, 42% of them still had reduced lung capacity more than three months after they had cleared the infection. So sequela uh, appears to be something that's going to happen relatively frequently, particularly in severe cases. But now let's get to the good news. There's another vaccine that had some positive results today. It was the AstraZeneca-Oxford collaboration. And the thing that I want the listeners to understand here is this, this, well, there's a few things. This vaccine is set up on a different platform than the other two vaccines that we've talked about in the last two weeks, the Pfizer vaccine, and the Moderna vaccine. Those were both MRNA vaccines. And I've talked in the, in the past about what that means, how that works. So I'm going to skip that for now and get right to this one. This is an adenovirus coupled vaccine. 
And this specific one is using a chimpanzee adenovirus. So they're taking this chimpanzee adenovirus. Basically, what they're doing is ripping the guts out of it and sticking in the genes associated with the spike protein for uh, SARS-CoV-2. Then they're injecting that weakened chimp adenovirus. Adenovirus is just a cold-causing virus, and the chimp one doesn't cause disease in But it's people. a coronavirus. No, it's an adenovirus, different family of viruses, but okay. they both cause colds. So there's a bunch of different, when we say that coronaviruses cause colds, that's true. About a third of colds are caused by coronaviruses, but that means two thirds of colds are caused by other viruses. The okay. most common of which being rhinoviruses, rhino meaning nose. Um, adenoviruses are another group that causes colds. And this one's a chimpanzee adenovirus. And in people, it doesn't really cause any disease. So they've ripped the guts out of it. They've weakened it. They've put the genes for SARS-CoV-2 spike protein into it uh, on the inside of it. And then they inject it into the person. The virus will then get into the person's cells the way that these adenoviruses do. But then instead of having adenovirus genes to put into the person, they have these genes for spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 what we then talked about with the mRNA of the mRNA vaccines, once that's in your cells, your cell becomes a little spike protein factory. You have no SARS-CoV-2. You have no coronavirus in your body, but you're pumping out these spike proteins from your cells. That gives your cells the opportunity to recognize it, mount a response, and then remember it going forward. So just so I understand, so once our body sees a spike protein that is identical to COVID, correct? It is literally the COVID spike protein. You just didn't have the COVID in you. Right, can you your microphone is scraping your uh, neck. Yes, sorry. Yeah. So it's just the spike protein that's floating around. Yeah, your own cells are pooping it out, basically. From this, uh, from the adenovirus that's been- So the adenovirus is bringing in the blueprint into your cells. Your, your cell is the factory. And it's pooping out the product. So the, the spike protein is the car. Your mm -hmm. cell is the factory. The mRNA on the inside of... Okay, so you could think of the adenovirus like the guy delivering the blueprint to the factory. Okay, or the and, engineer and so who drew our the body produces antibodies to kill the spike protein. Correct? To, yeah, match onto the spike protein, link with the spike protein, exactly. Okay. And then by doing that, we're training our body to respond against the spike protein, including generating B cell memory. So not only are we having antibodies in our body from the first response, but hopefully we would have B cells, memory B cells that would be able to produce more antibodies as soon as they came into contact with another spike protein of SARS-CoV-2 down the road. So this virus, uh, this vaccine is in an attenuated vaccine is it a live vaccine what is it it's an attenuated conjugate vaccine so it's attenuated because like i said they've weakened the adenovirus they've ripped out the guts and really made it unhappy and conjugate it's, means it's a latin verb <laughs> basically what they've done is they've taken something from a different virus the, the genetic information from another virus or a little bit of the genetic information and stuck it on the inside of it so yeah it's a weakened virus it's got the plans, the blueprint from another virus, the messenger. So again, the, you could think of the engineer carries the blueprint into the factory. 
the engineer is the adenovirus. The blueprint is the spike protein genes that are on the inside of the adenovirus. Then your cell is the factory that produces the car, which is the spike protein. It poops out the protein. And then you have all of these people looking for the car. They find the car and they smash it with sledgehammers. Because they can't find My the, analogy kind they of falls lost apart the keys. There at the end. They lost the keys. Yeah. Well, like- so uh, let me just continue to run through this real quickly. So this is how this, this vaccine is run. It's an adenovirus vector vaccine. What they found is this is, again, a two-dose vaccine. And they tested two different ways of doing it, two full-strength doses and a two-dose plan where they gave half a dose the first time and then a full dose the second time. They found that it was 64% effective if they gave two full doses, and it was 90% effective if they gave a half dose and then a full dose, which is good because it actually saves the amount of vaccine that you're having to use and you get a better effect from it. Why that is, nobody's really sure right now. It might have something to do with basically priming the immune system to ramp it up to speed rather than trying to overwhelm it right off the bat. But nobody really knows. But that's just what they've seen, giving a half dose and then a full dose. In this first uh, release of data, I think it was 131 cases, uh, it was 90% effective in that setup. So this is also very good news because these adenovirus uh, vector vaccines are very stable at refrigerator temperatures, six months at refrigerator temperatures. Now, if you remember from our last two weeks, the Pfizer vaccine had to be stored at minus 80 Celsius. Very hard to achieve. Very few places have that capacity. The Moderna vaccine for long term had to be started at minus 20 Celsius, but it was good for up to a month in refrigerator temperatures. This one's good for up to six months in refrigerator temperatures, and it's much cheaper. It's about uh, something like a ninth of the cost of the Pfizer vaccine and a seventh of the cost of the Moderna vaccine, if my math in my head is, is working out here. Is that because it comes from Great Britain? That's one of the reasons. So that's one other thing that I wanted to mention here. AstraZeneca, which is a Swedish company, and Oxford, which is a public research university in How do you go from making shoes to making a vaccine? How does Oxford do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good one, David. But uh, <laughs> these on. two institutions have pledged that it's going to be a non-profit vaccine. That's They're not un-American. To- that's un-American. Well, that's exactly it. It's coming from a Swedish uh, Swedish company and a British public university. So, of course, it's going to be un-American. But, uh, yeah, they, they are doing it basically at cost, which is why one of the reasons why it's much cheaper. It's just also much cheaper because the, the technology required for producing a lot of it is cheaper. Hmm. So I just want to clarify one further thing. And then if, if you want, I have one other piece of bad news, but, uh, you know, that's up to you if you want I to love hear it today bad or news. not. That's... But the thing that we should focus on here, so we're going to have a lot of this vaccine produced relatively quickly. I think there's something like 4 million doses that are pretty much ready to go already. They just, so they're going to be applying for emergency use, use authorization right now. Um, they're submitting all their preliminary findings and then, the regulatory agencies are going to look at it for the next uh, however long it takes them to comb through the data as well as get new data in. 
and then they're going to make their determination on whether they're going to get that emergency use authorization. If this is approved, there's going to be quite a few doses of it that are produced uh, within the first year or so. And the UK is really banking their vaccination strategy on this vaccine. They've already pre-ordered, I think, 500 million doses. I don't remember off the top of my head. It might have been 100 million doses. But the UK is really basing their vaccine strategy on this vaccine. And I know that, as I've said before, the other two vaccines aren't going to be enough by the end of 2021 in terms of doses produced to cover all of the people in the world that we need to cover. And I know that Americans, thinking that we have it the worst in the world right now, we would want some of this other vaccine to help also, uh, you know, cover people that wouldn't be able to be covered by the other two vaccines by the end of 2021. But here's something that everybody should consider. This is a pandemic. It's a worldwide illness with worldwide global implications. People around the world are affected by it. And this vaccine is by far of the three that we have data on so far that look promising, this is by far the most refrigerator stable, which means that this is the vaccine For that the the most world. people are going to be able to right. store and distribute. So when we're looking at places like uh, I just saw a paper come out yesterday or the day before one of the indigenous groups in Brazil, deep, deep in the jungle said that over a third of the people in their tribe had been exposed to coronavirus already. That's a lot of people. And these people, they're not getting great uh, hospital standards out there. They're not, you know, it's a really tough situation. Not to mention, I doubt that that tribe has a minus 80 Celsius freezer. And other than that, they would have to get month long shipments if it was the Moderna vaccine. They'd only be able to store up to a month. Again, originally they thought it was only good for seven days at refrigerator temperatures, but it, it looks like it's a little bit longer than that. So this is this vaccine, the AstraZeneca Oxford one, which can be stored at refrigerator temperatures up to six months. This is my opinion. This is not based on science, but this, this vaccine should really be earmarked to go to underprivileged and underserved areas, developing areas where they don't have the capacity to store these mRNA-based vaccines that require ultra-refrigeration. Uh, because again, this is, a global, this is a global pandemic. This is going to have global implications. If you don't vaccinate people worldwide, you're always going to have pockets of people that are transmitting the virus amongst themselves, and it's just waiting to get out into another population again. So this vaccine being something that would be able to be stored in a refrigerator in the Amazon for this tribe that I read about yesterday or the day before, they'd be able to put this vaccine in that refrigerator for up to six months. And then they'd have six months to vaccinate the people in the tribe without even having to have a resupply shipment come in because it's out of, out of its uh, you know, usage window. I have bad news, too, if you want to hear it, David. Sure. And then, and then we have to go to Aurora, Illinois. Sure. I'll keep this quick. So the bad Can news. Can I do is, this? If it, sure. Is, I mean, is it really bad news or? Well, it's not good news. It's, it's mink stuff. I know yeah. I haven't gotten to talk about. <laughs> Haven't gotten to talk about mink at all on the show yet. I know you've asked. Her. That's the most appropriate one for okay. it. But all right. mink. Yeah, I know you've asked, asked Dr. Uh, Vertolin about this, but uh, I figured I should probably address it as well. So 
people might have heard about uh, mink being susceptible to COVID. So they actually get sick. And in some cases, they get very sick with COVID. And they can actually spread it back to people. Now, when when viruses go or bacteria, any kind of uh, pathogen, when they go from an animal to a person, we call it a spillover. When it goes Zoo, from, zooeno- zoonotic or yeah, any disease that starts in an animal and goes to a person is called a zoonotic illness. But the actual event of it crossing over is called spillover. We can also have reverse spillover where it goes from humans to animals and back and forth and back and forth. Now, one of the problems is, is that when you're in a different animal, you have a different environment in which you're living. Viruses, particularly RNA viruses, have a lot of mutations that occur because they don't have a lot of proofreading capacity in their genetic information. And so when they're in different species, they'll pick up mutations to kind of, you could think of it as adapting themselves for that species. That's not quite what's happening, but you can think of it like that. Uh, it's adapting itself for a mink, basically. It's picking up mutations. But then if it goes from the mink back to the person, then you have a virus that has mutations in it going into the person. What they found is that in, in Denmark, there was uh, pretty significant outbreaks of uh, COVID on their mink farms. They had a, a large mink farming industry, about mm-hmm. 17 million mink. Uh, and they're now all going to be culled because what happened is these mink would transmit the virus back and forth between themselves very rapidly. They would basically all be infected. And then they were finding that the caretakers were getting infected and actually bringing it out into their community. They also found that there's some mutations associated with the mink that have gotten into the human population in that area. It's called Jutland. It's in northern Denmark. These mutations, worryingly, are in the spike protein, which is where most of our uh, antibody therapeutics, by the way, AstraZeneca just announced that they're, in addition to the vaccine that we just talked about, they just moved one of their uh, monoclonal antibody cocktail treatments for both treatment and prophylaxis into phase three trials uh yesterday i think um but we'll save that for some other time because i know we're short on time but when we're targeting things uh both the vaccines as well as these antibody treatments we're targeting the spike protein mutations in the spike protein might make these antibodies not bind to them as well and if you don't bind to it as well you might not be able to eliminate it with those antibodies now, we don't know if these antibody mutate or these spike protein mutations from the mink that are see- being seen in people up there, although it looks like they've prevented it from really escaping out beyond that area. If those mutations prevent the antibodies from binding tightly, it could mean that the vaccine doesn't really prevent or it doesn't prevent as well that strain using the term loosely, that strain of the virus. Okay, I'm sorry. That was... Or uh, or if we have these antibody, monoclonal antibody cocktails, they might not work great either for that strain. We don't know. There's been some data out that looks like it might affect the binding location for the antibodies, which might make it bind less, but we don't know. So... That's, that's kind of the bad news is that we're seeing these mutations. And there was just uh, today reported um, there was the uh, COVID outbreak on a mink farm in France. We've seen them in Sweden. We've seen them in the Netherlands. So the mink, it looks like we're going to have to be culling 
just about all of the minks on these mink farms because when they're there, they're picking up mutations and these mutations could really be a problem going forward. Great. So Henry, I, I'm, I'm pushing David out of the way for a second. Okay. So I can ask you a question. Um, when, when they do, typically when, when flu viruses happen, they mutate and then they just kind of mutate into lesser and lesser uh, virulence. Uh, not necessarily be, true. Not necessarily true. No. Oh, okay. And also <laughs> mutations in flu viruses are going to be very different than mutations in coronaviruses because of the, the specific proteins that we're talking about. So hemagglutinin and neuraminidase, the, the mutations that we see in those proteins associated. I'm sorry to cut your question off, Marianne. I, I, I no. shouldn't have, but uh, I just wanted to clarify this point. So the mutations that are occurring. So when you see H something N something, those numbers are associated with different, uh, think of them as confirmations of the hemagglutinin and neuraminidase proteins. And the shifts that we're seeing, uh, antigenic drift, antigenic shift, most of those are associated with those specific proteins. Um, so mutations that occur in flu viruses is going to be different than in coronaviruses. This is a little bit more stable than that. But I would also argue that we don't always see them um, mutating into less virulent forms. It's kind of just a random process. Okay. So you would say 50-50 that the, that the coronavirus, mutated coronaviruses would be worse? or I would say that there's probably not going to be much of an effect from these specific mutations uh, in terms of virulence or transmissibility. Really the only uh, mutation that we've seen so far, and there's been a lot of mutations that have been picked up, you know, point mutations, but then they drop out of being the predominant spreading. You could, again, think of it as a strain using that term very loosely. Those point mutations come in and then they just drop out again. And we're left with the same major strain using the term loosely. Really the only mutation that we've really seen well, we've seen two, um, but the one that most people are probably familiar with is the, the D614G mutation. That one appears to cause increased transmissibility. It's hard to say for sure. We don't have really good data on that from a clinical standpoint or from a uh, lab-based standpoint. It's more epidemiologically based, but we that's pretty much the only mutation that we've seen during this entire pandemic that has seemed to have had any effect. So these specific mutations from the mink, based on what I've seen, the main, uh, and again, they've done computer modeling with it in Denmark, but the main projected effect would be a potential loss of binding specificity of antibodies. There hasn't been any other projected effects. That doesn't mean that there couldn't be, and it doesn't mean that this uh that the binding specificity loss is going to be happening. That's just the projection is that there could be a loss of binding specificity of antibodies to the spike protein. And that would be cause for concern from a therapeutic standpoint, as well as a vaccine standpoint, but not necessarily in terms of a virulence and transmissibility standpoint. I, I don't know if that made any sense. The way Let, I Let's it. go up to Alaska. Dean Cully, our pilot, is calling yes. in and he tested positive. You were asymptomatic. How are you feeling? I have, yeah, I have been uh, utterly and exquisitely asymptomatic. Great. And uh, I was tested on the 7th and uh, 
I got retested on the 18th. It was still positive. And I just submitted a sample about an hour ago. We'll see how that comes out. Um, I, the recommendation is not to get tested once you've done your 10 days if you haven't had any symptoms. But uh, my employer wants a negative test. And uh, I don't know. Am I, I guess my question is... Um, should I be expecting positive tests, even though I'm uh, continue to be uh, asymptomatic? And next month, uh, I will be. I'm, the plan is for me to travel to Miami, Florida, for a week of uh, job-related training, so that everyone can start calling me captain. <laughs> um, so, okay. um, yeah, after that, after that, maybe. Um, so, uh, is it reasonable for me to be going down to Alaska? I mean, down to Miami, even, I mean, supposedly I have some resistance now or, or immunity, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to say. What, what should I think? Yeah. Good question. So in thank terms you. of thank you, the, Dean, thank you. Yeah. So thank you. Um, in regards to the and, 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 day, let's uh, we and we let's give a short answer because what we've been keeping yeah this will be really anyway. short really short. In regards to the ten day recommendation, that's because most people clear it within ten days. However, we have seen cases of people that have had it for a long time. I think I saw one woman had it uh, in her system for sixty four days. So you would be in the minority of people, but that doesn't mean that these positive tests are just junk. You could have virus still in your system. You, you could in regards to going to Miami again, you are likely going to be immune for a few months. We don't know how many months, maybe six. We don't know. Um, so is it safe for you to go to Miami? You'd be more safe than people who hadn't been uh, infected before. Is it safe for anybody to go to Miami? It's never safe to go to Miami is the answer to the question, okay. David, but for, for, Dean specifically, you'd be more safe than most people. But as I, I believe I've told you before, even though you've been infected before and you likely have several months, at least, you know, three, four, six months of immunity, do wear a mask anyway. If nothing else, then just to enforce it by people seeing you, you wearing a mask is going to encourage other people to wear masks if they were perhaps. Very quickly, do we know if it's better to have tested positive for covid than it is to get a vaccine if you had to choose between the two what would you rather we have no no information on that yet david so with the and very quickly with the moderna and pfizer vaccines when they first gave the injection uh you know the two injections the first one and then the booster three weeks later in pfizer's case four weeks later in moderna's case after the second one they said that the immune response was stronger than in people who had been infected naturally. That would be a good sign that we are um, eliciting a robust immune response, and therefore it's possible that any protection could be longer. But we don't know for sure. We only have uh, data on these vaccines for a couple of months, whereas we've had cases of, of people with COVID for right around a year now. Right. So we don't know whether or not this is going to last longer. We don't know whether or not it's going to protect more more strongly. But based off of the first shots that were given, uh, they said that there was an, a, a 
a very strong immune response, perhaps even stronger than natural infection. So it's likely that this is going to be as protective. But again, we don't have any actual data on that yet. Fantastic. Henry Hakamaki is an immunobiologist. Subscribe to his newsletter by going to patreon.com forward slash Huck 1995. Follow him on Twitter at Huck 1995 and listen to his new podcast, Gorilla History. It's the podcast that acts as a reconnaissance mission to cover global proletarian history, and it aims to use the lessons of history to analyze the present. His co-host is Professor Adnan Hussein. Yeah, and Brett O'Shea from Rev Left Radio. So we had an episode come out last Friday on Turkey. This week, this Friday, just to pitch this for the listeners, since it's somewhat related, we're unlocking one of our Patreon episodes. Uh, We're going to be doing roughly two Patreon episodes a month, one which will be unlocked later and one which will remain on Patreon. The one that we're unlocking this Friday will be on the history of some vaccine failures. So in, in regards to safety failures in the past. So keep an eye on that for Friday. Exactly. I wanted to use exactly. my sound machine. Joining us. Thank you, Henry. Joining you. us in Aurora, Illinois, is Professor Mary Ann Cummings. Besides being a physicist, she's also a parks commissioner in Aurora, Illinois. You're very proud of your Illinois heritage. I want to show you something because I'm a Jersey boy and we have a a new governor named Chris Murphy, who is uh, a Goldman Sachs Democrat. And he decided to go have dinner. Did you see this, Professor Marianne? No, I did not. Okay, this is the governor of New Jersey going out for a meal. It's a small meal because he's not Chris Christie. And he got he got a New Jersey smackdown. And this makes me not only proud to be a, a Jersey boy, but proud to be an American. This is the governor of one of the largest states in America trying to have a, a meal with his family. Hey, how you doing? Oh my God, Murphy, you are such a dick. You're having you fun are- with your family in the meantime. As a matter of fact, put your mask on. You can go fuck yourself. How's that? I don't need a fucking mask on. You know why I don't need a mask? Because there ain't nothing like fucking wrong with me. I like your Trump phone case. Right. Guess who Trump likes? He likes my dad. Yeah, he, 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 no, he doesn't like your phone. Oh, he does. He does. Get the fuck out of here. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Get out of here. You know what? Come on. Let me tell you something. Could you hear that? Yeah, I heard some of it. Yeah, she was rude. She was rude. That's the governor of New Jersey trying to have a nice steak dinner with his beautiful family. And this woman walked up to him and just laid into him. This is what makes me proud to be an American. That uh, that she was laying into him or that uh, his son seemed to be like, you know, talking back. It it just it. This is what makes this country great, that you can walk up to your governor to his family and tell him to go F himself and call him a dick. No repercussions. Well, I, I suppose, you know, this was like from the la- from uh, recently, like within the last day. It happened like 24 hours ago. Is New Jersey still under COVID? Yes. Uh, or, 
Okay, yeah. Well, you know, that's what he gets for going out and having a meal in, you know, a, a he should be sending a better example. True debt, but... But I think restaurants are open, limited capacity, and he is the governor, and you're supposed to support local businesses. But what's great is there are no repercussions, as you can walk up. Because my sister sent that to me, and she Mm -hmm. found it depressing. And I think it's kind of nice that you can do that to to our leaders. Yeah, and if you're a... If you're a governor of New Jersey, you've got a pretty thick skin. I yes. mean, you know, it's not going to bother. That's me. just from the toxic waste. <laughs> but uh, well, so, let's talk about. Let's do a bit of a postmortem. First off, before we do the postmortem on the elections, tell us what's going on in Illinois with the virus. Well, uh, if you go to a website, my boss found this website months ago. It's called healthweather.us. It's a company, Kinsa, and they they make thermometers, but they've got this big network where they're just digging, uh, millions of people just report in their temperatures. And they have found this to be a very, very good precursor for a, a serious disease outbreak. Okay. And I put it, so what you do is go to healthweather.us, healthweather.us and you uh the the page comes up you put in your zip code which i did and on a scale of zero to a hundred in terms of uh risk we are at 99 king county is at 99 uh, out of a out of a hundred so that means it's very dangerous out there like very extremely high risk Hmm. so um I guess my little, my, my only little uh, uh, saving grace here in Aurora is that we did close down the schools. You know, I got our park sticks executive director to work with the school districts early this summer so that the school districts could stay remote, could stay at home lane, and they have. They were talking about, uh, they, they were talking about opening up for the, the third quarter, and uh, that talk is just gone. So, um And yet we're getting this semi somewhat good news about vaccines and a year from now. If if Henry were here, of course, he would tell you about the at the scale to I mean, we're still in a testing phase and in a, uh, a trial phase, although they are expediting that. But to be able to get vaccines out to everyone, we're talking. He was talking. Didn't think that could happen by the end of 2021. So. The only thing we could do is what Michael Olsterholm has had suggested from the beginning. Now, we've brought him up. He's at the he's the director of SIDRAP up at University of Minnesota, the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. And, and he's also I, the co- on Biden's COVID task force. He just got on Biden's COVID task force. He had been. Um, the State Department has what they call scientific ambassadors. He had been one of uh, Trump, the State Department. I, I don't think Trump even knows his name. To tell you the truth, I don't think Biden knows his name either. But people in, in Washington, uh, regardless. Are you saying of, Biden doesn't know Biden's name? I don't think, I don't think he knows my, Michael Ulster. Oh, I, I thought you were saying Biden doesn't know Biden's own name. Uh, well, uh, I haven't checked on him this week. You know, it's uh, he's having a good week. 
Yeah, I know. Cheap shot, but yeah. nonetheless. But um, but Osterholm, you know, has said, and he's very blunt and plain spoken that he said four to six weeks, we could basically end this virus if people seriously shut down the entire country. And of course, you give enough people and people enough money to live and survive and only critical workers and effectively a stay at home other order other than to go get groceries. And he says, you do that for four to six weeks and then you could just end this. Now that sounds, you know, that sounds plausible. As I mentioned last week, you know, Biden's not going to do anything good through the Congress. If Mitch McConnell is still, is still the uh, Senate majority. There's no money to be made giving money to Americans to stay home. Absolutely. Yeah, of course not. So um, he could do it. So what Biden would have to do is he would have to do this by executive order, which I'm sure it's an emergency, a national emergency. If I were Biden or if I was on somebody on that task force, I would be having lawyers combing through the Patriot Act. And I'm sure they could find at least a dozen clauses probably unconstitutional, but nonetheless helpful, and maybe not, and maybe totally constitutional, but this is a national security problem. It would be the greatest thing in the, it would be amazing. You're getting a paid vacation, America. Yes. Just stop for a month. Here's, I think he said $500. See, that's the problem, paying Americans $500 a day would make well, us the point, he was he was thinking uh i think Ulsterholm suggested something like five or six hundred dollars a week because you know it may be four weeks you have to see what the case rate is but but maybe as long as six weeks probably closer to six weeks but nonetheless you know it would be great for everybody and if you got money that's the number one stressor in people's lives if you had money to stay home um, and then you would feel that everybody was in this together. It's hard when you are facing eviction to look at Nancy Pelosi in front of her $24,000 sub-zero refrigerator and her, you know, spe- specialty dove bars or whatever they she were. She owns close to $100 million in rental properties. Oh, Nancy well. Pelosi. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It all works out for her. Yeah. yeah that's the problem. So um, the bad news is, uh, is that both uh, Biden's chief of staff and other members on his covert board have publicly stated that they didn't think that a further lockdown than what's going on now is necessary. And I said, well, then we're just going to keep, this is just going to keep rolling. We'll partially shut down. It'll go down. They'll open up. We'll open up. Uh, it, you know, it's just, and no one's in this together. I mean, it's like when people are facing eviction or job loss or it's a different it's a different universe than the people like a lot of my tenured friends who could just be on home and you know, on their on their Zoom meetings and uh, don't worry about paying the bills next month. And, and it's just uh, we don't have that solidarity. And no. I don't see anything coming out of the Biden the, the the incoming Biden team so far that suggests that they really understand this. So. Um, well, he some good news for him. The GSA lady finally released the funds for the transition. So it's becoming established, settled law that he's going to be the next president. Oh, you know, the, I'll tell you, 
Trump is really playing this up well. I mean, when you are in, I, I remind people that Trump doesn't thrive off of his supporters' energies. He, thri- he thrives off of his adversaries' energy. I mean, it's, it just goes back to wrestling, right? It's like, who's like the most interesting guy in the ring? It's the bad guy. It's the right. heel. You know, it's the guy that has a lot of people booing. And that, but then that kind of energizes his supporters base. And then they just both, you know, uh, feed off of each other. And that's what Trump is doing. Um, you know, the, the media keeps Trump alive. Somebody said, will Trump ever disappear? And I said, not if it's up to the Democrats. I mean, a lot of the Republicans, particularly the establishment Republicans, are just kind of, they don't want to say anything against Trump because they fear his base. But they're fine to step back and let the Democrats just go at Trump because right. Trump is a major problem for the establishment Republicans. So is yeah. there anything you see in the cabinet, the new cabinet, that gives you hope? Uh, you know, I don't I, it's pretty much what I expected, you know, military industrial complex. I mean, the secretary of the proposed Secretary of State and the proposed Secretary of Defense are co-founders of this, what is it, West Exec? Or you know, it was one of these con, uh, defense consulting firms. And, you know, so we've just got this classic revolving door out of, you know, the private sector, back into government, back into the, I mean, it's, um, Biden is going to take us back to whatever normal was that, God is Trump in the first place. And it looks like he's going to do that. Um, Now, I just don't, I, and I don't see how since, as I have said, and and I've been repeating myself like a broken record, the uh, progressives gave their support and their endorsement to Biden without asking anything in return. And it appears that Bernie's probably not going to get secretary of labor or anything like that either. Uh, I I don't know what to say. I mean, there's only one thing these guys understand, whether or not you vote for them. Rashida Tlaib kind of had the right idea. She at least, and she's in Congress, she can't not advocate voting for Trump or for Biden. But she did say she didn't endorse him, but she's going to invoke for them. And that's what got my two nephews who are democratic socialists to go out and vote for Biden. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. Right. So, um, well, John Kerry as the climate czar. <laughs> you know, a guy I love following on Twitter, because a while back you asked me who I, what I read. And, you know, I go to the, the financial pages. But I do follow people like David Wasserman on Twitter and David Sirota on Twitter. And mm-hmm. David Sirota is great from preventing things getting completely flushed down the memory hole. He picked up, he said it was just, uh, you know, just, just within the last year when people asked John Kerry why he didn't consider jumping in to save the Democratic Party from Bernie Sanders. He said, oh, I'll have to leave my cushy job at Bank of America. Right. Oh, so he's going to leave his cushy job at Bank of America, which is like the single biggest funder of the fossil fuel industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just awesome. You know, I I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's and, you know, you could if this were 10 years ago and I wasn't so jaded and 
<laughs> and if I haven't gone through the last five years, I would have said, hey, just like FDR, you know, get a you know, criminal like Joseph, Ken- like old Joe Kennedy to head up the SEC. But that's not what Obama did. And I doubt that's what Biden is doing. He's like basically getting people to write the ship because Trump's, Trump's people were just not reliable. Uh, is there is there any argument to that? Because I do remember we talked about this earlier yeah. that you can't clean up the mess if you don't know where the bodies are buried. I think that's how Obama justified bringing yeah, on Geithner. The people who know where the bodies are buried are the activists and, and, and the climate scientists. People like John Kerry live in a bubble that, you know, thinks what he's doing is on a higher plane and it's just the peasants and the unwashed like us don't understand the game. See, all of these guys are really good at a game that's killing the planet. They got really good. Maybe, you know, maybe they are basically decent people and that they just looked at the reality and that was the reality. But we can't have people like that. We need to have people that look at what's going on and envision a different reality for us to get there. I don't see that in any of these people. You're you're a physicist. Is oil gone in 10 years just because of the market, because of electric Uh, cars? Well, when you say electric cars, you know what you know. You, you plug your car in, like we have we have electric car plugs in every single major uh, establishment of the park district. But where does that energy come from? Coal, not clean, beautiful coal. You no, know, actually, around here, it either comes from the windmills or it comes from nuclear. Okay, and are you? Are you, what do you think about nuclear power? A lot of people. Uh, what my company is doing right now, and we have a $40 million proposal into the Department of Energy for a, a technical design report of a subcritical nuclear reactor. In other words, we're taking the technology of particle physics and accelerator physics and uh, driving a uh, they don't even call it a reactor because technically, if it doesn't have self-sustaining uh, fission chains, it's not a reactor. But uh, we don't have self-sustaining fission chains. The neutrons come from an outside source. So we, you, there is literally an on and off switch to the fission projects, which is great because we can do much deeper burns of that fuel. We can basically close the fuel cycle. In other words... You can run fuel in our reactors over a period of 200 years, take spent fuel, which has got radiotoxicity of like a hundred thousand, a half-life of a hundred thousand years, and reduce it to less than 300 years. In other words, you can get it to ambient levels of radiation, put it back into the ground. That would be closing the fuel cycle. So that's what we're... Among other things, and, and I don't really know that much about okay. this stuff. You know, it would have to be a little lecture. I don't think it's as complicated as I mean. Well, we should we should is. talk next week. But we should. what I'm saying that there is that there are technologies like that. But the problem with nuclear is that it was just too much coupled to the military industrial complex. All the light water reactors are variations of the um, you know uh, Rickover's reactor. And they're not really that efficient. 
I mean, there's been much more efficient designs over the last 60 years, but, you know, about six different defense contractors came in with their little variations, and that's been the nuclear, that's been the commercial nuclear energy market ever since. It's oligarchy. You know, it's it's right. changing. It's, it's changing. So there is a future for nuclear power? Well, I think... Nuclear is the only thing that can scale up fast enough and big enough to be able to expedite us off the fossil fuel. Right. And that might mean politically that, yeah, the oil companies have to get in, they have to buy into nuclear. But that's the only thing that's going to get it. I mean, my, Michael Moore, he produced it. He didn't direct it. It was a friend of his, but, you know, Planet of the Humans that was... Uh, was very good. I mean, unfortunately, the guy was a little, was like 10 years out of date in some of his facts, but that didn't alter the basic argument is that the state of the art of, of solar is not long-term sustainable. It's fine right now. We should be like quadrupling our investment into material science. And there's a lot of, you know, there's these um, sulfite nanotubes, which seem to be much cheaper, much lower carbon footprint in the manufacturer and can scale up. But, you know, everything takes about five to 10 years to go from testing in a lab to scaling up uh, production. Maybe quicker if we have a, you know, a Manhattan style project style ramp up or, you know, World War II test scale effort. Anyway, it's going to have, I, I actually think it'll have to happen because we are going to, if I think a lot of the people in the fossil fuel industry and their minions in Congress think that they can just live with, you know, hey, we're going to go strawberries in Alaska. It'll be great. You know, the the uh, Arctic uh, sea lanes are going to be open all year. It'll be great and not and just and be completely discounting, discounting the utter chaos in the rest of the world. So uh, I think that will happen. But a lot of people are going to die in. And suffer. But we didn't see nuclear power in Biden's green energy well, plan. Did there we? was a passing reference to it in his energy. And I, I read off of his website about, you know, his campaign website, their energy plan. Unfortunately, this the, the green plan that they have is uh, just basically a fossil fuel industry plan. It's carbon capturing sequestration. It's also uh, enhanced oil recovery. Both of those keep pumping carbon into the atmosphere. They claim if everything works well at a reduced rate, but that whole cycle is extremely expensive. Let me, re let me read you some questions from the chat room. Oh. What about that thorium shit? Yeah, that thorium shit. Uh, <laughs> that is, are we after? What, what is, uh, apparently the Chinese are getting in on that thorium uh, shit? The, um, the competing, uh, the, uh, a competing design to the light water reactors is the molten salt reactors. And the, the what reactor? Molten salt. The, the fuel is liquid rather than solid. You would think that would be a bad thing. It actually, it actually would mitigate against a whole variety of nuclear accidents. You know, the problem 
like Fukushima, it wasn't the reactor that exploded. It was a fuel rod partially in a reactor because, you know, the fission products, if you lose your coolant, the fission product, the heat and fission products build up. And it's usually a hydrogen explosion within the fuel rods. And since if you had liquid, you could just dump it into a bit. If you change the, the uh, geometry alone from more spheroidal or cylindrical to just a flat pancake, you don't have what they call the uh, neutron economy to continue chain reactions. It would just, so we, the, most of the modular of reactors, a good chunk of them are molten salt ours is molten salt in other words you would make these reactors in factories it wouldn't be a big one-off thing you would stage them you'd have a big power plant would be a bunch of these small reactors that are walk away safe you know surface to volume and, and so forth so um yeah, the thorium reactors ours could build our could burn thorium too the nice thing about providing neutrons from the outside is that you're not wedded to the natural spectrum of neutrons from uranium-235. You know, natural uranium has these two isotopes and you try to separate the highly radioactive one from the rest. And, but then you're, then you're consigned, you're, you're confined to that, the, the neutrons that, that this, that this the U-235 give off. That spectrum, you're confined to that. We can dial up that spectrum to pretty much whatever we want. So we can we can burn up spent fuel, put the oxides into a molten fluoride salt. We could do that with thorium. We could do that with depleted uranium. We could do this with weapons-grade plutonium. And the instant weapons-grade plutonium is in that molten salt soup, it is not recoverable for bomb making. So that's... There's all kinds of, you know, there's all kinds of buzzwords I can introduce into this conversation why these new reactors are good. But uh, I think that they're just going to be necessary because there's just, you know, you've got India wanting to come online, a billion and a billion people in India, a billion and a half people in China trying to get 21st century lifestyles. I mean, you, you're you're either going to end in a, in a horrible climate situation where half the planet dies, or we have to, you know, scale up in a very smart way. And what what is thorium? What is it? Oh, it's just another. It, it's uh, it, it's just another very heavy uh, atomic weight, naturally radioactive, or something that's easily induced to be to be radioactive through a splitting up. Most of the most of the heavier nuclei are not really stable or can be made to, you know, break apart. It's like if you just pile up a bunch of balls, you know, on, in, on, on any shelf, you know, whatever, whatever arrangement they arrange themselves in, you know, they, the bigger that pile, the more vulnerable it is to just breaking apart. And uh, so, you know, there's all kinds the thorium is more prevalent, and it's certainly abundant in India. It's not as toxic to mine, and that would just be a that would be a naturally decent alternative if they could have these industrial produced um, molten salt reactors. Okay, and you don't have to have it. I mean, ours is special because ours is subcritical. You can have critical reactors where you do have a chain reaction. But they're still far, far safer than the light water reactors, which are, 
you know, nuclear energy is pretty damn safe. The problem is when you do have an incident, it's kind of like a plane crash. You know, there's people who are afraid of flying and no amount of showing them like in millions of miles traveled, you know, air, air flight is like a thousand, 10,000 times safer because when an air crash does happen, it's horrible, it's ugly, a lot of people die at once. And we have Three Mile Island turned out to be not as big a nuclear event, but Chernobyl. By the way, that was a great series on HBO. Everybody mm-hmm. should watch it. I mean, I learned something. I had no idea how these reactors worked. And uh, who is it? The actor. Harris. Jared Harris. Jared Harris gave. I mean, the lecture he gave. I'm sitting there with my jaw open. They're doing what? That's the way they work. It's like, you know, our reactors are actually fairly well designed. You don't have independent knobs and parameter space. There's you got about five independent knobs and they all have to work. And in fact, yeah, they still work. There's 10 of them still operating and they're and their uh, uh, engineers are very skilled. Um, but unfortunately, as a friend of mine said, what happened in the Soviet Union that, you know, after about a generation or so after the war, the physicists were revered and the engineers were revered and the regular party members were getting jealous because they had to be a physicist or an engineer to get these gigs and being a director at a nuclear reactor and... Uh, you know, so they had a whole bunch of nuclear physics made easy schools sprout up for the regular party members. And well, watch the HBO series. Watch the HBO Chernobyl series. It's uh, it was pretty eye opening. I, I saw parts of it, and I have to make time. Uh, hopefully, no, things I, will will settle down. But, and by the way, did you beat up on on Jim Earl? And you know, with earlier today, did you really beat up on him? I, I no. Okay. I never beat because up. you know his two fisted pals weren't around to like back him up. So I know, I know. Well, no, 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 Professor Adnan Hussein. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, no, I. It was two on one. It was oh, two okay. on one. You know, yes, I, I. I always say just because he's right doesn't mean he's not wrong. Which I don't even understand what that means. I. Well, I, I guess we have to like increase the dimensions of those arguments. Yeah, I, I, I'm a little. Well, I'm not optimistic about Biden. Well, you know, I'm always long term optimistic um, here. Here's a little bit of optimism. It does look like the majority when the dust settles that that Nancy Pelosi will have a nine vote majority in the House, which means if it, the expanded squad plus a couple other people like Ro Khanna and Pramila Jaipal, you know, grows fine, they can be a block. Right. They can hold together and, you know, then they can make demands. They can do what I thought the Green Party should have done 30 years ago, but didn't. For whatever they can reason. be the Tea Party. Well, they can be the Tea Party, but they can be it for good. I mean, they had to do it the hard way. I don't, you know, the Tea Party did not really threaten corporate interests. So to compare. They were funded by corporate interests. Yeah, of course. But if you just look at just the sheer mechanics of what they were able to do and make John Boehner's life miserable, that was kind of fun to watch. But. But the thing is, is that they now we've got this expanded squad who got there the hard way. And oh, especially Cori Bush, she's a force of nature. Everyone should watch her little segment on MSNBC last week on Joy Reid's show. 
Oh man. Did, did Joy not like her, I would assume? Well, Joy couldn't answer. I mean, like Corey Bush came after her talking about Black Lives Matter, defund the police and Medicare for all. She came on like a force of nature and Joy Reid just couldn't answer any of it. Hmm. I mean, this Corey Bush, uh, she's like coming in with two, two fisted, both guns blazing, whatever metaphor you want to use. She's uh, she's not fooling around. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm getting uh, some chatter in the chat room about nuclear power. And I think the conversation yeah. is going to go down to discord. OK, which uh, I'm reading it right now. It's this is something that I I'd really like to discuss with you. Uh, yes. Um, did you hear my idea for office hours? Uh, I. Oh, yes. The rolling, you know, like the 24 hour. But I thought that so you're so you're shrinking the number of hours on the on office hours to 24 hours. <laughs> no, that we've never done 24 hours. Really? God, it seems like it, it does. So I was thinking I would start at 9 p.m. Friday night. Then mm-hmm. I would throw to you mm-hmm. and you host from 10 to 11. And we just go. You know, wherever it's convenient for people in different time zones, but everybody, everybody gets an hour to either host, you know, take calls, facilitate conversation or go on a rant or or show a video, you know, make use of that time any way he or she wants. I thought that might be an injury. And then at nine o'clock on Saturday, I come back and close it out. is that something that would interest you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I, no, that would be fun. And I see Professor Adnan Hussein is back here. Does something like that interest you? As if none of you have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Adnan is just not, he's got to unmute himself. As, as low note. But I, I thought, you know, like Lane, for example, would be fascinating for Lane to do an hour from CM and then Ricky in London and mm-hmm. and Joe in Norway and you know we have uh, Andre in Reykjavik so as we could just move across the globe uh, we we have our friend in China might be an interesting 24 hour marathon uh Lane is saying Europeans first Lane you're in Great Britain you've uh, forfeited that uh, title you're no longer a European so and anyway thank you Professor Marianne Cummings I will see you hopefully Thursday thank you let us now go all the way around the globe to the west side of Manhattan where Kevin Bartini is standing by his new you have no video I'm putting it on. Okay, can you give there us the landscape? There you are. Can you give us landscape? Give you, let's see. I want to show you something. I've been showing this okay. video all there day. There we go. I've been showing there this all day. And okay. this makes me, these two things make me very happy. Uh, if I can find it. Here we go. Did you see our friend in Florida? I'm not, oh, yes. Saving a puppy. Look at yes. this guy. Never takes the cigarello out of his mouth. 
The no. puppy is in the grips of the alligator's mouth. And he's pulling as hard as he can. And he frees the puppy and the puppy runs away. And he's still pulling on the alligator. This is a replay. Yeah. Uh, that is That's a... My, my favorite part of the video is right after the puppy escapes. But he doesn't stop yanking like he gave that croc a one last right there, Fred. I like that. Oh, was it a crocodile, not an alligator? Oh, I don't know. I don't know know the difference. I think you can't really tell the difference unless you're looking at their snout or something. Okay. This is the question I've been asking. This is the third time I've shown this today. You have how many cats? You're you're muted. You have to unmute. How many cats do you have? I have three. You have three cats. You're down in Florida visiting your sure. parents. Uh-huh. One of your kitty cats goes into the swamp mm-hmm. and ends up in an alligator's mouth. Are you jumping into the swamp, taking on an alligator to to save your kitty cat? No, you're not. Real- you're not going to do it. You're not going to no, do it. No, I think the real... The real- only X factor there is how far down on my tipperillo I am. <laughs> if it's a fresh tipperillo that I just lit, that's going to factor into me going into the water. You know. Uh-huh. Uh, also, it looked like were they were they on a golf course? Was that just a? And what are you doing with your puppy on a golf course? I, I think it was his backyard. Is that his backyard? Yeah, oh. I, I think so. But he went uh, into the swamp. Yes. Yeah. No, that's he's an absolute hero. I mean, here's the thing. I can't even touch an alligator. Like, even if it was okay. defanged, I, I would get the creeps touching. It would creep. Yeah. It would creep, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's one of those, um, uh, you know, when the endorphins take over. Right. It's like the story of like the lady who can lift the car off of her daughter and that kind of shit. It's just it, you go into hmm. a hero mode. You go into hero mode. We've all got it, David, even you. I've been thinking about this guy. I don't know who he is. I certainly don't mm-hmm. want to meet him. I would assume <laughs> I have nothing in common. I probably have more in common with the alligator than I do with this guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, well, he's what a great man. But, right. but he loves his puppy and Absolutely. nothing is going to come between him and his puppy. Right. I mean, just think of how much money and time he spent breeding that puppy <laughs> along with the 90 others in the cage behind its house. I mean, that's that's a that's like a farmer shooting a uh, shooting at a fox because it's the chicken coop. I mean, that's that. And especially if that was a lady puppy, that's good for another 70 puppies. That's some good eating. Life. That's some good eating. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, now we're, we're being obnoxious because he's a hero. He's of a great he man, but because yeah. he's from Florida and he's wearing a wife beater, and we're, 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 but is there any common ground between you and him politically? We both uh, agree that we love puppies. We both right. agree that alligators or crocodiles are bad, but on the on the lesser issues, um, we wouldn't agree on much, right? He would be against. Medicare for all. He'd be against getting back into the Paris Climate Accords, the Iran nuclear, Iran nuclear deal. There'd be nothing politically that 
that we could see eye to eye on, right? Yeah, you're probably you're probably right. Uh, not a Bernie supporter. Probably not a Bernie bro. No, no, no. Now but, is that fair to to look at somebody like that and make all these assumptions, all these generalizations? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't it be? But the fact is, but but that what's nice is give the devil his due, right? It's even a broken clock is right twice a day. And even though this guy, yeah, we probably uh, we probably canceled one another's votes out at this point. Like, hey, hey good on that guy. Like, I, I, I like him. I'm, he, he's, he's good by me. He's a good, good dude. I mean, just think not only that, but just. It's obviously crocodile infested waters. Like mm-hmm. he, that that puppy could have could have been the chum that was just bringing everybody else in, uh, and he could have just gone in and gotten eaten himself. It's yeah. amazing. And the, the, then look at the puppy just runs off. Like that's no. I, I like this guy. I. I, yeah. I uh, Why did it take so? I, I hate to be cruel, but you would think uh, uh, that alligator could have ripped the puppy apart. That, no, exactly. That or at least a good puncture in his in yeah. his uh, hindquarters there, but he ran off, seemed unscathed. Yeah, good. No, good. Good for this guy. Good for yeah. this. I could I could sit at a. Uh, I could definitely see myself on the road playing Sarasota mm-hmm. or somewhere, sitting at a bar, and this guy sitting next to me, and I could toss back a few with this dude. I can. I think I you're right. Common ground. I think on the big things. I think on the big things, we would agree on everything. On the on the stuff that is supposed to divide us, the things they come up with yeah. to divide yeah. us. Ah, uh, eh, who are we kidding? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like this guy. I'm on, I'm on his side. I like him. What Good about guy. this? Let me show you. Our, right. Did you see the governor of New Jersey? Oh, I saw a second of it. This is where he's having dinner outside without his mask and people are giving him shit. This is uh, a New Jersey smackdown. Let me show this to you. Yeah. Can you hear this? Can you hear that? Yep. Yep. This is uh, Governor Murphy. Goldman Sachs uh, made a couple hundred million on Wall Street, went to Harvard, Democrat, and he's filling... Chris Christie's seat, and he well, part of Chris Christie's seat. <laughs> you know, he actually fits snugly into one cheek crevice, uh, and then keeps snacks in the other. Also, just looking at this guy, you know who he looks like is when they do flashbacks of Mr. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> so he's out with his beautiful family, and they're drinking. He's drinking uh-huh. and he's supporting a local restaurant and mm-hmm. uh, some of his c- constituents some female mm-hmm. constituents walked up to the governor to say hello This is what she's saying to the kids. I like, I like your Trump kids. Guess who Trump likes? He likes my dad. No, he doesn't like it. He does. He does. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. 
Yeah. We well, know. She definitely, put, she definitely put the cousin constituent. <laughs> Be careful now. <laughs> now, my sister sent that to me. She said she found it so depressing because those women, we grew up in Jersey. We know who those women are. They're proud of themselves. They feel that they really, and, and they told the governor's kids, the daughters, to go F themselves. And they're going to dine out on that for for years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's their that's their I ripped a puppy from the jaws of an elephant. (laughs) (laughs) They will probably dine out on that story more than Crocodile Dundee down in Florida. We'll talk about history. You're absolutely right. No, they will. Yeah. You can't reason those women who walked up to the governor. I'm no big fan of Murphy's, you know, Goldman Sachs, Harvard. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he's a Democrat. Mm -hmm. There's nothing he could have said or or in the future do to get those women to vote for him or see it his way. Right. It's it's a they're, they're a lost cause. Right. Yeah, they're a lost cause. Yeah. And, you know, one sign that they're definitely proud of proud of themselves. And, you know, this is their big claim to fame moment was that was uploaded from obviously from their phones. Right. You're yeah, that's right. Somebody else. Look at these people harassing this governor. It's their phone. It's their upload. Right. And he has right. he has a, you know, a young family who seems to be rolling with it. They They think it's just. The price of admission to having I think they're yeah, I think they're used to it. But I like this I mean it's it's I like this new phenomenon that there is of videos out there, you know, it's it's there's an it's always the same. It's an anti masker who's in a store and everybody's pissed at the anti masker, right? And they're giving that anti masker shit. And so you're watching one person's video of calling out or calling out somebody for being a racist or some shit like that. And then within like 20 seconds, that person has their phone up and they're mm-hmm. recording it from there. And they, I guarantee, are posting their version of it right over on their social media. And it's the way they say we live in these two different worlds. And so we've got we're seeing the look at this crazy Karen refusing to wear a mask and harassing the poor person at the stop and shop. And then she is look at these crazy liberals that are coming down on me and not denying my rights. And each of us have our own echo chambers of, Oh, they're wrong. And they're wrong. And each one it's the divide just gets wider and wider. And it's going to get worse. There's, there's nothing in the foreseeable future that's Mm going to change this. Is there? No, 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 there's nothing. It'll just keep getting worse. It'll just keep growing. And, and, and each person is self-satisfied. They're right. I mean, what, like, what the fuck is this governor? Well, what was their point, really? What He wasn't working hard enough on a Friday night at 7 p.m. with his family. Like, he doesn't deserve any modicum of, you know. And you time. don't attack the, the kids. Yeah. I like to think, I like to think, because he's got good-looking sons, and there's mm. a young, attractive girl with them. And the thought of my ever at their age going out to dinner with my parents 
and a girlfriend, uh, right? Yeah. That's like, that's like no chance. And I, I, I don't know if Governor Murphy has a daughter. I like to think that his handsome son <laughs> said, come on with mom and dad, meet mom and dad. <laughs> And they get into you're a dick, f you. It's like it was just anyway. Here's another video that I tried to play last week, and the okay. sound wouldn't work. This is a a African American couple who is falsely accused of having a dog that attacked this white woman's dog, and there's video, surveillance video that proves this woman is lying, and she knocks right. on their door with a taser. So this is not okay. a cop with a gun or a taser. Right. This is the white neighbor. And I'll just play the interchange. And imagine yourself being an African-American in your mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Not in your car, in your home. And some crazy white woman knocks on your door. My dog. The dog's not even outside, ma'am. He was outside. He was in front here. He attacked her. Where's her dog? He didn't attack. He didn't attack the dog. She's not. I have it on camera. She's got a taser. You know what? what? Yeah. You guys are acting like black people, and you should. You should act like black people. She said, "You people are acting like n words." Uh, you she did like, drop the n bomb. I think okay. it was the n bomb. Let me play it again. It sounded like it. You should act like white people. You guys are acting like black people, and you should. You should act like black people. Are we what? Yeah. You're acting like Karen. I was raised in Oklahoma. Wait, wait, people. can you repeat that one more time? We're acting like what? I was raised in Oklahoma City where there were tons of black people. But we're acting like what? You're acting like people that aren't normal. Uh, okay. This will you're be real nice like people that when you're normal. on the news, yep. when you're on social media. When so, so she's holding yeah. a taser. She's not pointing the taser at them, right. but she's moving now in into their foyer. And uh -huh. this African-American couple is so relaxed. Like, yeah. And get off our property. Get off our property. No, I have a top secret clearance. You I, don't give a I have give top a secret top clearance. clearance. I have top secret uh -huh. clearance. So she's, yeah. you know, some crazy old white bitch. You I don't give a get the, the property. Go back in the house. Go back in the house. Since we're acting like black people, right? We're acting like black people, and that's well, not normal. Most people don't act like you do. How are we acting? We, how are we acting? You came over here with a taser. <laughs> you I came, came over, over here, here because your pit bull attacked my little he dog. He didn't attack your dog. Not at all. Your son was out here with it. And he didn't attack the dog. The, the dog, I saw the dog. I saw you pet the dog. You pet I didn't the pet dog. The dog. I just pet the dog because I wanted to see if he was okay. <laughs> you didn't pet the dog, but you pet the dog because you wanted to see if he was okay. Why don't you record all this? I, I am recording it. You, you about to be famous. You know what? You're going to go. You about to be famous. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? You're going to go to hell. Okay. Because I'm going to sue the hell out of you, both of you. <laughs> You're going to go to hell. And I'm going to sue. The, the, the guy, the African-American guy, is giggling. Would you be yeah. giggling if a yes. crazy lady is pointing a taser at you? Right. Oh, all right. oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I well, you're a better black man than I am. Yeah. Because I would have... I don't know. I mean, I I have such a sense of entitlement that if... Mm -hmm. that, I don't know. I, I would have snapped. I would have I yeah. effing snapped at her. 
Well, I think that's why he was giggling because I think he felt like she's going to get, she's getting really close enough to the point, and this is on camera where I can legitimately punch an old white bitch. Like, <laughs> this, this may be my moment, <laughs> you know? But when I see videos like this, uh, of like the, you know, the, the, these, these older white women and the sense of entitlement and some of the crazy ass things they say, there's two elements that I think play huge into it that exacerbate the sense of whatever racial entitlement she's had all 60 years of her life mm -hmm. are exasper exacerbated by two things. They all, all are, are and mention it each time how they're right with Jesus. Yes. Right. Jesus is definitely on their side. I've never seen an, I've never seen one of these be it be because she said you're going to go to hell. She said, of course, you're going to hell. I've never seen one of these old crank ladies go, you know, as an atheist, I believe. <laughs> no, it's they have Jesus on their side. Uh -huh. And the other one, the other thing that I, that I think is, a, is, is really a big factor behind this is our pharmaceutical epidemic. Pilled out motherfuckers that are whatever they're popping day in and day out, they're on all this kind of shit. And it, it knocks down their, their, their defenses, their, the barrier, just like alcohol does, right. That, that, that barrier where you're not going to get in somebody's face or you wouldn't do this except for you're drunk mm -hmm. or except for you're high on pills that are, you can see it when you look at their eyes, they have this crazy eyes. These people are stoned on shit. They're not thinking in the right mind to begin with. So it's just exacerbating you know, if you're a if you're an asshole in real life, you're generally an asshole when you get drunk. Right. If you're if you're hiding, you know, it's the guys that, that get drunk and they get all, you know, lecherous and, and handsy with women. That's the way they are in the real life. They just repress it. Right. right. But the, the drugs and whatever makes them more rapey. And and so I think it's the same thing with these pills and, and this kind of shit. It's whatever they're on. It makes them act a, a, a much stronger version of their inner self that I don't think we were seeing before. I agree with you. I love yeah. what she, I, I love that she said, you're going to hell because I'm going to yeah. sue you. Cause I'm going to sue you. I believe, yeah. <laughs> I believe in God so much, but just in mm -hmm. case I'm taking you before a judge. And the beauty and the great thing is the, the, on a lot of these videos, the money shot is when they are being arrested or escorted out of the store and are, I mean, crying and wailing like, like, like when you see, like the only thing you can compare an old white lady who has just been arrested for not wearing her mask, that way that she brings out the wailing, it's like seeing like, like the old black woman at a funeral. The throwing themselves, the, the, the full Or the old Italian woman at a funeral. Yeah, the old Italian women do it too. It's that full body. Oh Lord, you need people need to hold me, physically hold me up. And I've never seen that from your standard old white lady before. It's this. It's all that shit just falls apart in their face and they just can't control it. It's a wonderful thing to watch. I think the solution to to all our nation's problems, and and I mean this, is law and order. We, we, we now have we now have cell phone videos 
Mm -hmm. incontrovertible evidence of people's poor behavior. It is against the law to come on your neighbor's property with a taser, right? It's against the law to come on your neighbor's property, period. Yeah. Oh, I don't mean that kind of coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that too. Uh, (laughs) I think we it's time for America to become the national the, 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 the security state that we, we've always been, but start locking up the right people. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe. two and a half million people behind bars. I think it's a good idea, but I think we need affirmative action and quotas. I think that, yeah. that, that, that our 2.5 million people behind bars should be a cross section of our society. So if 5% of the population is Jewish, 5% of our prisons should be Jewish. I, I, I guarantee you, you could find, I don't know what the, what is 5% of, was it 10, 100,000? I guess that would be 100,000 Jews to lock up. You could find them. If, uh, you know, if half the population is women, uh-huh. half our prisons should be women. Okay. Most women don't commit nonviolent crimes. So I guess that means you'd have to lock up female corporate lawyers, female politicians. Okay. Make our prisons look like America because there are, I would, I know that 2.3% of our population Mm -hmm. are sociopaths. 3% 3% of the population are sociopaths? Are, are sociopaths. Okay. Lock so them up. Lock them up? Lock, lock up, up the sociopaths. Let's let's see some millionaires, some billionaires. Let's okay. see, you know, Jared Kushner is a sociopath. Lock him up. Yeah. yeah, he'll probably get locked up. No, he I won't. I think he does. No, he won't. I think so. No, he won't. Oh, I think. You don't think he will? No, but that's the solution. It's, it's, you know, everybody says income inequality and jobs. For, start locking these crazy crackers up. Let's just get that, rid of them. Yeah, yeah, just lock. That woman should be doing 10 years in prison. Yeah, she should. She should definitely uh, at a bare at the bare minimum. This is one of those things her kids should be looking at and talking about time for looking at homes. Right. right? It's like. Ma can't be on her own anymore. Right. You don't need to wait till you don't need to wait till she sets fire to the kitchen, you know, like uh like Libby Soprano there did. <laughs> when she's wandering into the neighbor's yard with a poodle and a taser, calling yeah. the N word. It's it's time to it's, it's time to sell the house. It, yeah. 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 So how are you holding up? What are you going to do for Thanksgiving? I, I haven't had time to return the, uh, to send back the invite to last year's Thanksgiving. <laughs> but I didn't get invited this year to Thanksgiving. What happened? Well, we're, we're heading out of town. We're going up to uh, to my parents' house, so we will not be hosting our but our annual Thanksgiving dinner. Are you, so. are you, wouldn't it be easier just to sneeze into a handkerchief and mail it to your parents? <laughs> are you going to spend Thanksgiving? Is it we safe? Are. We are. Yes. My family has been very, very secluded amongst ourselves. And we've gone up. My dad 
works from home. My mom works in a uh, an office with only one other person, and they they have they've been very good about masks, very good about stuff. Jesse and I never leave our apartment, so. You but know, but you ha- you have an excuse not to see them. I mean, this is a gift. Nobody <laughs> wants to spend. Does I anybody really want to spend Thanksgiving with their quote unquote loved ones? With my family? Yeah, no, no, no. You don't. You you're saying that, but in all honesty, you want to stay home, eat, watch football, and pass yeah. gas by yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I honestly, I, I'm looking forward to it. I like going home to my parents' house. It is good. It's fun. I Are you no going to wear a mask? Uh, we will wear a mask. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, no. Once we're in the house and it's just our little bubble of people, no. It's only it's only a couple mm. of us, and we. So no, we don't go into. Uh, you know, we're also in New York and, and Massachusetts, which have low numbers and stuff. We've calculated it out, and we're good with it, but. You know, maybe time will tell. Maybe I'll be super wrong on this, but yeah, I you know, think so far. Right. Now, what about? Uh, do you approve of the underground swingers party in Brooklyn that the cops broke up? I is this is this the one that was out in like a, a park somewhere? No, no, is it was this, indoors. I, it was underground, and uh-huh. uh, this is amazing. It's amazing to me. I'm going to show you a picture. It's amazing to me that there could be a swingers party during a COVID yeah. outbreak pandemic. But yeah. when you look at the pictures of what swinging actually involves, it amazes yeah. me that even without a pandemic, that this kind of swinging goes on. So these are pictures taken by the cops. So you, you see the, the VIP room. Yeah. Three beds, room. two ashtrays with condoms. Yeah laid out and that can't be I, I can't, is that hygienic well or erotic i mean so if there are three beds uh-huh how many people are are on those beds uh well i'm guessing at least six six uh, people maybe. swinging yeah possibly more I'm, what is in the box the behind bo- the... the, the bo- those are condoms. Those are condoms? Oh, no, maybe they're diaphragms. No, that, that, would be a, that would be a super girthy gentleman that would fit in that condom. That I, I agree with you. I think they're coasters. Or, yeah. I, or maybe uh, what, di- di- what, diaphragms. Is it a diaphragm? Okay. I don't know. Ten, know, they were, ten they, minutes, they, 30 bucks for 10 minutes in the VIP room. Right. 500 bucks all night. All night in the I like that. 500 all night in the VIP room. That That's just somebody just, that's the one creep who's just going to hang out in there and watch when he's not at it or something. I don't know. How many people showed up to the swingers party? Did they say? About 40. About 40 people? Yeah, and, and they got fined. Now, now is that one... Did, was that the picture of the beds? Was that the VIP room? That's the VIP room. That's the VIP. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. the VIP room. A little different so, from the VIP room at the Ritz where Donald Trump took the hookers. <laughs> well, well, so what's the rest of the place look like? Is it? I don't know. I got my, I, my stomach, my, I got nauseous yeah. at the idea that that is somehow erotic. 
it just really, honestly, it really upsets me that I'm not on that email list anymore. <laughs> I had no idea this was going on, uh, you know, because it's, it's how Jessica and I met originally. Mm-hmm. It was at a swingers party. Uh, so... <laughs> It's just, you know, it would have been nice. Our anniversary just passed. It would have been something How many special. years? No. Uh, How many we got married 11, 11 years ago. We got married. Wow. Yeah. And what is the yeah. secret to a, a good marriage? Uh, Swinging. I don't know. Swinging helps. Yeah. No, I don't know. So far. So far. I don't, you know what's a good sign? Is that after like seven years in pandemic together, that it's still going okay? Like, yeah. I think that. I think seven months. Wait, wait, before. seven months. The pandemic has been seven months. It feels like seven years. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now, I'm not it, married it, anymore, but one of the things that I that I liked about marriage was that, yeah. se- that sense of ownership, that you owned this, another human being. That you owned another person. <laughs> that you could control yeah. and manipulate, and they would do... <laughs> is, that, is that what you like about marriage, is that there's I, a, a human see, being who just... The sun rises and sets around you and and just does whatever you ask of them. Is no, that- I'm just I, I'm just really it's like I uh, I get off more not on the sense of ownership, but more on the sense that uh, that I was the one who got to uh, waste all of her best years. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's nice. Yeah. When she looks back at her 20s and 30s and and, uh, how it turns out they were pissed away. They were pissed away on this fella. (laughs) Some good real estate, right? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I, 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 um, I, I, my, I, I thought about this, like my, my wife is like the person, you know, when they say like, who would you most like having a foxhole Mm -hmm. with you in a war? Like she's the last person I would ever want in a fucking foxhole next to me. But in a pandemic, in a lockdown situation with a nice apartment, she's the one, the only person right. in the world I can do this with. But not in a foxhole. And you get. And what is the secret? Because people are either complaining that they're isolated and alone, or mm-hmm. they're, you know, I hear a lot of. We were just about to break up. I was looking for a brand new apartment, and then the pandemic hit. And I'm stuck with this person who I can't stand. And yeah, uh, that's got to be rough. That's got to be rough. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what the secret is for us: is eight is we do basically our lives in eight hour shifts because we don't sleep at the same time. Mm-hmm. So. We have, she goes about her day just like pre-pandemic, right? You know, there's a Carol Burnett, there's a Carol Burnett show sketch based on this idea. Yep. Is there? Yeah. Yeah. I won't, I don't wake up until like three or four in the afternoon and then her kind of day is wound down. So then we have eight hours together before she goes to bed at midnight and then I've got the rest of my day of doing what I want. So it's like we have together time and each our own personal space. And, and now so you say you, you say you've told me this before. Pat Dixon, what? same thing. Just accepts the fact that they wake up at 4 p.m. Yeah, absolutely. You have no problem with that. 
no, I don't. Um, in, in real life, non-pandemic ways, you know, I, it was better. I would do like 1 p.m. Because then I would still get some of the day and, and things like that. But no, no, my life is is uh, as a comedian was a nighttime life. Uh, and then, the, you know, there's something nice, something magical about the hours of three to seven a.m. The world's quiet. You can just do anything you want. Nobody's bothering you. It's one. It's wonderful. I love and, it. And you've accepted that. You you don't think there's because I've I've been on that schedule and I've yeah. been drifting towards mm. it with the yeah. pandemic. But I find it for me. For me, it's a uh-huh. sign of perhaps uh, I'm depressed. Uh, I, I haven't hit four p.m. Yeah. But uh, I've been close a couple of times. I don't want well, like personally. I don't like it. I, what I find yeah. really refreshing is my circadian rhythms are such, and I that you accept right. it. How many yeah. years? Well, I think that. Uh, I mean, twenty years. Twenty years. You've been getting up at f- the crack of four. <laughs> but now, what well, happens yeah, when you? I mean, no, no, no. Four p.m. is really now is is because of the COVID and the pandemic. It, it was always, you know, one, one, two o'clock. But, but it's also it's it's yes, maybe it's a sign of depression sometimes. But it's also I'm not going to bed at eight p.m. Right? I think the depression is when you just sleep your entire existence away. Is more of it? I I think it's your own. I think it's healthier. I think it's healthier if you're able to follow your circadian rhythms. If you go to sleep when you're tired and you wake up when you're awake, you right. eat when you're hungry and and you take a shit when you have to take a shit, not that you wake up because an alarm clock tells you that you've got to go punch a clock and do. I, I honestly, I, I, I think when, when we talk about the shutting businesses down, shutting the world down stores and things like this, right? How much better would it be if we embraced this third uh, third trimester of the day. What, what, why not embrace the people who are up, the insomniacs, the people who are up from all that, you know, up and don't go to bed till 8 a.m. If, if we did that and we made the subways run just as frequently and businesses open, we wouldn't have such a congestion of people in the store. You mm-hmm. know, I go to the grocery store at three, four in the morning, there's nobody there. But there's plenty of people who are awake. If if more things were open, if banks, if more things were open. Okay, do you drink? Decide, do you drink? Not much. No. Can you find I mean, a bar in New York City that's open at 3 a.m.? I used to if I wanted to. Not I, I don't think they exist anymore. There are. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, last Absolutely. call is like 4 a.m., right? Something like that. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not fucking Tom Waits, you know? I, I don't go out. Looking for a bar at three a.m. But you you do you do I but you do know that the city is dead by like nine p.m. Yeah, before the pandemic. Oh no! Oh no! We would always we would go to the Lower East Side. We would go down the Village. There's always bars going up late, late at night. The Upper West Side. There's places. No. Okay. Oh, there's plenty, plenty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just every any restaurant or bar I go into, they always say, "No, no, we're closed." But it's 2 p.m. We don't want you. (laughs) Restaurants are different thing, but bars are shit. What are you you cooking these days? Uh, What am I cooking? Well, I guess I'll be cooking some Thanksgiving stuff this week. Um, And getting into... uh, uh, Oh, I told you about making my own cheeses. 
That's the you make your own cheese. Making my own cheese. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But nothing exciting. Maybe some more breads. I don't know. So what are you doing for Thanksgiving? Are you doing an e-Thanksgiving virtual thing? We're doing the show. You're doing the show? We tape on Mondays and Thursdays. So I figured, why alter my schedule? (laughs) We're doing a show. So good. All right. Yeah. All right. Not bad. Yeah. Um, And uh, yeah, that's those are my plans. (laughs) I'm going to try my hand at raw (laughs) pumpkin pie. Raw? What is what is what's raw about it? My oven doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) But you can have you can make raw pumpkin pie. Yeah, there's a pilot light and. Yeah, you told me that. I told you, give me a call. I'll talk you through relighting your pilot light. That's yeah. I'd rather not. Just <laughs> I don't need an oven. So do you just order your food in all the time? No, or, no, um, just just no. beans and a strainer, <laughs> and uh, that's it. <laughs> God forbid your can opener breaks. You're a dead man. I know. I know. I went outside today. Did you? Have you been doing, so no drive-in shows, right? No, no. I'm doing two virtual shows in December. Oh, good. For Jim Jim Andrinos, just asked me to do them. But uh, no, no drive-in shows, no live shows. It's it's not even that I'm afraid of, like, of COVID or something. Uh, It's not my own health. It's just when I see other people post pictures of shows they're doing in front of a live audience, it's depressing. It's, it's like open mic time all over again. Like when I used to go on and perform for seven people sporadically around, uh, I'm like, I'm not going back to that. <laughs> what happened to your old sound effects from The Godfather? Do you still have those on there? What are you talking about? Of course I You do. had a couple. Yes. And there's one that I'm hang on. Uh, where is it? Hang on. I have Hitler's indoor voice. That's just Hitler talking. The is banality of evil. I love that. Is that from that documentary uh, from the seventies of like his home movies? Uh, Where that came from? I don't know. I I think he was just meeting with an ambassador and Uh, just being himself. Ah, so you want to hear the Godfather? Hang on, get some good Godfather ones. I know, I can't find it. Uh, I have you on stage. I have your father talking about seeing you on stage. Everything with them tools. Everything with them tools. Who's that? <laughs> Everything with that is whores. I don't know. Frankie Five Angels, Frank Pantangeli. They spit right in my face. Oh, I don't. You're passing judgment on how I run my family. Mort. Oh, yeah. Mort. Okay. I want them dead. Mort. 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 I could just listen to that all day. I remember. I'm on in here, no manja car, no manja Las Vegas, and no manja Miami. Can I me rock? Get the 
the fuck up, you lazy bastard. Oh, that's Lane. Go ahead. What? Actually, isn't that one of uh, the new beloved Thanksgiving traditions? Is is Doesn't one of the cable channels run the Godfather 24 hours? Uh, you know, probably. I think, I think that, yeah, I, I think one of the cable channels runs. Well, now I know what I'm going to be doing. Right. I'm doing a, a, a Godfather and a Soprano cleanse. It's been about oh, yeah. two years. Uh, there have been a, I slipped a couple of times, but I've watched The Soprano so much and yeah. and, and The Godfather that it just, and, and I love it when you start watching it again after a three-year cleanse. It's like you're seeing yeah. it for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I did that. I you got know, back into The Sopranos recently, but I then I... I think it was on it was on Netflix, I think, or something or one of them. And then it went off before I finished it again. I've done a Mad Men cleanse. That's been three years. So I'm going to be ready to go back into that. I saw Roadkill with Hugh Laurie. Uh uh, David Rabe's masterpiece there. Pretty good. Not bad. And I'm I'm using the squeeze technique on the crown. (laughs) I'm, I'm starting it from the beginning, knowing that. There's 10 that I can explode. Ten, ten, 10 seasons of it? No, there's 10. You're, you're not into The Crown? I haven't seen The Crown, no. No, I don't. I'm not. Uh, I don't have a big British monarchy fetish. Okay. I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of them. Uh, okay. What is the, uh, the worst episode of The Sopranos, in your opinion? The pilot. Least favorite. The pilot is your least favorite? Really? Yeah, I don't think it got good until like the second season. It 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 was too, and I you know, to me, Gandolfini is the greatest television actor ever. Yeah, ever. Yeah, I mean, but if you go back and watch that first season, he was acting. He he didn't really inhabit it until the second season. I think people disagree with me. He didn't. He just got yeah. so much better as uh, the years went on. I would have loved I never to cared, meet him. I never cared for the Kevin Finnery episodes. Yeah, I agree yeah, with you. Where he's in a dream, he's in a coma. Yeah, I, and then yeah. the other one where where he dreamt what that he was going through the Plaza Hotel on a horse and Meadows Finn's parents were Annette Benning and shit. That one episode it was just hey, you're Annette Benning, and then he's driving. Uh, yeah, it's like all like a dream or something. I was like, the, okay. Here's the thing about The Sopranos. You're le- oh, I didn't launch the poll. I got to launch my poll. Hang on. I have a poll. Are you Jeffrey Tubin? That's funny. You know who's <laughs> back? Who found it? Jeffrey Tubin is gone, but Mark Halperin, the other masturbator, found a job <laughs> at Newsmax. Uh, so, yeah, we have uh, a poll. That's going. So your poll. Okay, there we go. Okay. Read, read, the, up. read the question. You know what it, I, 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 got, I got rid of it because it took up my screen and it said I can't vote. And so you can't vote? I, just, I said host and panelist can't vote. Oh, okay. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't like the Sopranos when it got into the dream sequency kind of stuff. But the problem with that one episode with the horse and Annette Benning is you can't skip it because it has one of the most consequential murders of the whole show. And that's when Steve Buscemi shoots, uh, Phil's uh, Phil's brother, Frank Vincent's brother. Right. So it's like, it's a huge plot point 
but it's such a lousy episode. But it's a wonderful show. Wonderful show. It is. Yes. The the Sopranos, your least favorite episodes, when you go back and watch them again, mm-hmm. they become your favorites. Yeah. Do they? That's never happened to me. Yeah. I've never. I, I Once I stuck, once I've got the least favorite, it pretty much sticks there. It pretty much does. All right. Uh, let's wrap this up. Masshole is the name of your... Western, Western Masshole. Western Masshole is the name of your new comedy CD. Yep. How can people buy it? It is available for uh, for listeners on Amazon, um, Google, uh, you know, Spotify, Pandora, anywhere, anywhere where you can get streaming music and comedy, you can find it. And or or you could request it on Sirius XM to be played because okay. that's always a good thing. All and right. then send me your picture of your car radio when my when my thing comes up. I always love that. When, when your thing comes picture, up, you're talking about your yes, my penis. No, when you're um, when you got the the display of the Sirius XM radio and it says the track name and the artist, people will take a shot uh, and send it to me. Take a picture, which I enjoy that. Fantastic. Follow Kevin on Twitter at Kevin Bartini. That's it. That's it. Not Kevin Bartini comedy, just Kevin Bartini. Just that Kevin Bartini. Yep. Okay. Uh, Thank you, Kevin Bartini. I want to thank all our guests and remind everybody that we have a special live Zoom event this Saturday night on Zoom. Diabetic Fury, number three, an evening of diabetes awareness with Martha Previtt. You know Martha. She's the voice of Melania and Susan, Senator Susan Collins and Paula Dean and Emmy and Peabody award-winning comedy writer Jim Earl. He'll be there along with Ed Larson, who stars in How America Killed My Mom. And we'll also have Paul Kozlowski showing up. It's November 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern. Go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the pay-per-view button. It'll take you to Eventbrite. Purchase a ticket. We have several tiers, which I'll go over on Thanksgiving. We're doing a show on Thanksgiving. Please come to the taping. If you would like to attend a live taping, go to davidfeldmanshow.com, hit the attend a live taping button, and we will send you a an invite. And you can sit in the Zoom room and and ask questions and join the conversation. And uh, that's it. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you on Thanksgiving. Remember to stay strong and protect the weak. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics a comedy too. He'll tell a dirty joke if you want him to. He's just a lefty from way back. He's a union man with an Emmy for writing. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show To get your ears on right, buckle in real tight He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way 
It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. So get your ears on right and buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. 